And the final result with the 1.4% is, of course, not satisfactory, but we are not quite sure, or we can't say anything about it, uh, whether people saw any irregularities. And I have assisted that in some election offices. I saw people uh, casting their votes still at 7 o'clock at night. The, uh, the um, election was closed officially at 6 o'clock, but we don't know. We are checking whether this is uh, legal or not, because this person was queuing up at 5 o'clock and there was no uh, ballot uh, votes anymore. I don't know if that is uh, legal or not. There has to be things done. There's lots of reports on this, but I don't think we can't draw any conclusions on that yet. The point is, however, the basis was not known enough to many people, and there has been a lot of drawback or pushback from the official medias. There were just details trying to make the bases look bad and uh, closing or drawing relations to violences that were suggested where there was no context whatsoever and against that background it is of course difficult to move through and inform people who are interested in the party's politics so it was a campaign with a lot of obstacles of course um, that's always the thing uh, because I if I am pushed back by the media it's difficult but uh, if the media support me then of course we have uh, quite a lot of things to do as long as we're called Nazis all the time and it's difficult however I think if we look at it and compare it to other parties who were critical to the measures as well. We are at a big number of people who voted respectively, and I think there's going to be more and more people who didn't vote, could be reached. We have good news also in some. I just got an information from somewhere close to Bochum, or a, a city district of Bochum, where DBAS has got 23%. So there were going to be clusters, and the people who know it, there is a great readiness to do that. Yeah, 40, 24% uh, in Mikkelstadt. So there are um, other numbers, and we're going to analyze that and go into more detail. So altogether, we can say 734,000 people said that is what we want. We want to get rid of these measures. We stand for something else. That is a great success we can build on. And at that opportunity, if you're interested entering into the party, um, we should get people into the debases. The debases also accepts people from other political parties. So if you want to send your original party a signal, um, you are welcome. That is an opportunity to step forward and speak out. So uh, it's also very important that we close up and join up in other ways. 
We have this little mini newspaper, which was well received as far as I've heard. Uh, the, the Telegram channel, I think it had 440,000 views, and I know that many people printed it and uh, distributed it. We'll continue with that. Thank you very much. So far, we're going to have this type of newspaper every Sunday. We are going to make it available safely so that can't be censored and that digitally and analog we can uh, communicate and have the information available as things become digitally more difficult, which we see our tea was switched off. YouTube found a new policy that if we say anything against the vaccination narratives, any criticism or a reluctancy, then channels can be switched off and at the same time um, alternative so censorship all, aboard, all across the board yes alternative channels can be blocked as well I heard from Poland there were many companies there actively fighting the measures and they found uh, good sneak arounds uh, for example beer testing and they didn't have to pay any entrance so that's things like this, or just paying an entrance, not for the beer. And so it was called the beer testing, and that was a bit of a party in some clubs. So some uh, creative approaches to, to find solutions and find ways around. They rented parking spaces instead of hotel rooms with an attached uh, hotel room. So they rented a parking space with a hotel room. But now um, the other side is catching up quite a lot of critical websites and channels are being closed down, mainly channels. So here we want to stay in contact and we are checking out different opportunities. And just to make it sure that we are in the Tor network as well, I would like to ask the production to show that in the chat to share that information, so you'll have to download a Tor browser. We'll do an extra introduction and uh, instruction to it. Tor browsers are available everywhere for cell phones, for laptops, computers, whatever. And now then you will get into the websites which can be switched off. They've got dot .onion. That's a very long name, which you have to know. You can't remember it. So I think we'll post it. It's being posted currently, I think. And now, if we get switched off today, then on Telegram and other places, you'll find alternatives where we'll be still broadcasting. We are optimizing this. I think we are set up well to handle this and keep in contact with everyone. Okay, so let's uh, start with the session today. Quite a number of interesting guests. First of all, we're going to start talking to a judge from Portugal who has interesting stories to report. A brief point, we have two streams today. We'll switch to English now in this channel and uh, there is also going to be an original language 
English. So that will be made available on the chat and on the website. And if not, this channel will switch to the German translation in a minute. We'll start with a short introductory uh, video which shows who uh, Judge Rui Fonseca Castro is, um, what he did. He actually stood up against the police, reminding them of who is in command, i.e. not really the executive and that he is, um, has a higher rank than they have. And that impressed a lot of people and we'll show you this video and then we'll discuss this with the judge. It's such a smooth, cool language. Um, when did this? When did this happen? Uh, the video we just saw. This happened on the seventh, November seventh, and uh, November seventh, September seventh this year, mm -hmm. last month. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was the day that uh, I was my hearing uh, before the, the the Superior Council of Judiciary. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> under the disciplinary process that is running uh, against me. Why did why did anyone decide to run a disciplinary process against you? Because of two factors. First of all, I I decided I have some decisions about one decision one main decision about masks in the in, in court. Uh, my 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 understanding is that 
my legal understanding is that the defendant has the right uh, to to speak uh, with his face uncovered and for me to evaluate the proof the the the, the defendant and and the and witnesses also have to have the face uncovered. Otherwise, I cannot evaluate properly the proof and I cannot do my job properly. That is, by the way, precisely what our German uh, Code of Civil Procedure, and I, I'm not so sure, but I think also the uh, Code of Criminal Procedure states, you cannot have your face covered when you're in court. It's, 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 it's next to impossible to interview witnesses if they have their faces covered. You cannot see their emotions. It doesn't make any sense. So that is why they instigated disciplinary proceedings against you. Yeah, that's uh, that's what triggered my my suspension suspension from duty, mm -hmm. uh, the the preventive uh, suspension from duty, and that one was that was one of the the reasons. The the other reasons is my public opinions about the the, the, the what so-called pandemic mm -hmm. uh, that I have uh, that I, I I have put out uh, sometimes, and I I still I still do, and. Uh, those are the two reasons for the disciplinary process against me. Can I ask you, so are you the only judge in uh, Portugal that speaks out or are there others? Or, and plus, how is the, you know, behind closed doors, what are your colleagues saying? Yes, uh, publicly there is another one. Uh, not so, probably not so, uh, so uh, so so spo so outspoken uh, as me as myself but also as as made some uh, some uh, some text that put out for the public uh, about the so-called pandemic and there are there are many judges in portugal that they are they have um, i would not say a complete clear view overview of, of what is going on but at least uh, a more correct view from the, the the legal perspective of what is going on uh, but they are not uh, they are not coming out to, to speak so i think it's it's normal there are many others otherwise that uh, are completely um, kidnapped by the narrative and they believe in the good face of the government, which is completely um, false. I mean, the government is, we have, in Portugal at least, we have a, a deeply corrupt government. So uh, all they care about our public health if they are in the first place deeply corrupt and they only think about themselves. So. Yeah, that is the impression that we have gotten from our own government here, that they're completely under the control and or in cahoots with the other side. Those who have um, worked on and planned for this pandemic for a very long time. Uh, it is, and this is based on facts, because we know for a fact that for many years, uh, the other side, which we now call um, 
in accordance with the words of uh, Catherine Austin Fitz, who is a former assistant secretary of housing and urban development in the United States. She, she coined the phrase Mr. Global, and that includes all the global corporations and the global NGOs. All of them are being run by the very same people. And mm -hmm. the most important platform on which they meet is the uh, World Economic Forum with their ga annual gatherings in Davos. Um, there's other platforms like Bilderbergers and others, but that seems to be the most important one. And that's why I have come to the conclusion, I think uh, so has Viviana, that uh, just like you're saying about the Portuguese government, the same is true for ours. It's been it's been kidnapped, but of course there are a lot there are many members of parliament who are, well, uh, who have who have uh, fallen for the narrative and believe in this panic mode, um, and yeah. now they cannot get out because they understand. Uh, simultaneously, they, they realize something is not right, but at the same time, they have to understand that they are responsible because they participated in this. So that yeah. makes it extremely, extremely difficult. Do you think, yeah. um, do you think that the population um, understands better what's going on than the government? <clears throat> well, the, the Portuguese government understands very well what's going on. Mm -hmm. So they are their puppets uh, doing the job in Portugal. Um, <clears throat> and they are in, in Portugal, the, 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 the system that they, they use to control the ones that are in, in key roles, in key positions, is through the Freemason uh, secret society. It's not secret, but it's discreet. Um, is is in Portugal is is through that. Mm -hmm. So so in the government they know very well what's going on, and in general politicians in, in Portugal they they understood they understand or they understood already. Some of them, actually, ironically, they pull some strings to be injected uh, in the first um, before the 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 right time for them. And that's very ironic, but that's uh, those are are a few of them. Most of them, they know very well what's going on, mm -hmm. and, the, and the population is still deeply divided. But uh, as in Portugal, as they told, as they tell, we have uh, eighty-five percent of population injected. Um, so I don't know. I think that this number is not really is not right. But we have a majority, for sure, of the population injected. Mm -hmm. So people are understanding more and more, unfortunately, for, for many of them, too late, but are understanding what's going on because they see the consequence. They see the consequence from the injections that, that they are taken. They took, they see what is going on to the to their relatives, to the to themselves. And I think that's that's that is triggering uh, a awakening process. Mm -hmm. But um, I'm uh, I'm afraid that for many of of them is going to be too late. And uh, I hope that the ones that were not they were not injected and they are under a huge pressure, a huge coercion uh, to to get to get injected. I hope they they still have the the, the strength uh, to to resist mm -hmm. because uh, it's so important. 
And can I ask you, like for the, the employers, um, do they also put a lot of pressures on their employees? And uh, plus here we have from, I think, October 11th on, the tests are not going to be uh, for free anymore, but you have to pay for them. So, um, you know, say if you have like three uh, kids um, studying at university and then three times a week or so they have to do a test. And that's basically like, you know, like who, who can pay for this, this amount of money? So this puts uh, people in a very unfortunate situation that they maybe have to get the, the jab you know, even if they don't want it. Is the situation under these two aspects the same in, in Portugal? Uh, in Portugal, they are, they, are not, um, they are not mentioning the, the, that, that idea of, uh, of stopping to, to of, of making people to pay for the test. Mm -hmm. But um, they are they are running uh, massively tests on school in the, on on kids in schools, and um, and um, <clears throat> and most of people here are are injected. So uh, it's not. I think the 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 the, the numbers the figure the, the 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 vaccination rates. I don't want to. I don't like to call them that uh, vaccination, but the vaccination rate in Germany. I think it's much lower than in Portugal. So in Portugal, there is no, there is no need for that. People are complying uh, much more than in other countries, unfortunately. So they don't need any more to use that type of uh, of um, of scam. Mm -hmm. The we were all of us were really surprised, um, but in a very positive way when uh, towards the end of last year, I think it was in October or so, a, a Portuguese appellate court decided that, and I think this, uh, uh, it, it had to do with four German tourists, one of them tested positive, and that's why all of them were quarantined. And then a Portuguese appellate court decided and sustained uh, the trial court's decision that a PCR test, which everything is based on, cannot tell you anything about infections. The funny thing is, it's not funny, um, the tragic thing is that the government doesn't seem to care about this. And before the start of our session, we spoke about this. We spoke about the fact that there's another decision in, in Vienna and in Austria and another one here in Germany. Um, and I spoke with a professor from Portugal at that point, and he said, well, and I asked him, how come you in Portugal have managed to come out with such a decision while everyone else is still waiting? And he said, well, maybe it has to do with the fact that Portugal, like Spain, is one of the few European countries that still remembers what it's like to have a fascist government. Um, th is that... Is that a fact, or is it that many people have, in the meantime, forgotten about that? Well, uh, I don't know if, if that's right, because in Portugal, people also have uh, a very weird uh, relation uh, with, uh, with the state, with the government. They, they still see it as a father figure that can... can uh, can punish but also can reward mm -hmm. so it's it's um, <clears throat> it's ambivalent so i don't know if if that's right but what in portugal there is a there is a legal 
a legal action, a legal measure, measure that is the habeas corpus, that when you are unlawfully uh, arrested or detained, you can request uh, to a judge, to go before a judge and to, to say, look, please arrest me unlawfully or a doctor in this case a doctor ordered my arrest my home arrest my house my home arrest or in the hotel room like it was the, the case of those german uh, tourists in in azores and they they requested the habeas corpus and that was uh, that was the habeas corpus was was approved they were they were set free and then the government appealed to the to the second court in lisbon and the, that decision is from the the second uh, circuit court and uh, it's a it's a, it was so far there is no decision like another decision like that because they, there are some the other decisions saying that you cannot be uh, you cannot be arrested in home, home arrests or in an hotel home or wherever uh, because only the police says or because a doctor says a doctor from the government says that's that's something that there are more decisions uh, about that what this decision was the, the this decision was unique because it's talked it's uh, made a, an approach to the pcr tests and uh, was very clear saying that pcr test is not a way for diagnose anything for diagnose a disease for the for detect uh, detecting a, a, an infection, even if mostly, mostly because you are not, if you, if you are not checked by a doctor in person, you cannot, a PCR test is not, is not uh, enough for, uh, for tell that, for, to say that you are, that you are sick or you are, that you are infected for uh, whatever they, they want, because you know, we know now that PCR tests. We we knew that back then also that PCR tests they don't they are very they are not reliable and they are they produce a lot of false positives and in that case I think it was uh, it was one of them most of them are like that actually mm -hmm. the the PCR test is one of the pillars for the so-called pandemic mm -hmm. is the way is how they control the pandemic is with PCR tests is the is the without that they will not have any pandemic we will not have a so-called pandemic yes that's what we believe too after having spoken to so many experts including the former vice president of Pfizer um, including numerous professors of biology, epidemiology, et cetera, et cetera, including uh, even a Nobel Prize winner, Luc Montagnier from France. We've come to the very same conclusion that the PCR test cannot tell us anything about infections, and it's not even approved for diagnostic purposes. It's yeah. only approved for scientific purposes. And mass testing of healthy people, which <laughs> only happens because the second big lie is that of asymptomatic infections makes yeah. absolutely no sense. So it all looks yeah. very, very staged to us. We have, by the way, in our constitution, a very, um, a very clear regulation in section 104 of our uh, German uh, basic law or constitution. And it says that you can only be jailed or uh, uh, lose your, your freedom of movement 
through a judge's decision. A doctor can't do it, um, and no one can do it except for a judge. However, there have been many instances in which people have been forced to quarantine, self-quarantine yeah. in their homes. And I assume that's the same in, in Portugal, is it? Yeah, that's the same. We also have uh, we also have the the Article 27 in the Constitution that says when someone uh, can when when someone can be uh, <clears throat> can be arrested or detained, we are we have uh, we have uh, actually we have uh, a case that someone can be can be put in a mental uh, institution if it put, if it represents a danger for himself or for, for others. others. Yeah, but also here. that has, has to go has to go to has to be controlled by just afterwards, yeah. before or afterwards. So uh, there, there, there is no for me it would it would be unthinkable that this before if I would if someone would tell me that a doctor could do this, that what they are doing, they put healthy people uh, on home arrest mm -hmm. or the police without going through a judge, I would say no, that, that will be impossible. Not in Portugal, because we still we have a constitution that says otherwise. This cannot cannot happen. But well, it 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 was I think the the the, the figures I think it was on the on dozens of thousands of people on house arrests uh, every day probably still today today probably not so much because of the 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 the, the vaccination but um, but we had some some uh, some uh, a lot not not a lot but some uh, quite a few uh, cases of abish corps that they were approved and when people go through to a judge to say to tell look police put me in house arrest or the the the, the doctor from the the government put me in house arrest they approve the habeas corpus and they set the, the 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 person free so the the, the courts are still the judicial the judicial system is still working not very well is 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 weak but it's still working and um and by the way i wanted to to mention that those judges from that that court case that yeah. we were talking about just now they were they were also threatened for for uh with the disciplinary process i was going to ask you that uh, yeah. because yeah. we heard about that and we mentioned it to another judge uh, an active judge in Italy, and he said, well, we are going to have to alarm the International Association, the Association of International Judges. And I think that's what he did. Um, have they been, are they still uh, active as judges or have they also been suspended? No, no, they were not, there was not disciplinary processes against them, but they were threatened with them, with that. Mm -hmm. So who, who, um... Who gave them this thread? Do you know that? It I was mean... the, yeah, the the the, the Superior uh, Council of the, the Judiciary uh, uh, met. They 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 met. The council met, and um, and one of the one of the, the the things to be decided in that meeting it was if they were 
they were starting a disciplinary process against them. So it's public. That was that there was the 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 the, the chance that 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 would happen. It is very obvious that all of these measures not only the ones that have been taken or threatened against the three that i think that was a three judge panel wasn't it the appellate court yeah yeah, yeah. it's very obvious that all of these measures that uh those judges have been threatened with with and the ones that are being taken against you plus uh, the ones that were taken against the uh, that, that were that, that went beyond disciplinary measure, measures these are actual criminal uh, measures uh, that were taken against this German judge. It's very obvious that all of these measures are politically motivated. Here in this country, it was uh, motivated by the Green Party's representatives in that area. Um, the, the, um, do you think that these measures, I'm, I'm absolutely sure that you're going to get uh, out of this unscathed. And I'm also absolutely sure that the judge here in Germany, whom I happen to know, is going to get away and will be, uh, will be, um, uh, will, uh, all the charges will have to be dropped against him because there are no real charges. The, the ones that they have brought against this judge, which are absolutely laughable considering that they were the basis for um, the uh, search and seizure, uh, measures that were taken against him. Uh, the only charges were that he was he didn't have a substantive um, that he wasn't he shouldn't have done it because it was not his field of law, so to speak, but rather a an administrative uh, court of law should have taken over, not him as a family court law. In the meantime, we have three, two or three decisions by appellate um, courts here in this country that have explicitly stated that in such cases, when a mother um, turns to a judge and tells him, listen, I have a problem because my children seem to be getting tortured at school, that it's of course he who has uh, the power to make a ruling and not the administrative uh, law courts. So I think the real intention of all these measures that are taken against you and this uh, judge here in Weimar are to send a message to the uh, to the remaining judiciary, to yeah. everyone else, yeah. and threaten them to tell them, if you're not in line with the government, we're going to go after you. Do yeah. you agree yeah. with that? I agree. That's mm -hmm. that's the that's one of the the main goals of with the with disciplinary process. Mm -hmm. And with me, actually. They are going to decide on the next uh, next on the seventh this month that if they are going to fire me. So it's a, it's a clear message message they are sending out to to the to the judiciary to the, all the judges and also to the prosecutors because the prosecutors are also I think the prosecutors are even uh, weaker than uh, in the judiciary because they are not independent they are only they have only autonomy uh, on some somehow they are they are attached to the to the government uh, through the ministry of justice so it's even is even a, a more difficult case for them because they are i think lots of them are really afraid to to do something against what's going on
But in, in the general um, society or like people that you talk to, I mean, is this like what we see here now a little bit like in the, the GDR, you know, the former Eastern German, that people like outside you speak in a certain way. And then, you know, when you're at home with family and, you know, people um, talk a very different way and, out, you know, in the in the public realm, they are tr just trying to play along and at home it's different. And do you see that also in Portugal or is, is, are people pretty much under hypnosis and really believe uh, what's going on? That, that no, is I think, I think there, there, there is a lot, there, there, there are a huge, a good, a very good amount of people already that is, that, that they are, already from beginning there 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 were there, there was there were people that they were they understood already what's going on but that's that's growing more and more and there is a huge part that it's not i don't know if it is a huge part it's an important part of the population that is also playing along is mm -hmm. is adapting is is not they they still think that life is going back to normal if okay. they play along for a for a bit and that's fine and uh, they are just in doubt if they are going to get the injection or not maybe to travel or to they don't have they, they don't have the, the big picture but they they don't trust government and they are awakening uh, slowly but they are but they, they are there is a huge part of population that yes is still playing along uh, in the in the outside outside in the street when when i'm outdoors uh, people come to to talk to me and they say look i am a, a public servant i cannot do much i cannot speak out but uh, i support you i understand what's going on and uh, please go go on with that don't give up uh, so um there is uh there is a, a part of population that is awakened that is not speaking out and we don't know because they are they are still complying with everything but just to play to play along mm -hmm. i mean people really have to i mean that's for everyone so in poland uh, i heard the the fourth wave has now started so um you know they're doing the same it's the same it's you know it's the same game over and over again so for those of you who still believe that this is just um you know uh, the that we're just seeing the end of of the whole corona crisis and you know if there's like um lifts of um, ma mask mandates mandates or so in school i mean this is really just an intermezzo i would say and uh, you should really be um, completely aware that uh, you know come fall uh, we're going to see the same game so yeah. really i mean get your yeah, act together the, the, and yeah the influenza season is coming as usual yeah so the problem in Portugal is that we have a majority of population vaccinated or injected, as I normally say. So they will be they they will have to be skilled to put that in the COVID narrative. So so far they are saying that the influenza is coming much stronger than the years before, because people was confined, because people was people were confined because people because we didn't have influenza last year of course we didn't have influenza last year because we had old covid that was influenza actually yeah. uh, that's the reason that we didn't have influenza so or 
they are going to put that in the new strains, the Delta or whatever strains they are coming. But they have to find, they'll have to find um, a good way out because the majority of people is vaccinated. So why should they have COVID? And with counting the, um, you know, the people who are COVID sick, um, we have the, the, you know, this situation that uh, everyone who's um, had their injection, like, uh, you know, only after two weeks after the, the second injection, they're counted as um, vaccinated. So everyone who'd maybe fall ill after, you know, shortly after the first um, uh, injection could still be uh, un is, is counted as kind of or is deemed to be unvaccinated, which means they could be like an unvaccinated COVID death person. You know, that's why we yeah. have all these, the, the, the pandemic of the unvaccinated. Is that the same yeah. in, in Portugal? Yeah, it's kind of the same. Uh, the, what they consider as vaccinated, actually, is someone that is vaccinated uh, only uh, after 14 days after the vaccination or uh, 40 days after the vaccination if you didn't get covid because if you get if you got if you get covid after afterwards probably you are not vaccinated anymore that's precisely or, the same thing that's going on here yeah and people and, uh, that is what what is disturbing people and that is what what's making people really ask tough questions yeah yeah uh that's why i think they look uh, most of the most of the, the the job is is complete in portugal if they say that 85 percent of population is is injected is most of the job is complete mm. so they will keep with the they are keeping with the mask mandate and they are keeping they're opening a bit but we had elections uh some days ago so it's mm. normal that they they were opening a bit but we are getting in the we are it's starting wissen wir hey hat sich aufgehangen das bild I think we can, I think you're frozen right now. Um, and now it's better. Okay, perfect. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's my phone. I am from the car because we are driving from Paris. Okay. Uh, um, so I am not sure what's going on, what's going to happen if we will have another lockdown. How are they going to, to to build the narrative uh, around the new rock lockdown. Mm. I'm curious about that. But they already, the president already uh, warned for the possibility of a new lockdown. Uh, what I think for sure is that this is not stopping. Mm. This is not stopping and they want people not to have only one uh, one shot or two shots there. They want people to have uh, three, four or whatever the enough shots for to 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 shorten the the life expectancy mm -hmm. uh, of the majority of the population so that's what i think that the, the goal of course we have the the objective around this the the certificates that is about control 
controlling and that is going to get also to to be developed because it's not going to stay only with these injections probably they will lend to 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 also to to use for other kinds of they they are talking about already about uh, a flu uh, and the covid vaccine together and um, the control the controlling is going to is going to 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 be more and more strict strict if people don't don't react to what's going on, going on it's uh, it's uh, we are also in a police state in portugal uh, in my perspective mm -hmm. so that is going to get worse more and more if people don't react I agree with that. And um, I think we both agree on, on, on this because from what we have heard, and this is really all based on evidence, this is all based on people's testimony who I have no reason to believe are lying to us. All of them are renowned scientists, historians, doctors, um, scientists from practically, practically every field. and. Plus, it's all out there in the open. You can read. You can read it. You can you can listen to what Bill Gates has said in the in the past, in the recent past. For you can see what his father stood for, eugenics, and you can see what um, that that what's his name, Klaus Schwab, is promoting again, eugenics. So I agree with you. Um, I was I was gonna I was gonna say I don't want to push you, but obviously from the video I saw, no one's going to push you. But I do believe that um, we're not dealing with a corona pandemic, but rather with a PCR test pandemic, which is being used to cover up what they are really doing. And what they're really doing is they're working on population control, including population reduction and uh, the, the the destruction of our economies, in, in particular, our uh, small and medium-sized uh, corporations so that their market share can be taken over by American platforms. Our German uh, yeah. car industry seems to be taken, uh, taken over by the uh, Chinese. We don't, there is still a lot of fog out there, but it is very obvious to us that this is a this this agenda this uh, covid narrative is a complete hoax and it's being used to divert our attention from away from what is really going on and those are the facts that i just mentioned um i i understand that you get uh, you you get your information not just from the mainstream media but from other sources so have you come to the same conclusion yes yes same. Well, I, I don't watch TV for for some years. Yeah. For for seven years or something. So I think that happened. In the beginning, I I still believe in the pandemic because I I was I was never into conspiracy theories or something like that. So um, in in the beginning, I believe that the, the there was a pandemic, but that then people were not dying. That was the that was a trigger for me to to start questioning if people is not dying are not dying probably we don't have that pandemic why are they pushing the uh, this into the into into the population so uh, actually i wanted to mention something that in portugal i found out that the portuguese government is is faking the the numbers for the general mortality uh -huh. so they are putting they are putting numbers afterwards every day. So otherwise we will not have a deadly pandemic because 
there will not be increase of, of general mortality. So they are faking the numbers and that they are completely, they are dishonest, that they are liars and they are extremely, extremely corrupt. And of course, they are puppets. Mm-hmm. But right now, I mean, when you say you have um, a lot of people telling that there is, um, you know, that the vaccination damages and that there are maybe people dying after vaccination. So I think there should be like some sort of increase in the, you know, the, the death rate. Um, do you see that or is that also yes, fumbled yes. with? I, I, I'm, I'm right now, the death rate, right now, I mean, after, after summer, uh is starting to be to be um, bigger than last year mm-hmm. but that but i don't know but again i don't know if those numbers are right because i found out that government is 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 cheating mm-hmm. on that level is faking those numbers so i don't know if the numbers that we are getting from the the official website are are right What I know, because people are, are coming to me and they are telling me on local towns that there are lots of people dying, very normal, mm-hmm. uh, um, a very odd um, mortality, mm-hmm. very high. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I am starting also to, to investigate, but has to be locally. Yeah. We're getting these reports as well from even from doctors on through our whistleblower tool. We're getting all of these reports from doctors and nurses, people who work in the hospitals. Um, We're going to have another guest on our session tonight um, uh, who is a uh, who is an undertaker from uh, England, from Great Britain. Um, and he says it's very, very disturbing. And this is also what we're hearing from all these other experts from the healthcare industry. It's very disturbing to see how many people are dying. Um, we, well, we can't prove causation yet, but there's there's clear evidence that these people are dying in 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 close. In, in in close proximity of the date of uh, of their so-called vaccinations, yeah. and they're trying to cover this up by one not counting anyone as vaccinated who uh, got the shots um, within the last 14 days, just like in Portugal. Yeah. And the other yeah. thing that we just learned is that they're also manipulating the figures of those um, who they claim they don't know the status of vaccination of many of them are over 60 now in this country i believe 80 percent of the over 60 are vaccinated however yeah. half of the numbers that have been reported with adverse reactions concern people who they now claim uh, their um, vaccination status is unclear But those are all people who are over 60. So if the narrative is true that 80% of them have been vaccinated, then they shouldn't have been excluded from this. If you put them back into the count, the numbers of people with adverse reactions after vaccination would go would spike it would be incredible and and that is probably why they're doctoring the numbers why they're trying to make us believe that it's far less uh serious than it really is because that is the one thing 
that cannot be swept under the rug. All of the people who are dying after vaccination or mm -hmm. suffering other adverse effects. And that is what's yeah. making people nervous in Portugal as well, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, mm -hmm. of course. And I think there is, they're also starting people to understand it, it's, it's a slower process because it's not so immediate mm -hmm. uh, that uh, it's for, for women, it's starting to get harder to get pregnant. Yeah. And that started, that's, that's starting to be, to be noticed also. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting. I mean, if you have any information like on all these, um, you know, if you have doctors and pathologists and others, um, you know, they should really um, that you maybe know or like come across later, they should really get in touch with us in uh, in the in on September 20th, we had this large conference pathology conference, you can find it on the pathologieconference.de will post it also in the chat, and we can send you the link There's we have it translated also in other languages, I think Italian is on Spanish, English, we okay. can also add a Portuguese version you know, okay. and then um, you can see, so we had two really ex experienced um, pro professors for pathology. They looked at, I think it was 10 dead people. And um, in seven of the cases, they said it's likely or very likely that it's connected to uh, having received the, the vaccination. And it's really, it's like myocarditis, it's like thrombosis and all yeah. kinds of yeah. like, um, yeah. also like a, some sort of lymphocyte storm, uh, events like an autoimmune yeah. reaction that went on and after that we received a lot of emails also from for instance like a, a radiologist um, and he sent um, pictures uh, and it 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 was very strange you know like it seems that the lymph nodes are like all of a sudden they're gigantically big and they looked as yeah. if they exploded and he, he had yeah. no explanation for that and uh, so um, yeah. we really have to, you know, there's, we're in touch with a lot of, um, uh, or the team is in touch with a lot of um, doctors also from abroad. It would be great to join forces also with people from Portugal who have yeah. made the same experience. Yeah, that would be amazing. We are, we are, we are trying to get those, those reports and to, 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 to search on that research and to investigate. So yes, we will, we'll, we will uh, give you all the information that we are we managed to to get from Portugal and uh, yes yeah. you founded your own movement right uh, I think it's yeah. it's called what is it called Habis Corpus okay Habis yeah mm -hmm. and uh, is it um, we have a group of of uh, judges and prosecutors who have now. Uh, well, they haven't really come out into the open. Some of their members have, but they have their own website called Krista, K-R-I-S-T-A, and it's short for Critical uh, Judges and Prosecutors. Um, so there is something going on behind the scenes. I can understand why many of them don't want to come out. One of yeah. them, I think, uh, did come out in an interview and um, he didn't, um, he, he says, he, he, he uh, when he started the interview, um, he, he didn't exactly say that he's a judge, but he is a judge um, because he doesn't, he wants to avoid 
as much as he can, of course, he wants to avoid trouble because if you want to change something, it's easier to do it from within the system than from outside of it, unless you don't have a choice anymore. So what I would really like to do is uh, put you in touch with this group and so that your group of uh, judges and prosecutors and, and, and lawyers maybe um, are part of a bigger group. Of course, we're all going to have to work on our in our individual countries, but I think it makes sense. It's really important, I believe, uh, for all of us to join forces. Yeah, that would be amazing. Uh, uh, it would, I would be very happy to 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 be useful for uh, uh, to be part of that. It, it would be amazing. Uh, I'm available. <laughs> very good. Very good. Okay. Is there anything that uh, we may have left out? Is there any important piece of information that uh, should be mentioned still? Yes, uh, it's. Uh, I, I I wanted to also. I don't know if you are aware of 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 this. I I started in Portugal a criminal lawsuit against the government and everybody involved with the vaccination program for Very crimes against, for crimes against humanity. I can uh, I can uh, also send you the the case and um, it's very recent. It's, I I I followed it. I followed it in in uh, you know, on the 25th of last month. So it's starting now. It's it's a working progress because we have to add. Uh, I have to add a lot. Also keep adding uh, means of proof and. Uh, yeah. And, uh, uh, and more facts, and, um, but it's starting now. Okay, so this is definitely, yeah, please do send us the uh, complaint that you filed. Um, yeah. And it makes even more sense now that we join forces so that we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Because much of yeah, the of evidence that is coming out in your country or in our country or in yeah. the United States is probably applicable in all of our countries because the facts yeah. are always the same. This is a yeah. lockstep approach. So yeah. if we and there will be more cases that we're going to be winning and more important cases as well, the more cases we get, the easier it will be to eventually wrap everything up in maybe a, a big international um, Corona tribunal like Nuremberg yeah. 2.0 or something yeah. like that. But it has yeah. I think this is way too big for any of our individual judicial systems to deal with it. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. Yes. 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 No doubt about that. It's very important to join forces, and actually, just by uh, out of curiosity, I I was living in Nuremberg at, uh, for 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 five years. Wow. Until until very recently, my wife is German, so I was living there. Did you uh, visit uh, the famous room 600 where the Nuremberg yeah. trial took? <laughs> yeah, I, I was not in the room, but I was in the in the in the in the court building because yeah. uh, uh, yes, I went there mm -hmm. and uh, I took some pictures. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I did too. I was uh, I was surprised how small it is. It looks so much bigger yeah. on television, but it was yeah, really yeah. small. Uh, yeah, but no. that's where history played out, and it seems like we haven't learned from history. Not yet. Yeah, no, not at all. Yeah, not mm -hmm. yet. Not mm -hmm. yet. Uh, hopefully, hopefully we will. We will. I'm sure yeah. we will. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. This was uh, a real honor, and it's a pleasure to talk to someone who really knows what he's talking about. It was, the, it was my honor, and uh, thank you so much for the invitation. I really appreciate it. 
and um, I would be very happy to keep in touch and to be helpful uh, uh, within my reach. And uh, I'm available for for uh, what you need from me. Very good. We will definitely take you up on this offer. Thank you so okay. much and have a very safe trip. Thank you. Thank you. Have a nice day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Yeah. And now uh, we have um, another guest from Israel. His name is Dr. Shimon Yanovitz. Um, he's an electrical engineer and independent researcher. Uh, Shimon and I have known each other for quite a while now because we have been uh, cooperating um, on a um, on a panel that includes many lawyers and others um, in the um, well circle of CHD Ch Children's Health Defense of uh, Robert F Kennedy Jr. So Shimon, uh, are you in Israel right now? Um, yes. Can Can you see me? Yes, uh, we can see you. How oh, are okay. you? Uh, oh, okay. Now uh, I'm. I look better. <laughs> I'm in Israel right now. Uh, so hello, Reiner, and hello, Vivian. It's hello. Good. Good to see you again. Yes, I'm in Israel, unfortunately, <laughs> because uh, I would very much rather not be here, but. Oh. Uh, yeah, this is uh, this is it. So, what's the situation in Israel right now? I saw this. Uh, you know, I want also. I would like to recommend it for for watching. Uh, I saw a um, someone had put that together from Israel. A lady, and uh, you know, it's called Vax testimonies, and there are a lot of people speaking out what had happened to them, like you know, all the side effects from from bleedings through um, thrombosis, through heart problems, neurological um, issues, and all kinds of things that are really nasty, and people say that they're still very um, de de cap de uh, decapacitated, you know, because incapacitated. of incapacitated for what they've experienced just after the vaccination. So see, do you see a lot of people with problems right now? What's the status? The status is uh, terrible. Oh. And um, we also have in Israel uh, a Corona Ausschluss. Mm. And they are compiling data of v verse, you know, vaccine adverse effect reaction mm -hmm. uh, system, because the Israeli government simply does not provide a reliable verse system or any verse system. And this video that you mentioned, Vivian, the, it's a very important project by an individual nice lady who collected some 40 testimonies but the Corona Ausschluss has collected hundreds or maybe thousands of testimonies from people or from their relatives, because in some cases the people are no longer with us, unfortunately. Um, so um, we have plenty uh, of adverse effects, including deaths. And um, still, the government uses a rhetoric that is so amazingly fascist. And this is not unique to Israel, but what shocks me is that in Israel, of all places, we should now have a government that is clearly 
doing such terrible crimes against humanity to its people. And uh, uh, we recently have had a change of government. I heard that you also had elections in Germany. Yeah. So we had the new prime minister. Runner, I don't know if you uh, got into the parliament or not. I hope you did. But, um... No, we didn't. We didn't. We did. We did pretty well. Um, and we are now receiving um, dozens and dozens of reports about voter fraud. We are going to have to look into this. But despite all of this, uh, we did pretty well. We uh, got 735,000 votes, which is very unusual for a brand new party. We've only been in existence for over a year, a little over a year. And um, and it looks as though in some parts of this country, uh, we know of two places in particular, we won the majority of the votes, in each case between 24 and 25 percent, which is pretty good for German standards. But this country is now slipping into uh, Weimar conditions, uh, and it's a big question if uh, this country will be capable of, uh, of forging a coalition of probably three or more parties. It's a very big question. But maybe that's what the other side want, uh, so that uh, eventually they're going to be able to uh, tell us or make the majority of the people believe, oh, you're, you cannot form your own government, but uh, you have to deal with really important crises, including the corona crisis. And then, of course, the next crisis will be the climate crisis. So it's best if you listen to the European government under the leadership of what's her name, uh, Ursula von der Leyen, who's just another graduate of the uh, Global Young Leaders Program of the World Economic Forum. Right. So our previous prime minister, Mr. Netanyahu, was a frequent visitor to the World Economic Forum in Davos. But now we have a, a new, younger prime minister. Uh, there is a new breed of young prime ministers. And um, the situation is not any better, Reiner. Mm -hmm. In fact, they are using the same rhetoric, the same method. It's different coalition parties different people, but the system, the method, stays the same. Mm -hmm. So just to continue on the situation in Israel, um, we had some uh, terrible incitement by our new prime minister, um, Bennett. He recently said, all unvaccinated people are like terrorists. Mm -hmm. Sorry, he didn't use the word terrorist, I must be uh, accurate, are like dangerous people that are walking with machine guns on the streets and are spraying the passerbys with uh, viruses. I mean, what kind of rhetoric? He, he might as well have used the word terrorist because yeah. what is the next step? So we are criminals and dangerous people <clears throat> and uh, does he want to put us in concentration camps? So, um, you know, uh, in March of 2020, it was clear to me because one of the things that I do is study history. And I heard you say before, just a few minutes ago, that what I also always say, if we do not learn from history, it's destined to repeat itself yeah. and not in favorable ways. So 
What I was seeing in March of 2020 was that the entire Western world, including Israel, was suddenly lockstepping from, you know, relatively democratic states to um, fascist totalitarian regimes. And, and then we have such rhetoric. And um, um, this is uh, very important to me personally, uh, because I am second generation to Holocaust survivors. And I'm a friend of uh, Vera Sharavs. Mm -hmm. And we also are in contact with uh, Dr. Vladimir Zev Zelenko and others. Mm -hmm. And many of us, because we are Jewish, Jewish and because we are either victims, direct victims or descendants of direct victims of the Holocaust, we want to say we are having a genocidal Holocaust brewing and we can see these uh, effects or events in the number of people that are dying from the vaccines. So Vivian, um, well, I can tell you a lot more about the situation in Israel. Uh, I could even share my screen and show, show some graphs if you want. But please leave the questions. Ask me what mm -hmm. else uh, I can tell you. Yeah, if you have graphs, I mean, that would be very interesting, you know, because we have these, uh, you know, these basically these, um, you know, stories that people tell about like what terrible has happened to them. But it's, it's I mean, if we can see it in a more aggregated form, I mean, of course, that's very uh, interesting, you know, or like important for others to see what's what's really going on on a larger scale. Uh, or we hear, for example, Shimon, we hear that, and I've seen reports um, that um, 85 or even 86 percent of the people who are now hospitalized, not because they're cases who tested positive, but because they really have symptoms. 85 or 86 percent of the people who are now hospitalized with COVID symptoms are those who have gotten uh, the vaccinations. Is that correct? I think it's even more severe than that. Uh, the vast majority of the people who are hospitalized or in intensive care units have received two or three doses. And I can show you graphs uh, soon um, of uh, the Pfizer. And now we also have the Moderna mm -hmm. uh, variant of the injectables. I refuse to call these vaccines because yeah. uh, all the scientists uh, that I'm talking to are convinced that this should not be injected into people. So to answer your question, yes, the vast majority of people who are hospitalized have been injected. But surprisingly, they are not always developing symptoms of COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, as, as I heard you say, COVID is a huge distraction. Now, what is COVID? COVID is a... Um, uh, severe acute respiratory sin syndrome, right? This is what COVID is. It, it even has a virus after, uh, after its name called SARS-CoV-2. SARS is severe acute respiratory syndrome. Now, what do we see in hospitals? We see people with strokes, with brain hemorrhages, with myocarditis and pericarditis, with heart failure, with heart attacks, 
we see, we see people with uh, multi-system inflammatory syndrome. We see organ failure. We see people with cancer. With, we see women bleeding out of mens normal menstruation, and we see spontaneous abortions, and we see still births. Such a tragic event. A mother is carrying a, a fetus for nine months, and then it is born dead because the mother has been um, injected with, with this. So there is a whole spectrum, and I also have the um, the report, not it's not updated, it's, it's updated as of August 5th of the Israeli Corona Auschwitz and who have compiled uh, uh, reports about uh, what makes people ill. And you can see this is an impressive spectrum of uh, adverse events, most severe of which is death. Hmm. And uh, it has been said, even on mainstream television, I don't know, but they have how I don't know how it happened, but they have let it slip more than once that the vast majority of those who are in critical or severe conditions are the ones who have received these injections. Is that making? Is that beginning to make? people become more skeptical? Are, are people beginning to wonder what is really going on? Um, amazingly, not enough, mm -hmm. I'm afraid. So uh, there is some, uh, you know, there is a, an expression in English, being able to connect the dots. Mm -hmm. So I think that the majority of, of the people with their cognitive dissonance are failing to connect the dots. We had already uh, a community that is uh, a, a community of awake people. And uh, for us, this is nothing new. This is expected. And for me personally, I was for more than a year and a half now involved in testing the technologies that are used, um, such as this. This is a piece of technology that they are using. I can talk more about it later. Um, and I was involved with uh, Dr. Antonia Tagati in testing. What is, it, what is exactly on this thing? And um, so the majority of the people uh, still are lining up to get the third booster dose now. Mm -hmm. And our uh, Corona Tsar has already stated that we should prepare for the fourth booster or oh, so, sorry the fourth dose which is the second booster so it, it they what they said is basically that we should expect that every six months there will be another booster shot because they are so desperate to inject into people something that is so you know you have you have to give it to them the the success rate of this, these injectables at killing people is impressive. And uh, uh, I, I have seen, Rainer and Vivian, I've seen your um, whistleblower video out of a nursing home. Mm -hmm. And you have to, be, to wonder how they can get away with such murder 
and genocide. And people still line up because they want to believe that the government is working for their best interests, which clearly it isn't. And another thing out of Israel is that um, I think that uh, today is the, uh, the first. So either uh, on Sunday or two days later, uh, they have done two things. First of all, they uh, to, to uh, manipulate the numbers, they have reinvented the term vaccinated. What it means to be, what does it mean? If you receive one or two doses, does it mean that you're vaccinated? It used to, but not any longer, because the health minister, the new health minister, has explained to the nation that from now on, if you have had f five months or longer pass, lapse, since you got your last dose, no matter what number it is, number two, number three, number four, after five months, you are considered not vaccinated. <laughs> Doesn't matter how many uh, doses you have received, which is, I find amazing. So if you die, right? So if you die, um, say, uh, five more than five months after receiving your first, your last uh, dose, they can classify you as having died because you are unvaccinated. Yeah. That, that's incredible. In the meantime, the people who are really unvaccinated, I mean, the people who haven't received even one dose are having their lives made miserable. I am one of them. Mm. We are expelled from all public activities. We are expelled from, um, you know, from doing sport in, in our clubs and participating in concerts and events and, uh, what is the next step? Will they prevent us from going to buy food in the supermarket? Um, so this is one thing. So a redefinition of the term, what it means to be vaccinated. To be vaccinated means no more than five months after your last dose. And then one question, sorry, um, because uh, we have the situation here and in Portugal it's the same that you have to be vaccinated and 14 days after that you're counted as vaccinated, you know, so they're also defining and, and before that you're unvaccinated. So if you have like anything in, you know, anywhere at any point between the second dose plus 14 days, you're basically unvaccinated and then you could be considered like an unvaccinated corona in infected or sick person. So it's, it's, I mean, do you have something similar? I find it amazing that we have this kind of redefinitions of things that you would normally consider, you know, that we dealt oh, with in a, yeah, well, in a fraudulent, or, I mean, that we have the same redefinition process going yeah. on worldwide, it seems. That's very strange. Yes, we have something similar here, and I suspect that this is worldwide. Yeah, and uh, it's a lockstep approach. It's a lockstep approach, and they have a narrative. The narrative is simple. These injections that I can show you later, we know what's in them. There's a lot of toxins and poisonous stuff in them. These injections, right, they need to build up antibodies in your body, so it takes time. And for example, in the case of uh, um, the Pfizer vaccine, uh, you you take uh, one 
one dose, and then you have to wait three weeks to get the, the second dose. If, in, in my case, because I'm not vaccinated. And even after the second dose, you're still not vaccinated because you have to have antibodies. You don't have sufficient levels of antibodies, whatever that is, against, against some kind of fraudulent pathogen that is obviously a distraction. Mm -hmm. Now, in addition to what you said, Vivian, that, you know, you have to wait. If you die uh, two weeks after the injection, you didn't die of the injection because maybe you you still didn't have enough antibodies. <laughs> but then again, after after five months, you have to be injected again. Otherwise, you again enter a classification of unvaccinated. This is all amazing. The and newest the newest trick here is and and uh, I wasn't even aware of that because I don't I can't bring myself to look at the. Uh, at the multitude of different laws and legal regulations because they're all contradictory. They make absolutely no sense. Um, but the newest trick is anyone who has symptoms, anyone who has symptoms is not vaccinated because if he were vaccinated, he wouldn't have any symptoms. Um, I mean, how stupid do they think we are? And I think in many cases, they're probably correct that there are more, many more stupid people amongst us than we've ever been aware of. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> um, you, got, you, you have got to give them credit. Mm -hmm. uh, they are manipulating people that demonstrate a level of, I don't know if, what is the right term, stupidity, brainwashing, or hypnosis, or mass psychosis, all these terms could potentially be applied to all these people who simply cannot connect the dots mm. and they are failing to see what's going on. Mm. So uh, um, I was trying to talk to my friends who are, as we call, asleep, and they say to me, uh, please, enough, we don't want to hear it anymore. Mm -hmm. And uh, we tell you that when they come up with the third, the booster shot, and then the, the, the other shots, we will continue to get them. And not only that, we don't want to talk to you anymore. We don't want to even to see you. Mm -hmm. So in the Jewish holiday season that we just had in Israel, um, I could not visit my family and, and members and friends because they don't want to see me. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't, <laughs> in, in the archery club, that I participate in. I have many trophies. You see, I can even show you here in trophies of you know, archery. Mm -hmm. uh, I have some bigger ones also. Uh, uh, here is one. Um, yeah, okay. So I cannot uh, participate in this archery anymore. But what is more amazing is the rhetoric of the some, not all, but some of the other members in the club. Uh, they say that even if you could participate, we don't want you here. You are a threat, you are a danger. And they cannot conceive of the fact that what puts them at great danger is the injections <clears throat> that they have been given. One thing I want to tell you about the injections is that I have identified a mechanism in the toxins in the injections that can be perhaps described as a biphasal effect. 
two-stage effect. It's like a two-stage missile. The first effect is rather immediate. Immediate means it can it can happen from from uh, uh, within an hour or two or three weeks after the injection. But those who are still okay after three weeks, they should not feel safe at all because I can see that there is some sort of uh, a secondary effect that is lurking in their bodies. And uh, I also want to um, relate to the somewhat similar findings that we had from the uh, pathologists in Germany. I saw your, your video there, Vivian, uh, with, the, with the German pathologist, and they have identified in the corpses of the victims some of the nanotechnology and the, or the microtechnology that we have previously found in the injections. And there are yet more things that need to be found in the corpses and we found them in the, in the injections. So I anticipate that there could be some, um, and, and we, in fact, we see exactly that. Some people are getting injured. Injured means either heart attack or stroke or myocarditis or death within two or three weeks. And some people get it within two or three months and some people are even later than that. And, uh, you know, with regard to the pathology conference, I mean, just to, um, you know, my understanding was that they have not identified any nanoparticles or anything like that. I think they, they in one, one body, there was a little metal thing that they detected, but it was unclear if it was connected to the vaccination process. That's not, that has to be, you know, further investigated. But I think so far there's no, no connection. They were just wondering. But um, other than that, that, what they, I mean, basically found was a lot of, of blood clothing and um, and uh, you know these infl inflammatory processes and like this like life food side storm effects you know these kind of things but it's definitely I mean we looked also at the at the um, in the corpses themselves I mean we had pictures of um, of uh, of uh, you know uh, photos what what people saw like uh, videos what people saw under the microscope uh, when looking at the vaccines but that was like also preliminary i mean just to sort of introduce these pictures to the world and then uh, you know it was also a call to action obviously for for other scientists and researchers to look closer at what's going on and um, you know and there was like i mean in the vaccines the this university that's still working undercover this team there they said there was like metals like um like iron and and uh, i think it was chrome and a third one nickel i don't know what's that in english maybe the same i don't know but um so so yeah. that was clear that you know there's something that's maybe that's just um you know um lots of stuff that doesn't stuff belong in there yeah that seems at least you know uh, raises questions like mm -hmm. why it's in there but i mean so far no nano stuff in the sense of like really um has been found to that extent, you know, nanoparticles in the sense of like really that it's a robot or like a, a nanobot or whatever. I mean, that would be very interesting, of course. And I know that a lot of people are investigating maybe also with this in mind, but that's nothing that was proved or like shown at the at the pathology conference. But of course, also for you, if um, I mean, 
any pathologist from Israel and other places in the world is obviously invited to get in touch with us or like with the pathology. I think we should all connect, Shimon. Well. We should all connect. We must all connect. All of the scientists, yeah. all of the doctors, all of the lawyers. We have to have our own panel. And even if it's only in preparation for what is bound to happen eventually, which is the International Corona Tribunal, I don't care if you call it Nuremberg 2.0 or, or whatever, but I think that's what we're going to need because, as I pointed out to uh, Judge uh, Dr. Castro from Portugal, you've listened to much of what he said, I, I presume. As I pointed out to him, um, we in our individual countries, most of the judiciaries in our individual countries certainly the one here in Germany, probably the one in, in Israel as well, is compromised because they have uh, they have stacked the courts with their own people, not just over the last year and a half, but over at least the last 10 years or so. So we, uh, we have uh, lots of difficulties to overcome. It still makes sense to file cases, probably much more so now in the United States than at the beginning of the pandemic because people seem to be waking up quicker there than uh, here. And, this, and the uh, society is, of course, much more polarized than ours, because I think about 50% of the people, maybe more, uh, have already woken up and will not play along anymore, even public servants. Um, but is uh, you, you haven't said anything about the judiciary in Israel. Are they under control of the, uh, of the mainstream media and the, of Mr. Global, or how would you describe that situation? Uh, you described it very well. <laughs> I think that uh, they have been building up. You know, I've researched for about 25 years what was going on in the world. Uh, so it, it's more than a decade. Uh, they have placed their own people everywhere mm. in, the, in the judiciary system, in the military, in the police system, in the government, in the parliaments, everywhere. And I think that um, the judiciary system in Israel, I wouldn't say that it's almost like it's non-existent. Huh. <laughs> uh, theoretically, it exists, but uh, you know, if you submit, and some people are filing some lawsuits to the Supreme Court, uh, they get automatically rejected. Mm -hmm. It's like there, there's no dis real discussion at all. Mm -hmm. and, I'm not particularly interested in the personal criminal or three criminal charges against former Prime Minister Netanyahu, but I can tell you that his own personal trial is not taking place at all. It's like a joke, mm -hmm. right? So um, it's like the, all the, um, the uh, establishments of the, of the state uh, are collapsing and I feel that pretty soon we'll have the financial system collapsing. But in terms of the judiciary system, it is um, very sad what, what's happening here. And uh, Rainer, I suspect that it's uh, pretty much the same everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I think this can only be solved, as you said, by joining forces internationally because no one country can solve the, such problems on its own. We need to cooperate across the globe. And I'm trying to do that by participating in those uh, groups, international groups where I had the pleasure of meeting you and, and such groups. 
so that I can try to contribute to this kind of cooperation to, to help create a global movement that might have more, more power than uh, local national uh, movements that are, are failing. Mm. Yeah, failing is the right word because there is an in-between. There's not just black and white. There's also some, some shades of gray in between. Um, and some people, even from our judiciary, are stepping out into the open uh, and are openly discussing the failures of the judiciary. However, they're only discussing it in legal terminology. They're talking about proportionality. They're talking about how our uh, federal system is being eroded because we have only one commander in chief, so to speak. The um, the, the um, state, the governors of our individual states have practically no power anymore because they only do what the what the chancellor has been telling uh, them, at least over the last uh, year and a half. So I think the most important step to take is the one from, oh, there are lots of mistakes being made to, oh my God, this is being done intentionally. Because once you have taken that step, you are beginning to take the right measures. But the most important one, I think, is that is that we all need to collect, uh, connect. We have to, I, I guess what we have to do is we have to shape our own um, parallel society um, and step forward with uh, good examples of setting up a new uh, judiciary, a new um, education system, a new uh, medical system, whatever it takes. But the most important thing is to connect, exchange our ideas and, uh, and then come out with something that is positive and something that is attractive to all of those who are still hesitating. Because I know from what you're telling me and from what uh, Dr. Uh, Castro from Portugal tells us, that there are many people who are having serious doubts but are not speaking up. And if we can show them what's really going on, and also if we can go forward and uh, show them that we have an attractive, a really nice new um, society coming up on the horizon, appearing on the horizon, I think that'll win many people over. I, 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 um, I absolutely agree. Um, so the, the uh, institutions of our society are failing us. And I'm talking about the governments, the uh, judicial system, the schools, even the hospitals, Reiner. You know, one thing I wanted to mention that's happening in Israel is that they have started injecting into people some medication called remdesivir. Yeah. And this remdesivir, if you go to hospital and you have, you know, just a minor respiratory symptoms, by means of this fake PCR test that we know it's fake. We know it has nothing to do with any kind of virus or anything. And you can, if you control the number of cycle, you can make, you can find with it anything that you want. So if you, if they turn you to a COVID case, even if you're not very sick, they can then inject you with remdesivir. And we, uh, I think that uh, Ulrike Kammerer has uh, given me a figure of between maybe 11 percent, 11 as much as as 11 percent of the people, if not more, who get injected with remdesivir, 
are dying. And they are not dying because of COVID. They are dying because of the toxicity of remdesivir. And um, uh, Vivian, I, I can show you the photos of the nanoparticles. You need to understand that not all nanoparticles are nanorobots. There, there is a difference. Nanoparticles can just be very fine dust. I'm but, really curious to see that. You know, you okay, also... so I, I, I will maybe I will show you in a second. I just want to uh, echo what uh, Reiner has said. It is obvious that our health system, our judicial system, our government system, um, our education, all of these systems are failing or have already failed. And in Israel, I guess that in many other countries, people are taking their children out of the school system. There is also the, the some of them are afraid because our government has let uh, a, a group of uh, vaccinators enter the school to to vaccinate the the over 12 year olds at, in school. Why not? And so many uh, people, uh, parents think that they can submit some form of objection, but they're afraid that peer pressure and group pressure might get their children to get the jab. And we, we know that it's not good for their health. Uh, so before I move to the nanoparticles, I would like to uh, re echo, Reiner, what you said. We need to build an alternative society, and we need, we need to do it globally. And uh, um, I'm, I don't know uh, about the... Uh, Nuremberg trials, obviously there are um, crimes against humanity being committed, but the, even the International Criminal Court in Hague, right, is stuffed by their own people. So it's, it has been rendered useless. It's not functioning. It, um, there are quite a few uh, appeals submitted from Israel, from France. They're not being listened to. They're not being heard in, in yeah, the, problem, the problem, uh, Shimon, with the one case that was filed, with the one complaint, criminal complaint that was filed with the International Criminal Court by uh, a group of Israeli lawyers is that they are not part of the uh, International Criminal Court, just like the United States uh, are not part of, theirs, of that court system. But that doesn't mean that their case cannot be brought to the attention of the International Criminal Court. We know that there are a group of uh, non-lawyers, they call themselves human right def right, uh, rights defenders, and they have been working on a case to be brought before the International uh, Criminal Court. Um, they've been working on this case for, I think, over a year now, collecting all the evidence, including evidence from Israel. So something is going to happen there. They, I told them the same story. I told them that most of the international courts have been stacked by the likes of George Soros and um, Bill Gates, but they're saying, well, there's still, there's still enough people left who we can rely on. We'll see. We'll see. But they're still working on it. Um, I do believe that ultimately uh, we will uh, only succeed on an international level. For example, if we file cases in India, in South Africa, now uh, in the United States as well, ultimately it'll take an international corona court, uh, which will probably have to be set up either on extraterritorial grounds or in a place where they uh, will not interfere. Um, and we're also, Viviana and I are also thinking about uh, 
uh, talking to more politicians now because there are lots of politicians who are also willing to come forward. The first one was um, uh, one from a um, uh, uh, from um, California. Uh, she's a member of the board, Sue Frost, uh, member of the board of supervisors of Sacramento County, and she was the example, which uh, uh, two active and former politicians from from Sweden then followed and talked to us. And I I think there are more people who are willing to come out. Now the latest piece of information that should push people in our direction or towards a uh, international connection is what I just heard from, uh, I think this was on Fox News by Tucker Carlson this morning. And he tells us about plans of uh, President Biden to um, punish every employer who has someone working for them who is not vaccinated with a fine of $700,000. I don't know if you've heard about this. Totally insane. Um, I, I don't think this is going to, um, this, I, I think the other side is in, in serious trouble. Uh, and if you look at the scales, if you look at the, if, if, if you look at how hard they're pushing, um, they're, they're raising the pressure ever more and more. And at the same time that they're doing this, our side, the people who are maybe not necessarily on our side yet, but are thinking about, is there something wrong here? The level of people, the number of the people who are asking questions is going up as well. So uh, I think this is their last breath. This is their last gasps. It's gonna go on up for a little while longer, but I think it's, it's um, we're coming close to a turning point. I know that a lot of people have been saying this for a long time, but you have to take into consideration, they have had probably more than 10 years, probably 20 or 30 years to prepare for this. And we have had a year and a half to understand what's going on. So that may be one of the reasons why it's taking us so long, but it is building up there. There is a momentum that's building up and there's a movement that's building up. And we're now in touch with active politicians from all over the world. And I think more and more of them will be speaking out and connecting with each other thus shaping a new type of society, which is totally different from what they have in mind with their Great Reset. Yeah, so uh, these words of, of uh, careful optimism on your part, uh, I think are very important, especially in Israel, but probably everywhere, because many people, uh, myself included, are lo losing, um, we lose heart. We, we, we notice what's happening and we are getting very depressed. On the other hand, as you said, Reiner, there is some change in the, you know, some people who were injected who, and who got, who, who had a heart attack, but they survived. Mm -hmm. Suddenly they're saying, I'm not going to take the third, yeah. Uh, yeah. third jab. Mm -hmm. Show me, mm -hmm. show me what's in there. So, Okay, I can say to them, good morning. We are happy to have you woken up. Would you like to see what's in the injectables? Yeah. So more and more people are waking up to that. And more and more people are, not enough, but there is a gradual motion towards people asking questions and connecting the dots and realizing that this is a fraud. Mm -hmm. 
and this is what's called a scandemic. And all the all the methodologies, the fake PCR test and the, the shutting up of the of our mouths, as was the case in the Spanish flu era. Um, Corvin here told me, would you like to speak about research, your research on the Spanish flu? Uh, I can, can speak uh, a lot. So they have prepared this, I think, from at least 1918, which is when the Spanish flu broke out. And my research showed that the Spanish flu was caused by lethal injections, right? So I have the papers to show, to prove, and I also made a video. And what did they do during the Spanish flu in 1918? They asked people to go with face masks. So, yeah, I think that they have been preparing for this so for a long the, time. What was the effect of the face masks in the during the Spanish flu? No, no effect whatsoever. The Span since the Spanish flu was caused by lethal injections, many of the people who got in, all of the people who got injected got sick. Not all of them died, but many of them died. Nobody who did not receive an injection ever died in that pandemic. So there were, the, whatever was calling the people, causing the people to die was the toxin, were the toxins in the, in the injection. And this was not contagious. So what good were the face masks? The face masks were as they are today, a means of either controlling the population, disciplining the population, or in the, in the case of the current face masks, I can describe the, the, here there are nanoparticles. If you take an electron microscope and look at this lining, you see this has two sides. There is an outer blue side and there is the whiter lining in the inside. The, the white lining, as we saw with the electron, you cannot see that in an ordinary microscope because nanoparticles, by their definition, are too small to be seen with an optical microscope. Mm -hmm. But if you, if you look at this with an electron microscope, suddenly you see a whole world of nanoparticles, in this case, titanium dioxide. And I can tell you that it is very unhealthy, unhealthy and even toxic to your body, to your lungs, because what, what's happening when you put this mask on, you start inhaling all these uh, um, nanoparticles of titanium dioxide, and from your lungs they can, you know, they can uh, um, expand to, to the, your entire body, and then they become cytotoxic. There is a new kind of toxin in the world, it's called cytotoxicity. It means that it's not like an ordinary poison. It's just like a, a bullet from a gun that is uh, so much smaller than you, but it penetrates your, your body or the, the, the skin of the cell, the, the envelope of the cell. It goes into the cell and then the cell can go through apoptosis and die from within. And this is, uh, this is uh, amazing. So it's not just the injections. It's also the face masks. And I think that during the Spanish flu, they just used any scarf or whatever, or cotton, uh, simple fabric. But these are uh, mass manufactured somewhere, maybe probably China, and with this toxic white lining that you can see here. The, 
Uh, titanium dioxide is a famous whitening agent. You can, I think even you can find it in toothpaste. And uh, <clears throat> so during the Spanish flu, people died, not from a virus, from lethal injections. And we can draw the parallel. And what happened? The, the authorities told the other people, put face masks on or go to jail. Um, at some point, if you would like me to share my screen, please so, say so, and I will show you some photos. But uh, the face masks are not just useless, Vivian, not just useless. They are harmful. They are bad to the health. They are bad for breathing. They contain nanoparticles. And uh, we should get rid of them. Mm -hmm. Yes, this is a result of a, a study that had to be retracted because of the pressure that was applied on the authors of the study. One of the authors, we had him here, is Professor Valak. And uh, uh, one of the things that makes these masks dangerous, apart from the fact that uh, this is something brand new to me, uh, that there's titanium dioxide in there, is that um, the, constant, the CO2 concentration, carbon uh, dioxide concentration behind the mask is seven times higher than uh, what is legally considered healthy. So there's many, many more aspects to this. I, I know you mentioned that um, uh, in one of the uh, CHD sessions that you suspect that there's also harmful material in the PCR tests, in the swabs rather. Um, and I, I think we will have to look into all of this in detail, but this will have to be done in a, while this is being done on the sidelines already, just like the autopsies and the uh, uh, press conference that was being held on this, on the autopsy reports, uh, I think it included 11 people or 10 people who had died after vaccination. I think ultimately we will have to do this in a, in a, controlled environment uh, under conditions of a legal proceeding. And we will have to set up this, we, we will have to come up with our own legal proceeding, which will probably be, um, which will probably along, along the lines of the Anglo-American legal system, the American legal system, because of the several disadvantages it, it has over all the others. Um, well, we could go on like this uh, probably for many hours. Um, one thing, however, that I wanted to ask you, because there's so much pressure on anyone who is not in line with the government and the official narrative, all of us, including Viviana, one of her relatives died in a concentration camp. Um, in all of us are being labeled as right-wing, right-wing, Nazi, Nazi. This is happening all over the world, except in Israel, because you can't do that there. You're probably being labeled. I think Ilana Rachel Daniel uh, told me that people who are not aligned with the government there are being labeled as left-wing uh, fascists or something. One thing that I wanted to ask you, uh, Vera Sharav and um, Rabbi Smith from New Jersey, whom we had on our session, um, and also, of course, Ilana, Rachel, Daniel, they all told us that we must, and this, this I think is in line with what you said, we have to learn from history or else it's going to repeat itself and not in a very favorable way. We must not look away from what we what we can see in the distant past it's not so distant it's 80 years ago uh would you agree with the with the 
um, with this phrase that it is not us who are trying to point out what's going on, who are trying to find out what is really going on, uh, who are the actual right-wing fascists, but it's the other side who are trying to cover up what's going on. I would absolutely agree with that. And I would even say further that they would have us mix right-wing and left-wing. I can tell you, Reiner, in my experience, all the political right and left are a show to distract us from what is going behind, what is going on behind the scenes. And uh, behind the scenes, there is no left and right. What we have now is a worldwide Nazi fascist government. And I think that in Israel, people, many people, would point a finger at me and say, how dare you? Hmm. The, the Holocaust was sacred. Do you know, Reiner, I cannot go to enter the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem because I have no green passport. Uh, so what if not that demonstrates what the, what the Holocaust has become? Something sacred that you cannot talk about, because if you talk about it, maybe people would wake up and see that it is repeating itself. So it is people like me and like Vera Sharav and people who are Jewish who are allowed, and I'm calling on all the people of the world. You have my permission, my personal permission as a, a Jew, and I'm the second generation of my, my late parents were survivors of World War II and the Holocaust, and they came to Israel because they didn't realize that their son, meaning me, and uh, would be uh, persecuted here for um, not complying with the regulations and the vaccination regulations. And my brother and sister, it, it, I feel as if I lost them. I lost my family in the Holocaust, the current Holocaust, not the one of 80 years ago, because they are not talking to me and I cannot visit them. They are vaccinated, what is, you know, in quotes, vaccinated. Still, they are afraid that I would infect them. I am not vaccinated and I'm not, not afraid. They are vaccinated, vaccinated yet they are afraid. And um, so I would totally agree that we need to look the, the, the reality in the eyes and say we have potential catastrophe on a magnitude even bigger, much bigger from the Holocaust of 80 years ago that is brewing. Mm. It's about to happen. If we don't do something, what is the next step? Will we have concentration camps? They can call them any other different names that they want, like re-education camps, like they had in, in communist China, or forced vaccination camps or whatever. This is uh, what you will say. That's what they will say, yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, um, dear people of the world, our basic human rights are being taken away from us in this totalitarian, fascist, Nazi, global agenda regime. Uh, 
And all these, uh, you know, these pieces of BS uh, masks are being put on us to make us even sicker, not to be able to breathe oxygen properly, not to be able to expel the phlegm. That phlegm, you know, coughing mm. and excreting phlegm are basic acti healthy activities of the human body. When someone coughs, it is the body telling the, itself, I want to get rid of something bad that is built inside my bronchial tubes or my lungs. Why do you want to to prevent us from breathing and from ex ex uh, expelling all these things? This is um, totalitarian on the most basic level. And I think, Reiner, that you represent one of the strongest uh, advocates of this uh, change that we must lead in order to stop this, if we can. We will do our best. We, we will continue until it stops. We're the ones who are going to say when it's over, not them. And we will not ever relinquish. We will not give up under no circumstances. Well, Shimon, um, I, I hate to cut you off, but John O'Looney, uh, the undertaker, uh, has been waiting, um, and we're gonna we're gonna be in touch anyhow. We're gonna. I, I would like to let's let's stay in touch with the regards to this, you know, the pathology and this uh, investigative um, vaccination thing. So maybe maybe you can update me on your findings. I'll I'll send yeah. you an email, mm -hmm. and then yes. I can connect you to the pathologists as well. And and if you will allow me, just uh, one final sentence. Sure. So um, I'm working with, uh, with uh, Antonietta Gatti and other scientists who are having, and uh, Dr. Kerry Meday. We need, uh, Reiner, as you said, and Vivian, thank you. We need to exchange yeah. uh, samples because it's not easy to get. And um, we need to get to do this in an official, uh, controlled way. And so we can share the, our findings and in this way, we can teach our fellow citizens of the world what is going on. We will. We will. Um, we're probably going to meet tonight again, right? <laughs> I, hope, I hope so. Yes. Okay, very good. Well, thank you so much, Shimon. This, this was important, once more important, because it is particularly disturbing for me as a German and for many other Germans as well. Uh, to have to realize that we started this again. I mean, it's just a puppet. Uh, it's uh, uh, Professor Drosten. I kn we know he's just a puppet, but but he's the one who invented this, the in now infamous Drosten test. And it's not just that we started it, but we're the ones with the toxin as well, because it's BioNTech. It's a German company. Um, and we find that it is our responsibility to do as much as we can anything we can to stop this and we will we will so thank you very much for your wonderful activities and contributions and thank you so much for having me on this uh, program thank you for your help shimon we'll talk again okay you. see you later mm -hmm. bye 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 uh, John, John O'Looney. Um, Hi. I'm, I'm again. I have to apologize for keeping you waiting, uh, but no I think you probably found some of the stuff that we that you heard uh, interesting. To be honest with you, um, I 
he's selling ice cubes to the Eskimos. I know what's going on. I'm desperate, really, to see what difference I can make now to contribute in, um, to end this madness. Well, the most important thing is, of course, everyone knows your video, um, and uh, everyone found it extremely not just interesting, but also moving because um, the 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 scale of what you found out in your profession uh, is beyond anything that anyone ever expected. Um, it's yeah. and it's it's so sad to see how. Uh, you, I, I think you're the only one. I'm, you, you did say in your video, you said that you were in touch with all of, with many other. Uh, I've heard about yeah. 50 or 60 funeral workers from within different positions in, in the industry, um, and they've all said the same thing. They're all terrified, you know, um, and uh, and very, very, very frightened of the repercussions, and very, very frightened because we fully understand that if somebody's prepared to commit genocide and democide on this scale. Um, do, do you know what, what what won't they do to anyone that speaks out? We've kind of seen it, haven't we? My my um, I'm committed. I'm committed. I've got no 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 choice but to be honest um, yeah. about my experience. And it's very interesting to to hear about the different drug, the Rendesivir or whatever it was, that um, the kidney failure and the fluid. Uh, and I see that in deceased when they come in. You know, they're they're bloated. Mm-hmm. Bloated. Um, that that's been going on for a while. Interestingly. Um, Many of the, the families that I speak to who believe they've lost what, loved ones to COVID didn't actually go into hospital with COVID. They, they acquired COVID in the hospitals. And that leads me to believe it's probably some sort of agent that, that um, it's either a symptom of, of the, the, the care they're receiving, um, <laughs> i.e. Uh, from the Rendezvous or perhaps from um, Midazolam overdose, or perhaps some sort of agent they're being given in the hospitals is my suspicion. Um, uh, it, it's certainly man-made and man-driven. I know what's going on. I've picked up three three people all under 35 this week, all job recipients. Did right. know one of them is a 28-year-old girl who passed away in hospital shortly after having the injection. Her family are absolutely beside themselves with anger and rage. And they know, but of course, nobody's listening to them. You know, when will this end? At what point will people wake up and see this for what it is? Or are we destined to get um, kind of funneled into the slaughterhouse? I, I really don't know. But can you give us like a, a little report about what you experienced like in the last one and a half years, like looking at the, yeah, the COVID so, deaths and then today, maybe other reasons? So but basically what's what happened as a funeral director in 2019 in November, I got uh, asked, I got approached by a family who'd lost a loved one in the neighbouring borough of Northampton. And they complained that the hospital wouldn't allow them to have a visit in the chapel of rest that's attached to the hospital mortuary. So I said, look, don't worry, I'll go over there and pick that deceased up and you can spend time with them in the funeral home, which I did. Um, and I kind of asked them, you know, why wouldn't you let this family see their loved one? And they opened the viewing room door and lo and behold, there was like an isolation tent in there for deceased that were infectious. And I kind of said, well, what's that for? And they said, there's something horrible coming. Uh, and that was my first um, kind of introduction to, to, to COVID. The word COVID wasn't used. Um, and, uh, you know, I kind of left and spoke to family members and said, look, I've been told there's something horrible coming. And, and then the news break in early 2020, um, pretty quickly I had the BBC in touch with me, asking me to promote the hysteria, which I did unwittingly, you know, thinking I was helping. Um, they uh, attended and they briefed me 
um, on the questions and answers that, that they would be doing, and I kind of gave them all the all the hysteria they wanted, and I beat myself up now because I didn't know any better at the time. Um, I took a call from a company who said that they were part of the resilience team, the kind of pandemic team, who said that they would be calling every week. All of the undertakers uh, across the country were being contacted, and they would ask how many people we'd had in, what our capacity was for deceased, where these deceased had come from, how many were COVID and how many were not. And it wasn't too long before they deliberately steered me. And by that, he was, I was picking people up who were dying from terminal cancer, and he was saying, well, there must be COVID because there was COVID in there and I've got to put them down as a COVID. Everyone was a COVID death, you know, despite the fact that there was no doctor in attendance, no, no test being done. And they were all COVID, even one guy that was run over. You know, I had families coming in really upset because their loved ones had died from cancer. And yet they were being put down as a COVID death and they were spam testing these people as they were dying with PCR tests um, on 45 cycles. It's just inhumane i don't know how anyone can treat another human like that but that's what they were doing and then they're all down as covid deaths and then in march and april i the phone rang we we were on the on the tv here the government advertised that they suspected there were going to be lots of deaths in in exclusively in care homes and i remember at the time thinking well how do they know that you know how can a virus specifically target buildings uh, and not the community you know and sure enough the phone began ringing um, uh, there was a, a government directive to transfer everyone from hospitals to care homes, and they were they were shortly they died shortly after in those care homes. Again, there was no doctor present, no COVID test present. They didn't appear to be COVID patients, um, and uh, I suspect that they were probably euthanized with uh, you know uh, with midazolam. Mm -hmm. um, interestingly, the, they, you can use Freedom of, of Information Acts. Um, to obtain the figures of midazolam that's been procured. And those numbers have gone up from between 350 and 1,000%. In fact, that I was told they built an installation in France to keep up with de demand from the British government. They've ordered that much in, you know. So that kind of lasted about two and a half, three weeks, and then that abruptly ended. And then the death rate was perfectly normal. Um, and the, the figures locally for cremation would, would, you know, agree with that. So despite the best efforts, there was no pandemic death rate in 2020. It wasn't, in fact, it was busier in 2019 overall. So I kind of I, I kind of suspected what was going on and I had a horrible gut feeling that something really wasn't right um, just because of, uh, of what was going, there wasn't a pandemic and yet they were bleating this hysteria. Um, and then um, November, December came and we were doing funerals. It wasn't really overly busy. And I kind of said to a few people, I wonder, they, they widely advertised that in January they were going to begin vaccinating people. They, they found this wonderful life-saving cure uh, uh, in this vaccine. Uh, there isn't a vaccine at all. Uh, and they began vaccinating on January the 6th and the death rate went through the roof instantly. I've never known a death rate like it. That was pandemic level the moment they started putting needle in, in arms. And that went on for about 12 weeks. Um, and then again, it, it just abruptly stopped. And now, you know, people are lining up to have these vaccines. They're going into schools, coercing children. Uh, um, uh, and the slowly funneling everyone via bullying, uh, harassment, a job threats, financial pressure down into this, this um, you know, violating every human rights law and the, Gine uh, and the Nuremberg Code to, 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 to kill people. You know, so um, very early on in the process, I had um, 
a family who'd lost a young girl to cancer in six, uh, she was only six, bless her. And this was in very early February time, 2020. And they asked me to, to um, wash and dress their little girl and they wanted to spend time with her. And this was at a time when all other funeral directors were taking coffins to the hospital because they were all so scared, you know, and sealing people in them there, no washing, no dressing, just the body bag placed in, the lid on, and maybe the clothes laid on top. Um, and that was it. Uh, but I agreed to do that. And then I kind of thought, well, if I can do that for them, I could do that for everyone. So that's what I've done. And I've washed and dressed everyone the whole way through COVID without a mask because I couldn't get any because everyone was panicked buying them. Um, and let's face it, a mask is no protection. It's not going to save you from a virus, you know. Mm. You'd have to be an idiot to believe they would. Um, all it does is, is promote um, things like pneumonia, uh, bacterial pneumonia and stuff like that. It's, it's not helpful. It's actually um, very damaging, you know, so, so to wear one consistently, mentally and physically. Um, so, so, but people just, they were, we live in a society, don't we, where people are kind of more interested in Netflix and a flat screen TV and, a warm duvet and how many likes they can get on Facebook. They've took their eye off the ball and we've let these demons get into positions of influence and power. And this is the end result, you know, this is the end result. Um, so last Tuesday, the 21st, I went to Westminster. I was summoned to go to a meeting with Sir Graham Brady, who's the commissioner of the 1992 commission. Uh, the 1992 committee is a very senior Tory politician. Um, and I sat there with the likes of Dolores Cahill, Tess, uh, Tess Daly, is it, or Tess Wyatt, mm -hmm. um, Mike Eden, and, and a plethora mm -hmm. of, I've got all the, all the email addresses, you'll know them all, mm -hmm. they're very outspoken, and we all gave testimony in our respective fields, and we, we gave evidence based on our experience and, uh, and our expertise within those fields, and the evidence was damning. We, we told Sir Graham, exactly the damage that was being done. The science was explained as to how that was going to happen over a period of between two and five years to recipients. Um, and the fact that children would also be sterilised as well. He listened. Um, he left saying that he would do what he could, but he would, couldn't make any promises. And that was that was where we left. Um, and, and there was a great feeling of, of um, frustration and anger and defeat. And we kind of we we can't decide whether he's complicit. I, feel, I personally feel that perhaps he might be, mm. uh, and perhaps he gave us audience just to see what we knew, um, mm. you, you know, and report back kind of thing. I really don't know. I really don't know. But I went to the meeting with a lot of hope, uh, and left feeling really upset, to be honest with you, because they're still going into schools now, nailing these kids with God knows what. Um, uh, and you know, I'm hearing now uh, children uh, are being injured and dying as a result. You know, um, this week alone, I've got three three people in, 28-year-old, a 32-year-old, a 33-year-old. You know, they're all jab recipients. Um, it, this needs to stop. It needs to stop now because, um, you, you know, the future for all of us is very, very grim. Um, so, like, when the, the vaccination process started or the injection process started in, in January in England, like yes. you said, like 12 weeks after that, you saw a lot of, of uh, you know, a, a spike in basically in dead. No, almost immediately. In, no, 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 I mean, weeks later. sorry, mm -hmm. starting yeah, immediately, the, but it's, the, it stopped after like 12 weeks, you said. Yeah, so about 12 weeks after the, the really intense death rate, it kind of petered out and it went back to normal. And I would suggest there's different clearly different batteries being used. And the reason I say that is because of the wide range 
uh, of, um, of injuries that I'm seeing. So, for example, one guy came in and, and his mum went blind not long after having it. Another guy came in and his father was paralysed from the waist down almost immediately. So then he was seen as, as vulnerable. So then they took him um, for a second jab three or four weeks later and he was dead the following day. Um, uh, I've had clients come in where they've continually bleeding, non-stop bleeding for female clients. Um, and they've reported that to me. Uh, and that apparently is where the womb lining falls away as a result of these injections, um, you know, effectively sterilizing them. So because they can't carry a fetus. So there are such a wide range of different um, injuries, um, uh, you know, that I'm seeing and hearing firsthand. And obviously, because I've come out public now, a lot of people are reaching out to me for, for help. They, they don't know who else to speak to because the local health authority won't help them. You know, I had a woman, an Irish spoken woman who lived locally, call me. She had an autistic child of 14, a son, and he was injected and he's turned into a vegetable. Oh. You know, he was fully functional. He had a good life, good quality of life. She was coerced. Um, and now the health authority, they won't engage with her at all. You know, they're, they're saying, uh, well, that's nothing not related and we don't want to look into it or like that. And just that's the end of it. Yeah, that's the end of the conversation. Yeah, yeah. So, so and, and I'm seeing all of these one in a million things constantly. You know, I'm getting people out reaching out to me. I've had nurses reach out to me, doctors. There's a guy called Ray who's um, an ICU nurse in Australia, and he works um, in ICU with children. And he's surrounded by children that uh, uh, were herded into the Olympic Stadium a number of weeks ago. Um, and there, many of those are now dying, and there's nothing he can do for them. That's his day. Is filled with surrounded by dying children killed by the state. And the children are dying of what specifically? Multiple organ failure, um, heart conditions, um, blood clots. Okay. You know, I spoke, spoke to a nurse that um, told, told me a friend who was also a nurse has got 12 patients on the ward at the moment with blood clots in their arms, for example, you know, so, so something that was unheard of. You know, you get one one uh, blood clot once in a blue moon, and now it's it's a regular occurrence. Um, you know, in jab recipients specifically. So, so um, you know, when will this stop? When when will it stop? Unless people rise up, it will not stop. I don't think. Um, no, I, I, I think would agree. we're I would moving. Agree. I think we are moving in the right direction, but um, it's. Uh, I'm afraid uh, if you look at the lethargy maybe maybe that maybe you can call it that of many people mm -hmm. um it's probably going to take many more deaths um i yeah i think it, i think it will mm -hmm. and the, the danger there is 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 that they up their game as people wake up and they sense that you know i, I feel yeah. that they're moving forward quicker with, with more urgency yeah. um so so these death rates in these jab recipients is going to be called another variant the same as all the children that are going to mm -hmm. die. They're going to call it a variant. They're going to urge us to protect the children uh, and they're going to mandate on the back of that. And then the manhunt begins. So what do we do then? Do we start hiding in woods? Do we do, we do what they did in the, in the Second World War and begin hiding children under floorboards? Or, you know, I've got a 10-year-old son and, and he doesn't want to have this vaccination because he lives in a family business and he sees what he's doing. You know, I don't want him to have it. Why, why are my rights as a parent not respected? They're, they're clearly there, my human rights and the Nuremberg Code, and, and these are being ignored. You know, we have children, 12-year-old children coerced into making a life and death decision 
Um, children that can't buy a beer, they can't vote, they can't have sex, they, you know, they can't drive a car, but they can make a life or death decision with an experimental injection. That's, that I can see firsthand is killing people and maiming people. And people like yourself can concur with that. And we, and we get audience with people like Sir Graham Brady. So why was a phone call not made there and then to say stop now and let's look at this again, let's look at the data. You know, nobody's doing that and that suggests to me that they're complicit, you know, and th this is a global movement and, and different countries are simply trying different um, ways of achieving the same end and that's a regular 100% coverage on this. Um, the future is really very, very dark unless we do something very quickly Yes, um, I agree with that. But we are doing the best we can. Each and every one of us is doing the oh, best they can. Oh, no. And oh, no. I know you are too. Um, there is, um, there's always hope. And we are moving in the right direction, just not fast enough. That's why it's so sad to have to conclude mm. that it'll probably take many more deaths um, <laughs> until finally people will begin to understand that it's not that there's not a, uh, um, a, a deadly disease out there, but it is being created by the jabs, through yeah, the jabs. It's man-made, it's man-made man and it's man-driven, yeah. 100%. I've yeah. got no doubt in my mind. Absolutely, I agree, I agree. From everything we've, we've um, heard from all of the experts, there's no other there's no other conclusion we can draw from all of all of this. Uh, the ultimate, the most important or the most difficult step to take, as I just mentioned um, in my um, in my uh, talk with uh, Shimon Yanovitz, is um, you have to you have to understand that there's not mistakes that are being made. This is being done intentionally. Yes. And in order to understand that, um, most people refuse to understand that because in order to understand that it, it'll simultaneously force you to understand that your own government is yes. working against you and trying to literally kill you a hundred percent and i think therein lies the the key really i don't think yeah. there's any point in us it's it's, it's going to be a great challenge when you're trying to um use the the legal system that they actually tailor to their own needs you know, um, it's going to be very difficult to do that. And I think what I'm seeing firsthand is people, um, you know, something so horrific that can't be true, it isn't true. And it's like a self-defense mechanism, isn't it? Whereas mm -hmm. the realization for these people that they've been deceived and might have actually walked over the edge of a cliff is going to be impossible to, to accept. And also, I think there may well have been um, an advocate system in place with, with, with these, these vaccines. And the way that, for me, works is, imagine if you had 100 vaccines and 85 of them were just placebo. You've then recruited 85% of recipients as advocates, haven't you? Because they've had no ill effects, no symptoms. Mm -hmm. they're, not gonna, they're not gonna get sick and they're not gonna die. And the 15% of those that I believe are designed to maim and kill, those are your COVID victims. So I kind of tied, toyed with myself, you know, and thought, how are they gonna get those people, those people that have had placebos? I couldn't understand, because I knew what was going on, but I couldn't understand how they're gonna get people that have had placebos. And then they announced several boosters a year for the next five years. So that's how that's gonna work, you know? Um, okay. It is, mm. the genius of it is, is immense. Yeah, yeah the, the genius yeah. Is, uh, is the most, 
you know, uh, you tell me a politician that wouldn't be happy with an 85% um, uh, majority. It's overwhelming, isn't it? Yeah. Do you know? Uh, and it if your if your um, theory is right, you know the good news would be that it's, it's we, we, yeah, that people, we have yeah. a lot of placebos for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm getting I'm getting a lot of people. I mean, I would hasten to add this is purely conjecture. This is theory because I couldn't understand why. Uh, and if you think about it logically, if you lined up and just give lethal injections to people and they all started dropping down dead um, in six months, it wouldn't take very long before the uptake would stop, would it? So, so I believe that's what they're doing is they're using this advocate system. Uh, and, you know, these people who have had no ill effects and received a placebo, they'll be only too keen to get a booster, you know, yeah. and they'll be only too keen to advertise that booster. And I, I would suggest there's a small percentage and that, if you think about it logically, if you're lucky, it's a lottery. So when you go and get a, an injection, it's a lottery and you're either lucky or you're not. Can you be lucky three times a year for the next five years? Or longer, because yeah. what's, what's really going on is uh, this is what we learned from one of my clients who told me that uh, in October of 2020, two months before the shots, the jab started, um, the head of the or the chairman of the uh, uh, German Bundestag's health commission told him uh, that it's not going to stop with these two shots of uh, yeah, BioNTech Pfizer, but it's going to go, it's going to continue one shot every six months. Yeah, now that course. tells you the whole story right of there. Of course it does. You know, what do people not see? And it's, um, you know, it's I not, it's, 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 it's if your theory is correct, and I think that Wolfgang Vodak agrees with you, mm. um, I think he says so. Um, if your theory is correct, that then what's going on right now is uh, it's a game of, uh, it's not gambling, it's Russian roulette. Yes, it's yes. Russian roulette. It's, that's exactly what it is, yes. Mm. Yeah, and, and, and people, I would suggest, you know, um, you, you need a large majority of placebos to to use those advocates inadvertently they're recruiting people to 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 kill people you know they're advocates aren't they they're recruiting advocates and they only have you know who wouldn't have a, a placebo and not be totally happy about receiving that for many months you know of course you would because it's not hurt you and you're not getting sick because you know, there is no there is no covid yeah that's precisely his stance as well you know dr wolfgang vodak not really, to I'm, be honest. I'm, I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of sold. I, I know what I know. Yeah, you know, I've, I've got I, I a very. You, um, you are, uh, you are extremely well informed. So I suspect that you're not getting your uh, information solely from the mainstream media. No, uh, no. I've, I've kind of. Um, when you're on the coal face, you see it firsthand, and then when you go public, a lot of people reach out to you, and they fill in the mis missing pieces. And when you sit with people like Tess Daly uh, and Mike Eden and Co. They furnish you with the facts, the science, mm. uh, and you know I'm I'm very well versed on exactly what's going on, and you know I get the phone calls from the families to say they've lost their mum or their dad or their son or their daughter um, on a weekly basis. I now do the funerals of murder victims. Yeah, some families are aware, some families are totally oblivious. Do you know, interestingly, I had a family who came in to arrange a funeral yesterday. They're all vaccinated. They all look really sick. Uh, and one of them is um, just, we arranged it for the eighth. The, the the family have tested positive and now are sick. So now it's got to be delayed for 10 days. And do you know, I, I, I just can't believe that these people can't see it. And they're very aggressive as well. If you, if you kind of just gently nudge them and say, well, have you thought about it like this or that, or, you know, 
they just can't see it. They, some people are waking up. They're reaching out to me and saying, I totally get you. I didn't realise I won't be having a booster. You know, I would suggest that will probably change when they threaten to lead them off to a concentration camp. Yes. It, yeah, yeah. So I never will. I'll die in a concentration camp. And I would suspect that I'll probably be a COVID victim. And who will be remotely surprised people dying in a quarantine camp from COVID? Well, um, I don't think it's going to come to that point because I, I our, we, we are joining forces pretty much with everyone who is uh, in the, I guess you can call them the resistance movement. And, they're, yeah. and it's us, it's our people who are the yeah. really smart ones, who are the intelligent ones. It's not, know. you know, sure. we've, uh, we've interviewed a, um, a whole group of professors of psychology and psychiatry. And one of them uh, is a professor from um, Belgium, Professor Desmond, and he explained to us that it is so hard to reach those who have already gotten vaccinated because it's like, you know, he said, it's not like hypnosis, it is hypnosis. 30% yes. of the people fa have fallen victim to this constant narrative of panic, panic, panic. We all have to be afraid unless we get vaccinated, we're all gonna die. 30% yes. of the people have actually fallen victim to this in the form of hypnosis. And they are they cannot be approached. You cannot, they cannot hear us anymore, but they're still 40% of the people who are sort of sitting on the fence and don't know which way to fall down uh, off the fence. Many of them have in the meantime begun to ask questions. I just want to explain uh, this. Uh, Dr. Vodak, he's the one who, who uh, stopped the uh, swine flu, which was their first attempt at a pandemic some 11 years ago. He yes. was then in a position of power because he was a member of the German parliament and he was also a member of the uh, Council of Europe. That's yeah. how they found out that what they called a pandemic then, by the way, by changing the definition of what a pandemic is, mm. you know, be before that it used to be uh, a, a disease that uh, spreads worldwide, number one, element number two, with many serious cases of illness, and number three, many cases of death. Then they got rid of the latter two elements, and now it's only a worldwide disease. So any any uh, flu can be made into a pandemic. In fact, they they nearly killed me with the swine flu jab. Really? Yeah, yeah. I took it. Um, not I didn't know. You know, I kind of um, uh, asthmatic, an ex smoker, and and I had the swine flu jab, and I was really, really, really ill. I nearly died. Um, I thought I was going to die. I'll be honest with you, and that was the last time I ever took any jab of any description um, because, you know, and they're harassing me constantly. You know, I'm a high-risk person. I can tell you I've washed and dressed over 100 COVID victims without a mask, many of them still warm because they've streamlined the system mm -hmm. for collection. You know, there are no doctors or police in attendance now. It's literally the care home brings the doctor, the, the doctor call the funeral director. So I'm collecting these people still very much warm. Do you know, so I'm sure if they were infectious, they would have been. And, and um, I haven't had a day off work. My wife's helped me. She's fine. My uh, environment's helped me the whole time. He's 55. He's a heart attack survivor from 10 years ago. Um, and he's fine. You know, so so I mean, no doubt in my mind, there is no pandemic. Uh, I've I've spoke to doctors, nurses. I've had nurses of 30 and 40 years re reach out to me and tell me, you know, they've been pushed out of the job. And these people are in the same circle. They know what these jabs are doing. Many of them, they won't take these jabs, so they'll be pushed out of their jobs. 
you know, that makes the whole situation worse in the hospitals. Uh, and that's all part of the plan, isn't it? You yeah. know, it's it's all part of the plan. I, I really, um, I suppose I, I see what's happening on, a, my heart breaks because I know today in many British schools, there'll be kids, um, their lives are changed or forever or they're going to die. You know, as a result, I want action now. Mm -hmm. Right, right now, you know, it's it's terrible. It's terrible, uh, and um, it's it's horrible walking through crowds of people that laugh and joke, not realizing what's going on. Totally oblivious, yeah. and uh, and knowing what you know, and it brings to mind the old thing is um, ignorance really is bliss. <laughs> yeah, until it catches up with them. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, very true. Very true. Would I rather not know? Sometimes I wish I didn't, so that I could have a, a peaceful weekend, you know, without worrying about it and without worrying about who's going to come through the door next that I haven't been killed. Mm. Uh, it's terrible. It's terrible. Uh, I certainly, uh, you know, they say history is written by the winners, don't they? Let's hope that um, we do come out on top and that history records this terrible crime against mankind um, uh, and we are successful. Will we? I really don't know. In fact, I saw a very interesting video um, on Stu Peters, and it was by, um, I don't know if you've seen it, the doctor's name was Dr. Carrie Medej, mm -hmm. and she'd used um, a very, um, very high profile, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a really strong telescope, uh, and looked to these very closely, one of these um, particular vaccines. And it was horrific what was in there. It was horrific. There was actually a, um, a living entity in one of them that looked like an octopus. It was bizarre. Mm. I've never, I've never seen anything like it. Um, do, do you know um, that that video for me? Uh, and she showed various slides, uh, photographs that they took. Um, and it was, why would people want this inside them? Because you know, they don't what, know it. Because they don't yeah, know it. Yeah, I kind of, yeah, yeah, I kind of. But when you tell people, they just won't believe you. Mm. I mean, to to be honest with you. My brother is a sheet metal worker. He runs a factory, and I kind of explained to him, uh, and we've ended up falling out. You know, we don't speak anymore because he just can't accept. He's double jab recipient now. He's probably had his booster as well. He cannot accept that. Uh, you know, and I said to him, "Look, you're a sheet metal worker. I'm on the coal face. I wouldn't lie to you. You know, why would I lie and put my own family at risk? And they just can't can't see it. And and it's a very clever game. It's all part of the strategy, isn't it? Divide and conquer. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the BLM movement um, the, and everything else, just to divide everyone up because we're easier to conquer, you know, if we're not together. Um, the anti-Muslim rhetoric, rhetoric is a typical example, you know. Mm. Let's divide everyone, you know. When, when um, you know, and I, I, my feeling is, is that, you know, your families are just as important as mine, and that's why I speak out, because I know what's going on, and it's wrong, and it's indefensible, and it's, it's, an, uh, it's pure evil, pure evil. That's you know, what we uh, think too. I would, yeah. uh, you know, if we take, if we got all of those who have gotten the jabs, if they, if we got them to take two steps backward and put themselves in the position that they were in a year and a half ago and told them then what was going to happen, that they would all be marrying, uh, wearing masks that look like coffee filters and make them look like they're idiots, that they would be receiving jabs with stuff that has not been tested. There are no medical studies underlying these uh, uh, these so-called vaccines. They would have told us, oh, go to hell. You're you're of stupid. Course. Go take your pills. Go see a doctor. Something like that. Yeah, and all yeah. of a sudden, small, they're small, yeah. small steps, small yeah. steps, just a little bit at a time, little yeah. bit at a time. Mm. Um, and a 
lot of this legislation, of course, is being kind of slipped via the back door last thing on a Sunday evening, you know, when people are just, you know, people are watching Netflix, people are going to work, people are worrying about how they're going to pay the bills that they keep increasing the, the electricity bill, the power bill has just gone up phenomenally for everyone. Yeah. Um, 400,000 businesses have gone bang in the UK alone, you know, and yet there are 600 new billionaires in the UK. Whoa. Whoa, that's a really crazy. Um, yeah, can so I ask you about this this BBC interview that, um, yeah, that you so did? Yeah, so basically, very early on in the process, I believe it was March 2020, um, and it's it's out there in the domain because a couple of people have sent me the link in the past. And basically, they contacted me because they know I'm a, a local funeral director, and I'm you know I've always been happy to speak to people. And uh, and they kind of said, look, we need to um, obviously we're really worried about this COVID. We need to come and do an interview. They came out and they spent longer briefing me than they did actually filming and asking the questions, you know, and they kind of very carefully orchestrated every question, basically, for me to promote the hysteria, you know. And, and in honesty, I was happy to do that because it was very early on in the game and I believed it. You know, if you go to a hospital and they say to you, this deceased um, is in a body bag that has HIV or TB, you're going to listen, trust mm -hmm. me. You're going to listen. You're not going to jeopardize your own safety. And this was no exception. You know, they told us all there was a deadly pandemic and it was killing people. And they showed us footage of people falling in the streets in China. And people believe it. Why would I disbelieve it? You know, this is my government um, and telling me that. But it was only really for the fact this little girl died and I washed and dressed her. And then I kind of thought, well, if I can do that for her, I can do it for everyone. And that's what I've done. And I slowly came to realize this is just lies. It's not true. It's not true, you know. Um, and I had other funeral directors sending sending people to me, referring clients to me because I was the only one that would wash and dress, all the way through, you know. So, so I know what's going on. I know what's going on. The the and and I I've got an idea. It's pretty pointless trying to reason with governments because they won't accept it. I mean, interestingly, I've, I'm hearing through the grapevine the new South Wales premier has resigned. Mm -hmm. Apparently so. Yeah. Yeah, it was um, one of my colleagues here told me that news about an hour ago. So how true that is, I don't know. But apparently it's because it's been discovered and uncovered. She's been taking tens of millions of dollars in bribes. Oh, from that would be... Yeah, so it's still... Yeah, it seems to be true. I, I mean, yes. we've gotten some confirmation on this uh, piece of information. Yeah. You know that she, too, is a graduate of this Global yes. Young Leaders Program of the WEF, yes. right? Yes. And so this it's is all about corruption. Yeah, of course it is. Does it, does it lend itself to what we are saying or does it discredit us? <laughs> it makes us Nazi, Nazi, right wing, right wing. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Uh, and this is what I'm saying, you know. Uh, and the, the same people will even be saying this is where led away. Yeah. No, um, I think they're coming apart at the seams on the other side. I, I really know it's, so. it, we will have to walk a few more miles, I believe, but um, we're, get, we're gathering speed. We're picking up speed. We're bringing together more and more people. It's all Good. of us together. Good. It's Good. all of our efforts together, combined yes. effort that is pushing us in the, in the right direction. Uh, and that, is, so. that will push them over the brink. I am absolutely certain. Well, do you know, if, if um, I can ever be of any help, you know, you can always ask me. I've, I've been inundated, interestingly, thousands of emails and phone calls and, and from doctors and nurses. And it's been real, really challenging. You know, my, um, my wife has really suffered with the strain of it all. 
and so it's it's really tough but i have to keep talking because i know what the truth is yeah. and um you know if if i've got two choices if i say nothing i might be able to duck and dive for another what 12 months 18 months then they'll close me down anyway you know um or i can speak out now and hope that i can kind of gather some momentum and people will wake up and this madness can end yes we all feel the same way is there's no use in ducking there's no i have a i have a, some colleagues and i know some uh pilots uh lufthansa pilots and from other yeah. uh airlines as well who have decided that they're going to leave the country but all you do is you buy time because it's yeah. only a matter of time until they're there too of course so we you have know, to keep I, we have to I, keep I, fighting here yeah, I kind of speak out. I mean, uh, my wife is obviously very concerned for our family here and now. But like I said to her, you know, it's, um, it's just as important. Your family is just as important as mine. Why would I not speak out? Your grandchildren or your children, they're just as important as my child. Mm -hmm. Why would I not speak out? I, I have a moral compass, do you know, That's and that point. moral compass, yeah, you know, I can't, I can't stay silent because I know what the future holds and I've got a critical mind. And I look to the future and I know what the future, I can see it unfolding. And everything that I've said would happen has happened. So, so um, you know, I just hope that, I hope that we do beat these bastards, you know, because that's will. what they are. The, we will, uh, John. Uh, Wolfgang wants to ask you a question. Yeah, yeah of thank course. You. Thank you. Hello. Um, Hello. I have uh, a question because you're in this job for a long time already. You're working many, how many, how many years did you work? So I've done about 15 years in total now. Okay, so so you experience also the swine flu in this in in your in your profession. So um, I was I um, begun doing this back in about 2008. I started. Well, I'm not okay. sure when the swine flu was, but I was really ill with the swine flu. Yeah, this was 2009. Yes, I'm, yeah. because I'm interested. Do you get the the diagnosis? Uh, of the of the people who died from uh, did you get do you get the diagnosis so so by that you mean death certificate mm -hmm. yeah. yeah so the, so the death certificate i see um on occasion we don't need them as a funeral director um but inevitably when you engage with a family that family you know um, what happened to mum what happened to dad and i get really close close mm -hmm. to them and they tell me they're really forthcoming so the main deaths that i'm seeing now are heart attack um, uh, stroke um, from blood clot, either one being from blood clot or multiple organ failure or the occasional COVID death they can relabel, mm -hmm. you know, where, where people have died from these things and it's been relabeled as a COVID death. Um, mm -hmm. Some families are blissfully unaware, some families are aware and they're very angry and all of them are jab recipients. And, and bear in mind that this runs in, in conjunction with the regular death rate that we would have anyway. You know, so I would, I would be interested whether it, you recognized that in former years, so 10 years ago or longer, uh, the diagnosis flu was uh, given very often. There's no flu deaths now. There's, uh, no, yeah, I, I, mean, I mean, 10 years ago. Yes. Did, yes. You, did you have flu cases at the death? Yeah, of course, for yeah. winter flu, it was called. Yeah, winter yeah. flu. Um, last year was the first year ever that I've not known a single winter flu death. They were all relabeled as COVID. Yes, we, we know that uh, the flu was uh, 
uh, identity was the same as as influenza because they did not they did not distinguish between the viruses they did not use to distinguish so they just called it flu yes and the only the only thing they were looking for was the influenza Oh, yeah. That means only one of more than 100 uh, viruses who make the same symptoms and yes. who, may be, who may lead to death too. And so uh, the flu is a, is a, is a summary and is a, is a sample of, of many viruses, respiratory viruses. Yes. And in former times, we only looked for influenza. And yes. now they only look for corona. So they pick up, pick up just one, pick out one uh, only single virus and, uh, and tell us the story about that. It's, um, it's pretty obvious to me that the whole thing has not really been about COVID. You know, when you're filling people full of rem remdesivir, um, people will then have kidney failure and they'll, they'll, they'll drown in fluid in their lungs mm. as their lungs fill up. That's what's happening. Um, when you fill people up with things like midazolam, that they'll die because their breathing is, you know, mm. it's one of the drugs used in the cocktail um, for for lethal injection in countries where they have that. So you'll know. I don't know. I'm selling this ice to the Eskimos, aren't I? But, no, um, we, but we had um, Dr. Ryan uh, Artis, uh, Brian Artis, rather, um, on our, <laughs> in one of our sessions, and he explained this in great detail to us. Yeah, and that, I see this in the bodies when they come in because they're bloated, full of fluid. Oh, you know, so, so yeah, yeah, the fingers are swollen and, you know, the faces are swollen. You can see it and, and you, you can press the skin and leave an indent in the skin with your finger because they're so full of fluid, mm -hmm. you know. So, so I know the people I suspect have been killed, yeah. killed with this. That's exactly what Brian Artis told us. And um, I see this on the cold face, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because this is one of the... This is, I, I think, if I remember correctly, he told us that Fauci um, made this a mandatory treatment using remdesivir, full well clinic? knowing. Full, On what clinical basis? What the, clinical basis? The, the, the clinical basis is the one that Brian Artis found out about, and that is that it was used in a number of trials and it had to be pulled out of the trials because it was deadly. Yeah. Exactly. So you that know. was the clinical basis on which he ordered this to uh, as a as a as a um, medical protocol. It's uh, yeah, right, right. But and, and there's something that is special about Britain because uh, well maybe it's not special but it is uh, special in so far as this is the information that's come out. This uh, may, it may be the very same. Uh, in our country, uh, it's just that we haven't learned about it yet. And that is the uh, medication that is, uh, what is it called? The men, uh, the, that is really, it's, I think it's an anesthetic, but it's. Yeah, it, midazolam. Midazolam, so, that's what's. So, what, what, yeah. uh, midazolam, I would hasten to add, is a brand name. It's probably going to be known by different names globally, mm -hmm. but, but here it's called midazolam. And they used it, and, and you did describe that the purchase of midazolam went up, what, between 350 and 1,000 percent. Yeah, yeah. So I've got people that I've been speaking to who have been sending out Freedom of Information Acts mm -hmm. to the various health authorities, and those are the figures that have come back. And basically, the way that works is they ask for the procurement amounts mm -hmm. for you know, from 2015 to date. 
and you can see the jump there, you know, and, and it's, yeah. So the argument that was given um, was, oh, this was used to ventilate patients, intubate patients, sedate them. It no. just wasn't, not in that, no. and they've used it all. You know, they've used it all. And um, I never once saw a ventilator. I never once saw a COVID test. I never once saw a doctor, but they're all COVID tests. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's just... But they're, you know, you, you're arguing with people who are not prepared to listen and they're just pushing forward. You know, at what point will we see change? I really don't know. It seems to be getting um, harder, not easier, you know, to, to avoid this madness. And um, I think yeah. it'll, it'll I think it'll get a little bit worse, maybe a lot worse until we turn the tide. I think uh, that's the that's the tragic truth. I think there's yeah, yeah. there's nothing yeah. we can do about it except we can. We can continue with what we're doing. Uh, what you're doing is going definitely going to have an impact, just like everything we're doing has an impact. But this is really, it's it's very, um, it's um, I'm I'm very grateful for um, your testimony, so to speak. You're going to be one of the experts. Ultimately, you're going to be one of the experts that people will have to turn to, that the courts of law will have to turn to. I hope that I live to see that. I'm sure you will. All of us will. Well, John, I'm again, I'm really grateful. Um, I'm, really, I'm really grateful to you because um, it's a message that I can't tell people without people like you. And I, I'm, I feel like I'm standing in the trenches with you um, and, you know, never doubt for a moment that I'm not fighting for truth because that's what exactly what I'm going to do. And I'm going to keep doing it and keep doing it. Um, and you have my thanks and admiration. And thank you so much. And vice versa. John, despite all of this, try and have a good weekend. Go out into I'll nature. Try. I'll try. Go for a run or something. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's the plan. It's more, more of a brisk walk nowadays. But yeah. <laughs> all right. Take care, guys. God bless. You too. Thank, Thank you, you so bye -bye. much. Bye bye. Okay. Byron Bridal should yeah. be there with us. Uh, Byram Bridal is with us now. Uh, he is a professor of an associate professor of viral immunology. Um, Byram, I forget what university you're at. Uh, the University of Guelph in Ontario in Canada. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How have you been lately? Uh, holding up. Yeah, mm -hmm. the uh, the negative pressure has been weathering, but. Uh, yeah, in, in my uh, institution, um, we, you know, the, we have a, a vaccine mandate that's been put into place. And so I'm, I'm, uh, I can't go onto campus, my university campus for at least the next year. And I've seen many students and staff members who have had to be escorted off of our campus because they were not vaccinated. Um, they're still rounding up people who aren't vaccinated and and for staff they're being put on unpaid leaves and for students they're being kicked out of their programs some have uh, to, to avoid this saw this coming and uh, have delayed their programs by a year or, or simply taken a year off mm -hmm. of their uh, university education <laughs> but yeah I, I, on my campus it's a um, a very poisoned environment uh, certainly for myself personally I, I have um, colleagues who have been viciously attacking me incessantly, uh, name calling, you know, uh, accusing me of uh, like making false accusations against me in the uh, social media realm. It's been uh, it's been terrible. And uh, and the interesting thing now, well, actually, so in light of this, what, what the 
these negative pressures against me uh, exploded, absolutely exploded after I gave uh, a, a few minute interview, right? It was to a lay audience. And it was in that interview that I, um, I guess that was the first time that I talked openly about, uh, you know, the findings that I had made, uh, you know, because I keep up to date on the scientific literature when it comes to vaccines, because I'm, because I'm a vaccinologist, and uh, and I, I had come to the very, you know, solid conclusion that these this current batch of vaccines, and again, I point out, you know, we've. The definition of vaccines has changed, uh, certainly officially. Officially in North America, it's been changed to legitimize, you know, the, the current uh, products that we're using from Pfizer and Moderna and Johnson and & Johnson and AstraZeneca. And at the time, it, it, it's, like right now, it still bewilders me because I'm still under this withering attack from, from colleagues and, 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 you know, some members of the public. Although I'll tell you, the I, I'm also rece I'm receiving overwhelming support from the public as well, right? They, they, they many know what's going on, but uh, the vast majority of people are just too afraid to speak up. But in this interview, which again, it, it's it's remarkable as a scientist that other scientists would do this to to a fellow scientist, right? I, I was giving, I was asked one question, one question by the uh, a radio show host. Uh, and they were they were just doing their job, and I was just doing my job, right? I'm a public servant. I work at a, a publicly funded institution. My salary is paid for by taxpayers, and so, uh, you know, one of my jobs as a public servant uh, with deep expertise in the fields of immunology and virology is to answer the public's questions related to those topics, right? In which I have sufficient expertise. And this person asked me, uh, so at the time, it was a, a story that had come out of Israel. And specifically, 12 young males had been identified in Israel who had developed heart inflammation shortly after receiving the Pfizer vaccine. And this person simply asked me, did I see a potential link between the Pfizer vaccine and this heart inflammation that was occurring. And my answer was yes, I, I did see the potential for that. And then I went on to relay the uh, you know, likely mechanisms of harm uh, that could be that could explain why that would be the case. And this was based on science. And of course, with it only being a few minute interval, I was cut off. <laughs> So to this date, some people—I uh, remember a fact checker saying that you know in that interview I only told half the story, and and to this day still kind of half jokingly laugh about that. Uh, if only I was able to tell half the story, I probably told less than one percent of the story, <laughs> and and yet I was fact checked uh, by so many people about this incredibly narrow part of the story that I was actually able to share in that radio interview. <laughs> But lo and behold, uh, you know, in, in Canada, we're always going, going to be one of the last countries in the world to identify any harms with these vaccines because of how our reporting system works it, or doesn't work. It's an awful uh, adverse event reporting system in Canada, just awful. However, here we are all these months later, and, you know, I, I, I was told that I was lying that it was all misinformation that I was providing. Um, and of course, you know, we saw all the public messaging that was occurring around the world that there wasn't a link to heart inflammation, countries denying that. Well, you can only hide something that's that's quite common for so long. And remarkably, my own, so again, I, I live in the province of Ontario in the country of Canada. So my, the government of my province, so the Ontario provincial government uh, just officially released yesterday uh, they made an announcement that the Moderna vaccine should no longer be used 
in uh, young males in Canada uh, because of the high risk of heart inflammation. And and then and they've also admitted so they're actually they're still recommending the Pfizer vaccine, uh, but recognizing uh, their uh, the official numbers. So they their official numbers that came out, and I'm sure these are likely an, uh, a gross um, underestimate of the of the problem. But nevertheless, the Ontario government stated yesterday that the uh, risk of heart inflammation in young males in Canada was one in five thousand. And for the Pfizer vaccine, one in twenty-eight thousand. So they, so they're recommending the Pfizer vaccine. But the point is, they, they're openly acknowledging that this is a problem in young people. And, and yet, to this day, I still am being attacked uh, incessantly because of that message. And and what frustrates me is the fact that you know, as a scientist, I, 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 when this announcement came out yesterday, uh, Reiner, I'll tell you, I was flooded with. Uh, emails uh and, and sorry i guess i should correct that it was actually two days ago now that this announcement came out but i was flooded with emails uh from people uh especially members of the public but other colleagues who have been supportive and so on you know um telling me like this is amazing how, how did you foresee this right like now it's being being officially uh announced and, and there's nothing remarkable about it right there's i'm not some kind of fortune teller i'm a scientist who follows the science and you know, if one is following the science, it became blatantly obvious to me months ago that these vaccines are causing things like heart inflammation. And so it really disturbs me that so many people have had to be harmed, right? There had, there's had to be such an overwhelming and obvious number of people harmed in order for our governments to officially recognize this. And, and yet they have scientists who are experts in this area who, for whom it was obvious and and you know and, and we would have argued like an individual like myself would have argued these things should have not have not have been used uh, you know months ago and and we would have saved all these people all this harm um so that's sort of how my life is going right at the moment it's you know i'm 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 standing strong because i i'm you know i you know a scientist who just simply i i i've done nothing different I'm doing nothing different now than I have throughout my career as a scientist, right? I'm, I'm giving the same messaging. I'm, I'm evaluating the science in the same way. And when there are issues for which I have sufficient expertise to comment on, and I'm asked to comment on them, I provide that information. I provide it bluntly and honestly, and nothing has changed, but the world has changed around us, right? And the, the amount of censorship that's happening in Canada is absolutely profound uh to the point where I, I i was actually one of our members of parliament and um so his, his name is derek sloan uh, he was one of our federal ministers of parliament so a, a member of our our federal government and he hosted a conference on a, a news conference uh on parliament hill so this is so at the at the building in the building where our our government rules the country of Canada, and there was myself and another physician and uh, and, a, and a fellow scientist and the three of us and we presented and the, our government has an official is the the uh, short form for it is CPAC CPAC it's a it's a cable service that carries all official broadcasts for our federal government, and we spoke out about censorship and the. the the um, actually the uh, the police that provide security for the building tried to prevent this from happening, 
this uh, this uh, presentation with censorship remarkably. So before it even started, there was an attempt to censor us. When we showed up, there was uh, no mainstream media whatsoever. They didn't even bother showing up to this official parliamentary press conference. Uh, it, it was it was crazy. I couldn't believe that I was in the capital of, of my country. And but we gave this presentation. It, it ended up being the most, like it broke all records by by a country mile. It ended up being the most watched government video, uh, like in the history of this uh, uh, cable, you know, um, service. And uh, it was and it was carried on YouTube. And YouTube allowed it. It's typical of YouTube, right? They allowed the the views to explode. It it, it hit this record, became the most viewed one ever. Uh, and then they pulled it. They censored it. Right? It was it was unbelievable. They actually censored uh, an official parliamentary press conference about censorship. Um, and in fact, what, what some what actually it's even worse than that because during the live broadcast, it was being live broadcast broadcast live on YouTube, and YouTube shut down the live feed. Um, actually, it was it was about halfway through me speaking. Uh, at the conference, um, and th but then there was a, a second feed that was able to get up and running. But the, but so even during the live presentation, they shut it down. And, <laughs> and I have to point out, um, just the the other individual. What the, so the other physician who was there in person with me presenting, uh, his name is Dr. Patrick Phillips. He is a physician who practices in a small town in in the northern part of the province that I live in. He he has been under relentless attack since then, and he has been absolutely brutalized by our, uh, it's called the CPSO, the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario. They, they the, the, the tyranny that they are exercising on the physicians in our province is like nothing that I've ever seen. They, uh, and, and so they have, um, they just recently uh, and very publicly uh, attacked him viciously. They have they have uh, withdrawn his ability to um, prescribe ivermectin, uh, for example. And he and he was very he was one of the few physicians in Canada who who openly recognized and uh, you know the, the the overwhelming science in support of that as an effective early treatment and and was using it as a practicing physician very effectively. This is where the the, the dangers are unbelievable because he he of government interference because he was keeping people out of the hospitals right where where many you know we, our government was was has constantly been complaining about how covid-19 is filling up our emergency our emergency rooms and our icu units and uh, he was keeping people his patients out of the hospital and healthy during this and they were they were not dying uh, his patients that were getting COVID-19. They've actually pulled his ability to prescribe that. And uh, and, and actually this vicious attack came out because uh, very recently, uh, it's particularly because he attended a worldwide freedom rally. Um, and that was the egregious offense that he attended this rally. And those rallies in Canada have been labeled as um, being directly opposing public health. And therefore, as a physician, simply by attending this meeting, uh, they accused him of opposing public health measures, and that you know is an egregious act by a physician to do so. And uh, and, and yeah, he, he's in 
terrible trouble right at the moment. Um, you know, lawyers have surrounded, have surrounded him and tried to help, but this is what's going on. I have another colleague, her name is Dr. Julie Panessi. Uh, a video that she did actually went viral around the world. She's an ethics professor at uh, another university close to me, University of Western Ontario. So it's uh, only about an hour and a half away from where I work. And um, she was made an example. So this um, Patrick Phillips has been made a very public example for the physicians. Uh, this Dr. Julie Panessi has been made a very public uh, figure for in the context of our colleges and universities in Canada. So she was uh, very unceremoniously dismissed by her institution and uh, has lost her job completely as a, as a faculty member after serving them for over 20 years as an ethics professor. <laughs> so it's, again, it's unbelievable because she refused, this is because she didn't get vaccinated. Um, based on sound ethical principles. So here's an ethics professor. Uh, why not want to get vaccinated? Because she she has done her, you know, she, she did her very well-informed cost-benefit analysis, came to the conclusion that it didn't make sense for her to be vaccinated because she felt it would be uh, put her at greater risk. And she lost her job because of it. Uh, standing up, an ethics professor standing on the foundation of ethics. So this is what it's like in Canada. I, I, I'll tell you, I, I really feel for our brothers and sisters in uh, especially Australia right now. I mean, that what I can't even believe that that is the same country that uh, that existed, you know, a couple of years ago. I'll also tell you, I've been in close communication with with colleagues in New Zealand uh, as well. It's just awful there. Uh, but I'll tell you, Canada has been a world leader in many of the wrong ways, especially when it comes to COVID-19 vaccines. And, and it's awful here in Canada, not as bad as Australia, New Zealand. Uh, that's why I really feel for them, uh, but, but absolutely awful here. I mean, we're notorious for leading the world with decisions like um, with, <laughs> on no apparent scientific basis, lengthening the, the recommended interval, the approved interval for the vaccines, these two dose vaccines from three to four weeks, right? Depending on which of the ones, which, which one you're using to a ridiculous four months with no scientific basis, right? Um, and, then, and then the other thing that we've led the world in uh, was, was the original mixing of the different vaccine types as well. Um, I, I, I just don't, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. One of the reasons I'll tell you why uh, this is happening. So, so I, I, I've started, I've started speaking very bluntly about this, uh, Reiner, what I'm going to say at the moment, because I'm not a person who likes to offend anybody <laughs> at any time. But, but, the, but as I put the, the, the time has come to take off the, the kid gloves now, and the, the public needs to be aware of how the scientific and medical system works exactly. <laughs> and so this is the problem as I see it in, in many countries, uh, and certainly in Canada. There are far too many people, policymakers, right, who are, who are pushing these many tyrannical COVID-19 policies on people who simply lack the expertise. Now, so specifically, and what I can specifically comment on is in the area of immunology. So vaccinology is a subdiscipline of immunology. And yet I see 
a complete lack of immunologists involved in the vast majority of the committees that are making these decisions. So, for example, in my own lo local, what we call public health unit, right? So we have a medical officer of health assigned to small regions. And so there's many of them throughout Canada and each one covers a certain region. So my local medical officer of health has what she refers to as her scientific advisory committee, providing advice in terms of the, the policies that she institutes in our, re in our region. Her, her scientific, so encompassed in that is my university, myself, uh, a couple of other senior immunologists on my campus um, and others offered offered to serve on this committee and be able to provide our deep expertise, right? So, uh, from different scientific perspectives, uh, virology and immunology being key, key topics that we can cover. They, they refused. So her entire quote scientific committee consists of nothing, 100% family physicians. And again, I have absolutely nothing against family physicians, but um, this goes right up to the top in Canada. So in Canada, we have uh, a committee, it's known as the NACI, which stands for the National Advisory Committee on Immunizations. This is our committee that advises our government. So they, they are the ones that, that, that uh, give out all, you know, the advice that ultimately leads to the policies that get applied to our entire country. Now, so again, a National Advisory Committee on Immunization. So since it's focused on immunization, you would think it would be loaded with, with immunologists and people who have advanced training, advanced degrees in immunology. In fact, uh, when you look at our committee membership, there's actually only one person who clearly you can identify has an advanced degree. They have a PhD in immunology. Um, that's, and then there's another one who's a clinical immunologist. So I would assume that they have some formal advanced training in, in immunology, but, but a degree like that is not listed. Surely from clinical practice at least, and from residency, they would have received, you know, a, a, a good amount of training, but those are the only two individuals on this, on this large committee that I can identify who likely have, um, advanced training in immunology. So this was actually recognized, uh, you know, I'd say they took far too long to recognize it, but at least eventually they did recognize that they had this complete and utter lack of immunology expertise uh, on, on a committee that's making decisions that are entirely based on immunological principles, right? So they actually recruited from across Canada, they advertised and, and to, uh, accepted applications from senior immunologists across Canada. And they did recruit two uh, immunologists to the committee. Um, because what I should point out is the one person who had uh, has an advanced, who has uh, holds a, a PhD in immunology, their purpose of serving on the committee wasn't even to comment on the immunology. They're, they were actually recruited to the committee to provide expert expertise in the area of uh, pediatric public health. Um, not, not specifically to apply their, their training in immunology in the context of immunological principles on the, on the committee. But of course they could, they could comment on that, but, but they weren't even recruited for that purpose. So they did recruit two immunologists specifically to focus on the, the immunology, the, which again is the key science underlying vaccinology. But you know what was crazy? And, and, and Canadians, uh, you know, still aren't even aware of this. Those two immunologists were placed on the committee, but they were given non-voting roles. 
So all the existing committee are there, the voting members, and these two immunologists who are there to comment on the vaccinology, the science underpinning the vaccine specifically, and they have non-voting roles on this committee. So you can see in Canada, from the top down, we're not set up at all to be able to comment properly. And so you can see, I, I, again, I don't want to judge uh, anybody's um, expertise, but the reality is most of the people that are involved, uh, most of the committees that are involved in decision making are completely lacking in expertise when it comes to vaccines. And what people have to understand, right, people are going to their physicians and the physicians right now, this comes back, for example, to our College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario, but this applies across the entire country and Canada. Uh, they're officially, um, you know, recommending that and discouraging physicians from issuing um, medical exemptions for vaccines. So people with valid medical reasons. So it, th th this is the kind of thing that's happening, the kind of decisions that are being made. And so people are going to their physicians who are being discouraged from issuing these these uh, exemptions. These physicians have also been fed, uh, you know, a very narrow public health narrative. And the reality is they lack the expertise. So the average physician in Canada lacks the expertise to be able to critically assess any information to do with vaccines. And the reason is this. People assume, uh, Canadians especially, assume that physicians must know, they must have a deep understanding of immunology. I'm always profoundly uh, surprised, right, of how, with how little, and to me, this has to change in Canada and all countries moving forward. Physicians in Canada receive exceptionally little training in the field of immunology. In our medical schools, we average between the so to get in to get the medical doctorate, uh, students average between five to about twelve lectures total in the MD program focused on immunology, which means that in the context of vaccinology, they're receiving on average less than one lecture's worth of material, uh, well less than one lecture's worth of material on vaccines. And so what this means is they don't understand the science like in any kind of depth. The average uh, undergraduate student at my institution receives at, at least three times as much training in immunology as somebody in the MD program. It, it, it's phenomenal to me. And yet these are the people who prescribe vaccines, uh, you know, administer vaccines to our children, right? Um, so the average physician, and again, I, I don't mean to be offensive, but I just wanna be blunt and real here because uh, people have to really ask the questions, you know, who is it that's giving me this information and how much expertise do they actually have in this area? So the average physician in Canada who holds a medical doctorate has exceptionally little training in immunology. And when it comes to vaccines, okay, I'm just gonna be blunt again about this, right? Really where their strength lies is, is applying these recipes, these protocols, right? They, they get information about you know, a vaccine, the condition that it should be in, under which, the conditions under which it should be used, you know, what, the, what, the, um, what it should be applied for, uh, how to administer it and so on. Uh, you know, they, they follow the directions um, provided by the manufacturer and they don't have the depth of knowledge to really understand, you know, value, do proper cost benefit analyses and so on, and really to be able to critically assess any type of vaccine. That's the reality and that's what we're dealing with in Canada. And, and people need to realize that when they're relying on these quotes experts, they really are not experts when, they, when it comes to vaccines. Absolutely not. And, and you, uh, how, how can something like that happen? I mean, this is very strange because you would think that in such a problematic situation, the government would really, in a normal situation, reach out for the best and to, you know, profound experts in the field. 
and even you like me, maybe for, for international, you know, look for international help if there's absolutely no super experts in the country. Uh, absolutely, yeah. I, I, I have no idea. It's completely illogical. What I would say is uh, what we need, um, if we can ever get back into any semblance of normalcy, and I, I don't like that's not not where we're headed. Um, we, we, I definitely feel we're going to start applying all of these same principles, the masking, the physical distancing and the forced vaccinations to uh, influenza virus. Uh, that's what I feel is going to happen if, if things aren't stopped uh, fairly quickly. Um, so so I, I hear I have no idea. I have no idea why we're doing that. And that's why I want to point that out, because it's important for the world to understand, because I know when Canada, for example, uh, especially when Canada went to the sudden you know, elongation of the interval, uh, to four months with the vaccines, many countries in the world who were dealing with vaccine shortages and still are, were looking to us saying, well, where's your data? Can you please show us your data? Because if this looks good, you know, we'll do the same thing because we're dealing with vaccine shortages. Um, we didn't have the data to show. Uh, and in fact, this, this committee, this National Advisory Committee on Immunization, it was very embarrassing to justify this scientifically. They published, uh, they published their scientific rationale for doing this in a journal that nobody's ever even heard of and you can't get access to internationally. It's this little publication that came out of uh, our, our, our University of Toronto, which is clo fairly close to the institution I'm at. And it, it's it's an embarrassment. But they And then they claimed it went, underwent peer review. I contacted this journal that I'd never heard of, even though it's the, the you know, it was being published um, about an hour away from my institution. And I, I asked, I said, you know, so my understanding is this paper underwent peer review. Usually when these, when these types of papers are published, journals will tell you when the, when the paper was submitted, uh, when it was accepted and when it was published. And so I knew because I, I was the one who actually, along with two of my colleagues, had, had been really pushing our National Advisory Committee on Immunization to show us this science. And it was in response to an open letter that we wrote that they produced this paper. So I knew the timing. And it seemed to me that in terms of the uh, peer review, the maximum that, time that they probably could have devoted to peer review was about three days because of the timing of the communications we were having. So I contacted the journal and I, and I wanted to know, could you tell me when was this paper submitted and how long did the peer review process take? They, they completely ignored me, right? Um, so it's this horrible paper in a journal that is not ranked. You'll never find it on the PubMed database, for example. International scientists can't find it. But, and that's quotes the scientific uh, justification. And I will tell you, so what, here's an example of like, this, is a paper that would never get published in any any decent scientific journal. They, they the entire they have one figure in it uh, that shows the results of a an epidemiological model that they that they uh, used. And everything in Canada, all all of our policies have been based on these epidemiological models, right? And everybody wants to know what what are these models? Can we see the raw data? What information are you plugging into them? Well, they in this paper. You know, you go to the materials and methods, they do not describe. In fact, they openly state that, uh, you know, th there's a, another publication in the works that will describe the model. So you don't even know what the model is, but we just have to trust that the model is, is excellent, right? And then here's the results of running that model, which show that a four-month interval should be this fabulous thing, right? Um, so I'm telling you, Reiner, because Canada was the first to do this and and other countries looking to us right um this is the garbage science on which it was based right and, and to set a precedent for other countries and and just to show how crazy that was because 
this is the thing. People don't have to understand science anymore. They just have to exercise a little bit of common sense and look around and ask some, you know, simple questions and be and be open to looking for honest answers. <laughs> so when this happened, one of the other things that I, that was really upsetting for us was the justification for going to a four month interval was a misconception that the one dose, that a single dose of the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines in particular could, were was 90%, that these were 90% effective after a first dose. And again, this was, and this was an example that they were setting, you know, for the world to, to go to these intervals. And the justification was we can go to four months because guess what? You're only compromising the effectiveness just by a hair, right? We were told that the effectiveness of the two dose regimen was 95%. So 90% is very impressive to the point where you have to start arguing if that's true, why would we even bother with the two doses? But this came, this was came from a complete fallacy as well. This was an epidemiologist who took Pfizer's own data and reported, you know what, Pfizer didn't realize the gold they were sitting on. They did not analyze their own data set properly. I, I reanalyzed it, this epidemiologist told Canadians, right, and found that, in fact, the effectiveness after one dose is this incredible 90%. Well, it, it was a complete garbage analysis, but everybody in Canada bought it. All the health officials bought it. Our National Advisory Committee on Immunization bought it, and that's why we went to this four-month interval. What people don't realize this was this was published in a uh, a letter to the editor of of the uh, the journal uh, BMJ, formerly British Medical Journal, highly respected journal. But this is not a peer so this is not peer reviewed science at all. It was just published in a letter letter to the editor, and huh. and that became the foundation for us doing this. Right beside that, Pfizer, uh, as is the case when somebody is, is making a comment about somebody else's data set work, the people who generate the other data set have the opportunity to respond to that, um, and that can get published alongside it. So indeed, Pfizer themselves published alongside this letter uh, a note of their own saying, we don't agree with this analysis at all. You know, we, 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 all we recommend is a you know, two-dose regimen with a three week interval in between, that's it. It was incredible, yet we ran, we ran with this idea of 90% effectiveness. And now of course, <laughs> this is the thing, the contradictions, when you, when, when you start doing this with science, when you don't actually practice science properly, you end up with all kinds of contradictions that start becoming obvious. So right now, um, one of the reasons why the vaccine mandates are being pushed on us, right? And we're seeing this worldwide, all of a sudden, uh, we went in Canada from telling everybody one dose is, is fabulous. We called it this. We had, you know, we just came out of our summer in Canada. We we were infamous for we referred to our summer as the one dose summer, right? That was the goal. Get every Canadian one dose, right? And then they're going to be beautifully protected. Then we'll work on topping it up, you know, from 90% effectiveness to 95 with the second dose, and we don't have to rush that. Now, the, you aren't even categorized as vaccinated in Canada. Um, unless you have two doses and you have to be more than two weeks out from the two doses, right? Or you're considered unvaccinated. So again, I just say to people, look around you and look at what, how we're mismanaging these vaccines. You were told that one dose was just about as good as two doses. And now you're being told that uh, even after the second dose up to, you have to be, uh, you know, 15 days out from that second dose now to be categorized as, as vaccinated. It's an, unbelievable. And can even with that, 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 that can definition. Can I have a yeah, question? Yeah, absolutely. Because you speak of, of uh, uh, 
uh, effectiveness of 90%, but you yes. mean you mean this is the relative risk reduction, which is named, yes. but which is yes. a, which is a betrayal already because the absolute yes. risk reduction is less than one percent. And if, if, we, agree. if we just take over this 90% and we per perpetuate this this uh, betrayal, I think we we mix up the people. We 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 don't tell the truth. I agree with you. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, the, yep, the number necessary to vaccine is is it's more than hundred. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you know, it, it's become so bizarre for me as a scientist because, on one hand, there's there's the the the, the real message, right? Like that, like sort of the the truthful uh, way to to relay the science, which is what you just pointed out when it comes to the vaccines. But then I find, you know, I'm a, I I am then using the public health messaging on the other hand to point out to people how how crazy this is, right? How crazy the messaging is. Uh, so I agree with you 100% on what you just said, right? Uh, in the context of Canadians, though, I still point out this 90 and 95% because what they're being told is they're incredibly protective. And officially, the official message also is that there are, there, not, now it only applies to the two doses, of course, but that officially there, uh, we are being told that uh, there are, there's no such thing as breakthrough infections, right? With the, with, if you're double vaccinated, uh, that it's almost 0%. So in other words, completely protected. But then you have to look like, so on my university campus, as I said, I'm not allowed on campus, right, for the next year. So we have a campus community that's at least 99% vaccinated, right? So we ex dramatically exceeded the goal of herd immunity uh, if, if the vaccines were conferring immunity. And yet, Everybody still has to mask, physically distance, stand on these spots, you know, that are on the floor. They're told what doors to go in and out and when they can go in and out. We're even regulating on our campus the length of time that people can be unmasked to consume their food. It's kind of got so crazy that students have even been it's been it's even been recommended that they bring their their drinks with straws so they can not unmask but stick the straw oh up their mask. You know, if follow such a nonsense. They disqualify themselves for for centuries. You cannot. Yes. There's all the result coming from those people doing such a nonsense as a scientist. You needn't read them. You needn't yes. read them. You just put them aside. The, you, that, that, you know, that is the the big picture take home message in terms of why I have continued to speak up th uh, throughout all of this. Honestly, because. I get late. Remarkably, <laughs> my entire publication record is based on publishing about vaccines, novel vaccination strategies, and how to improve vaccination. Um, all of my the re research funding that I hold is is uh, on the basis of developing novel vaccination strategies. Yet right now I'm being labeled an anti-vaxer. Remarkably, um, <laughs> I'm actually a vaccine lover, but uh, but. Uh, that's for vaccines that have been well vetted, have a great safety record, and are known to be highly effective, and and where the risk benefit ratio strongly would would uh, encourage their use. Not with uh, with these this current batch of what we're calling COVID nineteen vaccines, and this is the reason why I've actually s spoken up because I care about the field of vaccinology. And you're absolutely right. Um, I feel that what we're doing right now is is we are going to absolutely destroy people's confidence in 
the world's ability to practice vaccinology. We're going to lose faith in, in everybody, and we're going to start losing our, our footholds on, on some of the diseases that we've been controlling very well when we've been using vaccines that actually work properly. Yeah, that's why I speak up. It, it, it's not to be controversial. It's because I actually want to defend my field, and I want to show the world that there are some of us who do understand how to practice vaccinology properly right and assess and assess the data critically i'm very i'm very fond of your position and what you do and um, I, I was i'm only thinking that why didn't we why didn't we notice this 10 years ago because the the structures of the universities the structure of science the finance the finances of science all the all the uh, the the money that goes to science is just an institution of corruption, a very big institution of corruption, setting the goals of science, setting the topics, what to what to what to make science on. Why did you why did you make your work on on vaccinations? What are there so there are so many immunological uh, mechanisms and so many immunological facts we don't know and we should learn and. We all the world is. If you go to immunologists, they all deal with vaccinations. What a shit! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, your comment about the, our, our universities and colleges is absolutely true. Uh, I've seen this within my institution and all other institutions in Canada. Our administrators have converted, have been converted over time, uh, over this period of time that you just mentioned, over the past decade, to. Uh, um, business experts uh, constantly. So, so when people are recruited into administrative positions in our universities, they're, uh, the, they're the people who have, you know, a strong business uh, experience and uh, and a history of training in business. They're, they're the ones that are being recruited more and more. Are are so literally our, our administrations are being stocked up with people who who are you know have, have great business expertise and we're running more and more obviously because if you start bringing in people who are who 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 have spent their careers dealing in the world of business uh, it just makes sense that the our academic institutions therefore are going to start functioning more and more like businesses yeah, exactly. and this is this is where, where our institutions in canada are set up more and more as time goes on uh we're being set up more and more to function like businesses yes and uh the um and and the uh, cro there is a crossover or a revol a revolving door effect, I guess you can call it, between the businesses and our what we consider public institutions. If you look at the EMA, the European Medical Agency, I think is what it stands for. The woman who runs it is a former uh, pharma lobbyist, and this is not a this is not an isolated case. This is what we're seeing everywhere. They have infiltrated all of our public institutions. They have, in fact, taken them over. Uh, it's a it's a huge hostile takeover, and what we used to consider um, independent science is now for sale. Science is for sale, basically. Uh, the only way to get out of this, I think, is to make to to expose all of this, to make this publicly known. And that's what we're doing. That's what you're doing as well. That's also what John Aluni did uh, or is doing uh, when he talks about what, what he sees in his in his work as a as an undertaker. Um, and that's also what uh, Dr. Shimon Janowitz is doing. Um, 
And the judge who we, uh, there's a Portuguese judge whom we interviewed at the beginning of our of our today's session. He, is, he was very outspoken. You can see him in a video. Uh, we're going to mail it to you. Uh, he is, as a judge, addressing a group of police officers who were ready to beat up people because they were not wearing their masks correctly. They were wearing their masks, except not really correctly. And he was confronting them. He's a brave man. And he says... I haven't watched any television for the last seven years, so I'm not really, it's not easy to, uh, for this propaganda to work on me. And as you said, we have to take off the kid gloves because I do think we have reached a point at which it doesn't make any, sen any sense for us anymore to pretend that maybe they're making mistakes over on the other side. These are no mistakes. There's intent behind this. There's intent behind this. There's a plan behind this. There's an agenda they're pushing, and they're using this agenda to, uh, they're using uh, Corona in order to, to divert our attention from what's really going on. You know, yeah, I, I, I totally agree, yes. Mm -hmm. What I also think is very interesting, you mentioned these two papers that are basically unscientific. And, uh, you know, from, from these paper, every th papers, everything starts to be rolled out to the public or like it's the basis for the pol political decisions. And then we have this, our Drosten paper, the common Drosten, uh, you know, the paper that kind of initiated the PCR test, which is also flawful. You know, we have this letter or this um, uh, review that 22 scientists did on the on this uh, Trosten paper, and they found, I think, 10 major flaws in it. So it's like also not based in reality. Not minor mistakes, major, yeah. major flaws, and no undergraduate, no mistake that an undergraduate student would make. Uh, yeah, and also the Lancet, yeah. this yeah. Lancet study, you know, with this one person like receiving all the treatment and passing away. And you know that also that's the basis for like treatment of 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 so many people. I mean, it seems that maybe that's also like a con concerted or whatever. You know, I mean, like a, a um, synchronized activity that you have one unscientific paper popping up in one whatever un in one um, uh, you know magazine, and then everyone makes reference to that and bases yeah. all their decisions on it. It's very strange. And can that's what our public health officials do. They put down they'll put down one reference and it might uh, look legitimate to the average person because they see a reference there. I was just <laughs> talking about this yesterday in Ontario. We have this fear mongering going on right now with the with the Delta variant uh, and which is does seem to be more contagious for sure. But uh, but as I put it as well, having evaluated the data, it, it's more contagious but far less dangerous. Yeah. And uh, I mean, the common cold, as they point out to people, is highly contagious, but yeah. a, a mere nuisance for most people. Yeah. And remarkably, in this case, uh, the entire justification Ontario for really pushing this fear on people so that they can justify their vaccine mandates, and especially as they go down, try and go down in children, you know, younger and younger with the children now. Uh, and it's all based, in, uh, and again, Ontario, on a preprint article done by a person who served on our uh, an advisory committee that was really pushing all of these mandates. Again, and remarkably, this is going to be surprising, right? It's, a, again, a based on an epidemiological model. And we asked, and so it's preprint. So we asked, uh, or, or actually um, uh, another scientist that I know of asked for the raw data. 
and couldn't be provided. The author actually said uh, that it isn't actually my data to give you. It belongs to the Ontario Scientific uh, Advisory Table, which again is this committee that advises our provincial government on all their policies. And so then this the Scientific Advisory Committee was contacted and they said, we don't know about this data set. We don't even know about this preprint article that you're talking about, right? So again, it's a case of it's all based on this and it's come out in the news. This is the basis for the for our major news stories right now. And the, and, and this was put into a video that's, edu you know, quotes, educating all the teachers uh, in, in our province. Um, again, based on garbage science. And, 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 and you know, every time uh, the three of you bring up questions and stuff, I could talk for hours and hours about, mm -hmm. and you keep bringing up all these things that I would love to be able to share. I know we don't have the time, but a couple key things, because this should be based on the science. And you're absolutely right. As a scientist, I can tell you, um, talking about the science, like, of course, I'm going to do it. And yeah, I, I think, you know, I've been doing a half decent job of educating the public. But in terms of the power brokers that be that set these policies, the science doesn't matter. I, I can say all the science that I want and it's clear and everything that I talk about is based on the science. But I want to give you a couple of examples because this is very important. Just to make sure you're aware. <laughs> so uh, in many countries, including Canada, the basis for pushing so rapidly these uh, COVID-19 vaccines upon pregnant females, for example, a, a critical foundation for that was an article that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine. Uh, so this is a very well-respected uh, medical journal. <laughs> they looked specifically at the rate of miscarriages and they had two groups. One was a group uh, of, of women who had been vaccinated and then the other group, the control group, were those who were unvaccinated. In this, they concluded that the, the miscarriage rate was not significantly above that of the control group. Therefore, this was critical evidence showing that the vaccines were safe in, in uh, pregnant females and all kinds of policies were made, right? Our, our uh, licensing body for um, uh, obstetricians and gynecologists in Canada, right? Their licensing body immediately, you know, officially was promoting the, the, the vaccination of, of pregnant women based on this. And, and, and it has happened around the world. So it's been a foundation for a lot of countries' policies. What a lot of people don't realize, so uh, a group of collaborators that I work with, I wasn't involved in this particular collaboration, but I, I know all the people who were involved. Um, and, and one of them, for example, you would know is Dr. Peter McCullough. Yeah. And, and good on him and, and, and the other scientists who got together. They put together a letter to the editor, editor of the journal because, again, they looked at it and found uh, an obvious and, and simple mathematical error um, that led to this erroneous conclusion of, about safety. So they and they tried very hard to get their uh, letter to the editor published. The, the editor of the New England Journal of Medicine would not allow it to be published. Um, now, in part because they recalculated, so they used the same, they applied the, the, the mathematical principles that this group intended to use, but pointed out that the denominator and the equation that they used was completely wrong, completely huh. wrong. And by using the same basic principles and therefore correcting the denominator, uh, they showed that instead of the, 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 in the, in the uh, treatment group, rather than the miscarriage rate being uh, about 14%, they found that it was 83%. And, and keep in mind that for the control group was a 12%, Whoa. right? So 12 versus 14. So that's where they concluded, the authors concluded there's no evidence of, you know, there's no safety signal here. They, they found 83%, but so they, they weren't allowed to publish that. So the editor would not uh, accept that new number. 
But what they did do is they did make the authors go back and and look into this harsh criticism of the of the math. And the authors, of course, because it, it was obvious, it was obvious to all of us who, who looked at this paper, um, like, like you mentioned, again, it, it, clear errors being allowed and, and a major publication that's forming, that's the foundation for policies. Um, and so you need to be aware of this. So the, the authors, therefore, they looked at this and again, it, it was obvious and since they were called out on it, they were forced to publish a comment on the paper. Remarkably, they weren't forced to change the wording and the conclusions, but they were forced to publish a comment. It's very hard to find. If you look up this article in the New England Journal of Medicine, on the page at the top, very top, there's a, a little bar they've added which says comments, and then beside it, there's a tiny little number one, meaning there's been one comment on the paper published. And, um, <laughs> and, 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 you, and that's the only thing. If you click on this tiny little number one, it, it's a it's a clickable link. Then it takes you to the to the published um, correction, the correction to mm -hmm. the article. It is very. You have to you have to be a scientist to have any chance. Even as scientists, they've written it in such a way where it, it's it's very discombobulated. But as, as a scientist who has expertise in this area, um, you know, myself and all the others with expertise in this area can tell you clearly the message is they had to admit that the denominator they had used was incorrect. And they in fact have, so rather than using a denominator that Peter McCullough and his colleagues had, had you know, suggested they use, they simply concluded, so we don't know what the denominator should be. Uh, <laughs> and, they, and they left it at that. And then, so in other words, it is an open admission that they have, they, they, in other words, they cannot conclude. So of course, Peter McCullough and his colleagues were trying to get the message out there. Like this actually shows that it's dangerous. Um, so, but again, I point out, so they, they, they were very frustrated that that couldn't get out there. But to me, it's, it's almost an equal success in terms of them ensuring the science is correct because the onus should never be on us to prove the dangers of the vaccines, right? The, oh. And rather the people pushing them, the onus is on them to prove they're safe. And this publication now can no longer be used to demonstrate that these vaccines are safe in pregnant women. And yet none of the policies have changed. We're in fact worse, right? We're now mandating around the world that, that pregnant females receive this. And it's based on this uh, foundation that has been removed, that's, that's crumbled. So that, 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 that safety paper, quote, safety paper no longer exists to be able to support that. It's incredible. And the other thing, because again, I like to talk about the science and, and that's what I base all of my comments on. Uh, Ryder, you, you mentioned something that, that triggered uh, an, an interesting story that, that I've become aware of uh, when you were talking about somebody who, you know, not pay, who is not paid attention to mainstream media. So I don't know if you've seen this. So I actually have it sitting right beside me. It's a paper in a, a respected journal called Toxicology Reports. Yeah. And this just came out. And the first author here, uh, Ronald Kostoff. Mm -hmm. I had the I had the privilege uh, last, every Thursday. There there's um, a group of of international scientists and physicians that get together. There's about uh, twelve of us. One of them is Dr. Peter McCullough. Another one is Dr. Robert Malone, uh, one of the inventors of the messenger RNA vaccine technology. And two Thursdays ago, uh, in this meeting. There were three people in that meeting who were representing three independent research groups who have been doing intensive 
cost-benefit analyses using uh, adverse event reporting systems. And uh, most of these groups have been using the, the VAERS database, Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System in the United States. And we brought onto the call this scientist, Ron Kostov. He, he is a great guy. Um, we actually wanted to know what his experience was in publishing this paper because you you have to you have to I'll just hold it up again so actually anybody can you know pause and take get get the information here mm -hmm. um, because you need to look up this paper you need to read this paper if you haven't this absolutely strips down to the bone and and unveils the the all of the problems with these COVID nineteen vaccines it is an incredible takedown of these vaccines and what I want to point out is. The other, because I also like to go with the weight of the evidence. So, so this is an incredible publication to look at. But my point here is we had three other groups represented in this call. So with him on the call, that meant four. They all have done completely independent analyses and have all come to the exact same broad conclusions that the COVID-19 vaccines are doing far more harm than good. And there's a fifth group as well that we weren't involved in this call, but a fifth group and they have published a paper as well, which is also an agreement. So that paper that was published was, uh, it shows that um, for every life saved with these vaccines, it's costing two lives, yeah. okay? And with these other groups, the numbers vary, but what we found is the numbers vary from about uh, a, a ratio of two to one up to five to one on average uh, across age groups. So, but they all are in uniform, so that's five independent research groups. Two of them have now published. So this one, and, and this is why it's interesting. This is where it links in. This uh, Ron Kostoff is 83 years old. He shared with us that he's, you know, he, he intentionally has stayed out of the, um, you know, a lot of the, the, the modern technology. So he couldn't even join us. He couldn't join us in our Zoom meeting because he didn't have access to Zoom. Uh, he, he couldn't even call in with, with a smartphone so that we could talk uh, really coherently. Um, instead, he, he uh, one of the participants had to hold his his phone up to our, the mic, his microphone, mm -hmm. and then when we wanted to communicate with him, the person holding the phone had to then pick up the phone and uh, and and communicate, relay like the question to him. So that's how we were communicating, uh, and so he also he didn't realize the significance of this publication because he's not involved with the mainstream media. He actually didn't realize how incredibly controversial this paper is, um, and that's because, and he, as he said, we, we told me he's all, we told him that he's our new superhero. He said, "What do you mean? I'm doing nothing different, right? I'm just." doing what I've done my entire career. I just published scientific truths. He actually did not realize because he's not involved with the mainstream media, how controversial this is and how against the, the current narrative this paper is. And I'll just summarize it here very quickly. Um, if you look at the abstract, you don't have to understand the science in detail, but if you look at the two, two sentences here at the end of the abstract, this is what they tell you. And this to me tells, tells it all. Uh, now, um, the, so in the highest risk demographic, and, and in this paper, what they define that as is people 65 years and older. So keep this in mind, this is the highest risk demographic. Now, notice the title's focusing on children because that's where things, that's where all of us can be in, in agreement that the cost benefit analysis gets to an extreme, ridiculous extreme because COVID-19 is just not much of an issue, uh, much of a problem in children. But so, we, so what they start off with is the highest risk demographic to make their point. In the highest risk demographic with their cost benefit analysis, they found that for every life saved with a COVID-19 vaccine, five, five were being lost. So in other words, there's not even a foundation for recommending these vaccines in the highest 
risk demographic. And then, of course, this imbalance explodes as you go down in age because the risk associated with COVID-19 plummets, such that they can't even really, uh, they can't come close to getting an accurate estimate of what it would look like in children. They just conclude that for children, it's likely more than 100 deaths associated with these vaccines for every life saved. Right. So this this is why you need to look at this. And in fact, what I find unbelievable, you know, there's two reasons why I got attacked uh, when I raised the issue about um, the biodistribution uh, uh, study. Uh, and that also is something which links into directly what you said, uh, Reiner. You talked about the EMA, the European Medicines Agency, mm -hmm. and their report seemed to really downplay this biodistribution data. So I was shocked when, you know, so we found out that the Japanese government, you know, requires, uh, they ask for more, what we call preclinical data from the vaccine manufacturers than other health regulatory agencies. And so it was very frustrating to see that the, the Japanese government had this very detailed biodistribution study and in the European Med Medicines Agency report, and this plays into what your comment about, about them and how, how they're being run, right? Uh, toned it all down, put it all into text, brief text. So, so it never really, uh, it never really set off the alarm bells, right? And it wasn't until we actually saw the hard data displayed in a, in a table, right? Being able to see the actual numbers that, that we got uh, very, you know, be, that's where we were, that's where the alarm bells really went off. And that's when we realized that these vaccines are not functioning like traditional vaccines at all. But the point is, uh, so I, I got really attacked for uh, raising that issue. The other one, which I just want to point out because it's interesting, is people accused me of being overly dramatic in, in referring to the spike protein as a toxin. And what I just want to point out in this- Everyone agrees with this because that is what they pointed out to- uh... that, that, That's just it. And, and this is the incredible thing in, the, in this paper, they, they list uh, issues with the vaccine, right? Um, and again, this is why. So again, it's published, here it is, the published science. I just want to show, because it's incredible now to see. Point number one, when they talk about, you know, the issues that they were focusing on here, point number one, I don't know if you can see this, but uh, they're staying right there. The spike protein yeah. is a toxin. Yeah. It's a toxin. Yeah. There it is, right? Well, that's why they invented the vaccines in the first place, to protect against this most dangerous ingredient of the so-called dangerous virus to protect against the spike protein. And now yeah, they're injecting yeah. this spike protein directly into people's bodies. Exactly, and this is why, this is also why, I've, so there's two reasons why I have tend to focus on the children and not the, the elderly. Uh, although now with this paper in hand, I have no problem talking about the elderly as well, the highest risk demographic. But first of all, because it's acknowledged that the problem with COVID-19 is, is, is certainly not uh, substantial in this demographic. But what you just pointed out, uh, Reiner, a lot of people don't realize children, one of the reasons why it's not much of a problem for children, children have an inherent, uh, essentially protection. They have, they have this inherent protection from infection. The reason is in, in adults, our airways, our respiratory system is loaded with the receptor that the virus uses to, to attach to our cells, right? It's called the ACE2 receptor. We express much higher concentrations of that in our respiratory system and uh, than children do. So children have this inherent uh, protection. I like to view it as uh, like a good analogy is if you're trying to climb a cliff, if you're, cliff, if you're doing free rock climbing, um, 
if you have lots of handholds and footholds, toeholds, you're going to be able to climb up that cliff pretty efficiently, right? Uh, for kids and their airways, uh, they're lacking a lot of these uh, hand and toeholds, right? And so the virus has a much harder time literally grabbing on to their cells and infecting them. And, and so they're protected. <laughs> Uh, that way. But so by putting the spike protein into the body, we're actually bypassing uh, this natural protective mechanism that they have. And this is the issue. They have, uh, you know, they're getting the same doses as adults. And internally, once you get once you get past the respiratory system, this the, these receptors are expressed at the same level as you see in adults, because it's not a protein that's designed to be a receptor for the virus. It, it serves basic fundamental physiological functions in the body. So, yeah, exactly. Through natural exposure, they are at much less risk uh, from the spike protein. It can't grab onto their cells as easily. But once you bypass that, and if you get the spike protein into the body, now it's got all the footholds and handholds that the ad adults have on their cells. Oh, man. It's insanity. It's insanity. Yes. This is not it science is. anymore. It's insanity. Uh, but it's because we have to we have to look the the real facts into the eye, so to speak. We have to see what's really going on. This has nothing to do with health. It's completely different. It's a completely different agenda. And um, I mean, it's uh, it's of course it makes it extremely difficult for normal people who have been exposed to the mainstream media for too long to understand what's really going on because if they really look at the facts that we're seeing right now and that we've been seeing in the, on this corona committee we've been speaking to so many experts and even though i'm of course not a, 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 a i'm not a doctor but i have as what's his name uh justice the, the Supreme Court Justice, uh, English Supreme Court Justice, Sir, I forget his name. He said, we all have a head to make use of. It's, it's, it's good for more than just putting a hat on it. And if you listen to science the way you explain it or the way uh, Wolfgang Wodak explains it, all of us can we can we can have our own opinions on this. Uh, of course, we can't know any of these scientific details unless we either talk to one of you or um, or uh, read read up on this. But we all have a mind and a brain which is helpful in making up our uh, uh, making up on uh, our own mind. Uh, and that's, as, that's, all, that's all you need. That's yeah. all you need. That's, really. that's exactly. That's exactly. To me, it has become so obvious. You don't need deep expertise in any of the areas of specialty that that directly apply to this uh, pandemic at the moment. Uh, so one, one thing that I think really speaks volumes, Reiner, and all this is. <clears throat> Um, so I've been I've been a member of a, a whole bunch of different international collaborative groups, uh, and also personally on my own. I have now offered or have had on my behalf offers made to literally thousands of people around the world, thousands of scientists, especially a lot of the naysayers, the people who are censoring us, yeah. um, the people who are saying that we are providing misinformation, um, literally to thousands <clears throat> around the world. Uh, there, there's there, in the United States. There's um, been uh, most recently, there has been a very public um, invitation made to the Centers for Disease Control and also the Food and Drug Administration to engage in respectful but open and public scientific discussions. Right? The argument being, rather than having all these fact checkers uh, attack us um, on, on little snippets of things that we 
put in print or things that we say in interviews. Because um, as, as a scientist, I can tell you, it's pretty. It's, it's relatively. It's a relatively easy task if you want to to start picking apart little sound bites that other scientists are saying, especially to lay people. Um, and it's much different if you are interacting in real time with the scientists, where they can respond in real time. Right? They can see where you're going with a certain comment, and they can adjust for that with the, with the new information. Very different to interact with a scientist in that way. That is the way scientists traditionally operate, scholars in general, right, was open discussions and being open to different viewpoints. And as I've always said, right, iron sharpens iron. And it's a case of uh, allowing that process to happen and see where the chips may fall, right? So literally, we have so much science now dealing with COVID-19. And so literally, what we need to do, we should be doing is seeing where's the weight of the science? Where's exactly. the weight of the science on, on every issue, on every issue, right? And this is not happening. And so universally, for all the, this huge collaborative network I'm in and myself, literally there have been invitations now that have gone out to likely hundreds of thousands of people and not one person, not one person will engage in this type of discussion. I, nobody has, well, not one person, not one of my colleagues, no scientist or physician anywhere in the world will even talk to me on the phone, talk to me in a Zoom meeting one-on-one, -on -one, yeah, yeah. uh, let alone in public. And, and this has to start telling the public something, right? Uh, yeah. The public keeps telling, don't listen to these people. They're just telling you lies. Yeah, and, 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 if, and, and they seem so confident with what they write that, 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 that we're absolutely wrong. So I'm thinking, uh, and yet then on the other hand, they'll be really upset because they'll accuse us of, of indirectly leading, you know, killing people because of our, our lies that we're putting out there in public. Yeah. So you can't on one hand say these people are causing lots of damage, uh, but it's all because of lies. And but we're not going to show you yeah, how exactly. how they're how they're lying and in, in, in a real time discussion with these people, right? If you're so confident that we're wrong, I mean, if I was so confident that somebody was wrong, I would have no problem. And I feel they're doing much harm to the world. I'd have no problem getting on, you know, in, in a public forum to have a mod respectful, moderate discussion, and crush the person based on if you know yeah. if I knew that I had the weight yeah. of the science in my favor because then they're done their voice is done yeah. and 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 you've shown definitively where the fallacies are right that they're relating to the public but not one person in all this time will have has been willing to do that with me or any of the many many colleagues that I now have around the world I know right I you know. don't need to be a scientist to see that that is a major major it's, problem it's very obvious and it's now it I think it's all coming out into the open and that is the one the only probably the only positive uh, net result of all of this that it's all coming out into the open how we have been manipulated not just over the last year and a half because you know had somebody told me what was going to happen over the over these last 15 or, or 18 months or so uh had somebody told me this at the beginning of 2020 i would have told him to take his pills and go see a doctor but Absolutely. um that we're running out of uh we're, we're running out of conspiracy theories they're all coming true and yes. uh even those of us who are very calm and um and don't like to be very outspoken, including our friend, Professor Martin Schwab, who's our uh, most important legal advisor, the University of Bielefeld. Even he says, I don't believe anything anymore unless I can check I can check up on it. Well, Byram, I, I would I could go on uh, like this for quite a while because it's so interesting to hear everything. Can you, Wolfgang just asked me, can you give us the sources? Can you, for example, this article that you uh, have shown us, can you, um, can you scan it and, and email it to us? 
Yes, I can. Absolutely great, 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 great. Um, I uh, again, I I would love to keep on talking to you, uh, but there'll be another time. Um, there's uh, Paul Alexander is now with us, um, who's been who's been waiting. He only he, I, I think he only has 30 minutes to talk to us. So if you like, just stay online and listen in. I'd love to. Yeah, uh, Paul and I know one another well. Actually, he's he's fabulous. Okay. I, I, so I. I, I love listening to him, so if that's okay, I will listen in. Great, very good. Thank you. Thank you. Care. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Paul, can you hear us? Uh, that's a question I should never ask, but uh, in this case, I think I need to ask it. Can you hear us? Maybe he's muted. Yeah, yeah, you're muted, Paul. Can you hear me? Yes, yes, we can hear you now. Sorry to keep you waiting, but I think maybe some of the stuff that you heard uh, wasn't uh, exactly boring. <laughs> no, no, no. Let me tell you something. If if the only meeting right now I could attend every day is listening to Dr. Brittle, I would do it because um, I think he's probably one of the most, not just um, uh, technically sound experts, but I think the way he delivers the message, I like the way he speaks. It's very, very engaging. And I, and I always learn something from him. Mm -hmm. So I'm very appreciative calling in early. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. Um, let me uh, try and introduce you, but uh, it's probably easiest if you do it yourself. You're a health research methodologist and sure. former Washington, D.C. COVID pandemic advisor, Trump administration senior COVID pandemic official at uh, the HHS. You're educated at the University of Toronto, uh, Oxford and McMaster, right? Yes. And I think, and I think, yes. And uh, but uh, of course, there's lots more to say about you. You had a sane strategy at the beginning of the pandemic. You were opposed to the lockdowns, but something happened. What went wrong? Um, in terms of uh, with me or just generally the, the, the overall response? Well, 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 let me just say it this way. You know, I, I know we have compressed time, but it's always interesting to hear other people. So let me just say my views quickly. Mm -hmm. um, yes, I'm, I, I, I came out of McMaster. It's very interesting quickly that um, my, um, after I finished with Oxford, I came back to Canada and um, I was actually going to read for a doctorate at Johns Hopkins in biological warfare. And um, I had been in communications with Dr. Donald Henderson over the years, who was, uh, who led the eradication of smallpox because I had done a program, a short certificate in um, biowarfare, Johns Hopkins in 2001. Mm -hmm. And I was very interested in weaponization of pathogen in terms of um, how, how persons could do, could do that. And pr principally to see, you know, um, how bad, bad people in this world, bad actors could, could, um, could wage um, uh, uh, war on the battlefield now with, um, with pathogen. So anyway, um, but I took it up with Dr. Guyatt, Gordon Guyatt at McMaster. He was the founder of evidence-based medicine with Dr. Dave Sackett. So I did my doctorate there and my postdoc. And I remain connected with these people at McMaster in research methodology, because I provide research methods, um, evidence-based medicine, uh, technical input. Um, germane to this discussion is that 
is very interesting in 2019, mid of 2019, <clears throat> WHO uh, and the Pan American Health, uh, the America's um, division, kind of training program for low and middle income countries. Based on my training from uh, in evidence-based medicine, everything to do around research, et cetera, for the poorer countries in Latin America, Caribbean, et cetera. So I was doing that from around June of 2019. Then when this thing began to hit in China, or where it's head, though, though we now have you know, more credible indications that from as early as October 2019, um, this may have been already in the world. Um, but, but around January, February 2020, WHO asked me to change my role with them and to be a COVID pandemic um, advisor in everything to do with evidence-based because at that time they were getting a lot of information coming at them from different places and they did not know, to be quite honest, no one knew what was going on and no one at that point, at least from their point of view, didn't know what was really happening and we were getting all of these reports out of Lombardia and Italy of all these people dying, et cetera, and turning up to the hospitals and, and, and uh, passing away on the sidewalk. So it was a scary time, even for me, because we were trying to wrap our arms around this. And so my, my position changed. I was, I was actually working with them to produce their whatever analysis and reporting on COVID for the first few months. Um, I was in Toronto, and I was actually WHO's messaging what was coming out, who I was dealing with at PAHO, and then them to the directorate in Geneva. Um, at the same time, around um, maybe around end of April, uh, I got a call from DC from persons who told me that um, you know some of the stuff that I had written and some of the stuff that I had said, they found um, the White House and persons in the White House uh, all the way up to Portos. This is how it was explained to me, found it very controversial, but they were very interested um, that um, some of this stuff was, uh, they wanted somebody like myself. The bottom line is this is what was told. The request was to join the, the task force behind the scenes so that I could bring my evidence-based medicine approach, more technical, and to, to provide pushback and a lot of critical, a critical eye to everything that they were being fed in the administration to um, more properly inform them. So I went to uh, DC. Uh, in May, and um, in the first couple of weeks, I worked first two to three weeks, maybe one month. I functioned both as with WHO and the White House and the American administration because WHO, the PAHO office, didn't want me to resign my job with the Trump administration. They didn't want me to resign my job with them because they felt that I would be their conduit or connection to demonstration. The administration, I had discussions with the highest levels and told me that if I could find a way to collaborate, remain collaborating with 
WHO PAHO, um, we could share information that we could share so it could benefit everyone involved. So I was actually in the middle trying to balance this collaboration between both. And um, uh, it, it, it took on, it's a funny thing, it took on more political lenses because at that point, President Trump was trying to, um, not trying, he had withdrew from WHO. So while I was in this position, they were withdrawing from WHO and WHO was asking me, it was funny, if I could broker a conversation, the power office with um, the administration, which I could not because that was a sheer conflict of interest and that, that wasn't even in my role. That was way beyond myself. I mean, I had communications and connections with everyone involved, but I, I, I couldn't do something like that. And um, so I found that a, a big challenge for me because it, it was as though my role, my technical role was changing to a political one from Hupaho's point of view. And um, that alarmed me. So um, I also had a meeting then with the ethics commissioner in the White House, in the Trump administration, who told me that um, I will not be able to continue on anymore in the position where I'm connected to who, providing them any, any input because of the conflict of interest, and which I knew. And we had safeguarded that all along, but at this point they said, no, um, we'd like you to resign your position with them. So I resigned from Hupaho and pivoted fully to my role in, uh, as a COVID pandemic advisor. So to answer your question, um, people like Martin Kuldorf, Dr. J. Bhattacharya, Sunita Gupta, um, I was in, on line and in line with them, and my position was clear in the beginning. And then Dr. Scott Atlas joined, where we were fighting the administration behind the scenes because. If you remember when you looked, and I mean, I'm not saying anything that I can't say, I'm just saying things that in what I was dealing with. Because it's not just a technical portion of what we do. We all function in a political world and political environment. Dr. Bridal, as, as an example, look at his life as probably the world's top virologist, immunologist, and look at the politics that he's found himself in whilst trying to save lives of Canadians and the rest of the world, especially kids. So it's a terrible world that we live in right now, that everything is political. And you can't even work to help anymore without being a, a political person. Your help must take on a political lens. And if you're not helping on the right side, you're going to be destroyed and smeared. So, so we, if you noticed the task force on a daily basis on the podium from the White House, from the administration, they were advocating to keep the society locked down and to keep schools closed and to mask everyone out the wazoo. I'd have to tell you this, that President Trump, from the beginning, once we figured out at the end of April, May, that COVID was amenable to risk stratification and that your baseline risk was prognostic on the severe outcomes, your mortality, et cetera, and, and, and we could, we could adopt a more age-risk-stratified approach if they would let us. Um, 
So we knew who we were dealing with. We knew this small sliver of the population. We knew 99.5% of the population would survive and do very well if they bump up against COVID. Make no mistake, COVID is a devastating illness for the elderly and persons. And we all know that. I'm not saying anything nobody knows. This is, we talk about this every day. So yes, it's catastrophic for, for a portion of the population, elderly, comorbid conditions or vastly obese individuals, et cetera. Even young people with, with, with underlying conditions and all of you are experts. So I don't have to say anything that you don't know, but we knew this. So our job from trying to blend our technical expertise to the policy, especially Dr. Atlas, um, was to um, try and balance the approach and say, look, you can't just lock a society down and harden the lockdown and prolong the lockdowns and keep schools closed when you are just focusing on the impact of the pathogen and you're not focusing, you're not considering the harms, the crushing harms from your policy. Your policy must be informed both by the issue at hand, but also the implications of the policy. So our role behind the scenes was was almost on a fighting basis. So like Dr. Atlas, tremendous, tremendously bright individual. His job was I think we've lost you. You you are frozen right now. Okay. Could you hear me? Yeah, now you're back. Okay. So exactly. you, you you were explaining how Dr. Atlas and Jay Bhattachari and uh, several others had uh, come to the conclusion that there's no justification for uh, lockdowns or any of these measures because of the, well, the survival rate of over 97% or so. So was, was President Trump, um, was he going to follow your advice? Well, well, well as you saw, so, so let, me, let me explain it this way. President Trump was following the, how should I say it? Him as a CEO of the country, um, he was being informed by the task force because those were the people, those five or six people who headed up the different agencies but provided um, guidance. But it was a, a, a much bigger group behind the scenes. But he was getting input from a host of people, including HHS and the the department, the unit that I was involved with. So he had multiple inputs, but the, but the reality is you saw on that, on that podium daily, a, a daily fight almost between him and the, the core task force people around him, like Fauci, et cetera, yeah. because yeah. these people, these people, their focus was to keep it locked down and to keep schools closed. But we were getting reports coming up from the different states, okay, routinely, um, that uh, business owners were committing suicide, um, uh, employees were committing suicide, and children were self-harming and committing suicide. I mean, we were getting reports that people hung themselves. And it was not because of the virus, it was because of the lockdowns. So you could see, the president fighting them on a daily basis 
to get, and he would plead with different states to open up, open schools. And like, like we did this survey in around July, and we looked at persons in America 18 to 24, and um, uh, what we found was about 30% of the persons 18 to 24 in university and colleges in America, which are the healthiest, wellest people, they, they reported that they seriously considered committing suicide the month before. So, so the information that was coming up from the different states that the media was not even reporting, because remember, the push was to keep the society locked down. And still, if they had their way, and they're still doing it, was to keep it locked down. But we saw that, and, and you know, what got lost in all of this was that, was that our approach was you properly, you properly secure the high-risk people and you let the rest of the low-risk, healthy and well in society live largely unfettered lives. And we were not talking about, because then these detractors and, and persons in the media would say, well, how, how dare you? You are saying that I'm going to lock the elderly away. Well, first of all, we are saying, well, we are trying to save their lives because we are saying properly secure them for the first time. You have never secured them. Up to today, the nursing homes in the United States and Canada and UK, et cetera, became killing fields. We lost 80% of people in those nursing homes because staff came into the nursing homes and infected persons. We lost our parents and grandparents because of the staff who infected basically everyone. And still today, the staff brings in the infection. And what we were trying to say is, we are not telling you to take the elderly or the high risk and lock them away. You can find ways of properly they engaging in much more precautions, et cetera, but I'm not talking about separating them. Of course, in some situations, depending on the risk of a, of a high risk person, they may have to stay away from their family, et cetera, in their households, secluded, when I say more away, I probably eat separately and all these things, but really take the steps, but you let the rest of society live basically unfettered because the way we've done this before is you allow the, the healthy in the society to, to, to live normally, develop natural immunity, and it is the healthy in society and the well and the younger persons, middle-aged persons like yourself, who developed the immunity and protect the vulnerable. But we did it completely upside down. We locked down the healthy, and we still failed to protect the vulnerable. So it was a catastrophic failure. We looked at every instance, every instance of lockdowns across the world, up to today, every country, any setting that did a lockdown, and there's not one instance, not one where lockdowns were a success, in curbing transmission or reducing debt. All were failures, every single one. Every mass mandate impl implementation was a catastrophic failure. Did not stop infections, et cetera. In fact, we looked at all of the states and all of the countries and everywhere that a mass mandate was implemented, uh, uh, infections went up. So we were seeing that all of these policies were just failures. They, they were, they were just, it's like the six foot, six foot rule. That was not even based on science. And it was fascinating that um, we even had studies that showed 
if you will, for this aerosolized type, because it was not just droplet. There's an aerosolized component. You cannot stop this with a six foot distance. You needed 15 feet. There's one study that showed us 27 feet. So it's a funny thing, you know, I, I was having a discussion with one of the people in the task force. And I said, you know, because when I had arrived there, the six foot was already in place. And I said, you know, so tell me, because we were friends at that point chatting, and I said, tell me, how do we come up with the six feet? You know, can you at least give me this study? Because I wanted to read up on everything. I came there two months after the task force was formed. And they said, oh, well, there's no science. It's just one foot, some said three, some said six. We felt six sounded better. So, so the thing, here's the bottom line. The bottom line is my view, because I was there, um, is by his task force. There was some in that task force who did very well by him and really tried because we were dealing with a difficult situation. But generally, I think that, um, that he was not a scientist and he tried. He did many, many great things for the United States. I would have to say I was very impressed, particularly in his advocacy for minority persons and helping um, uh, develop the economy and all of that and uh, just improving lives. So, so from that point of view, I was willing to, 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 to accept the request to join. Um, but I think historically, if we look back, I would have to say today that he made two mistakes. One, and, and I mean, I'm not judging him. I'm just telling you my, everybody's entitled to an opinion. One, he failed to fire key people in that task force early on. He failed to fire Fauci and he failed to fire Burks. Why? Up to today, both of them were flat wrong in everything that they stated. I look back on everything that they've stated, all of their models, all of this graphs. I look, I look at everything and they were just inept and just completely wrong. I think Fauci is a bench scientist, is my view. He should have stayed in the lab just pipetting chemicals. He stepped out of the lane into public health. I can't tell you over 19 months now if there's any one statement, anytime he's coming in news in any meeting where anything that he said, I could go back to a textbook or I could think about it from a basic virology point of view or immunology or epidemiology point of view and that he's been correct. I, I, I don't even think he understands how wrong he is in everything that he says. And um, that's another discussion. But I think Trump was wrong in not firing them. And that severely hurt him. And I think whilst we were talking about him going down and probably one of the greatest presidents in the United States had and will have, based on how things were looking in January of 2020, I mean, he was looking unstoppable. And a lot of the things he did were tremendous. But I think if he does not come forward very soon and bulletproof and button up the situation with these vaccines as they apply to children, I think he will go along as probably one of the worst presidents the United States has ever had. Because this vaccine, this injection, especially as it could apply to children if he does not help stop it, will go along as the greatest public health disaster. Because, because there's absolutely no basis, there's no medical, no scientific justification 
for vaccinating children who, with these vaccines, this particular set. So first of all, it was not needed. The vaccines, in my point of view, were never needed. And I stated that. Uh, I'm on record, I'm arguing this constantly. I think because of early outpatient treatment, because of hydroxy and ivermectin, just the whole compendium. And remember, I'm not singling out any drug. We're talking about a combined sequenced approach. I think that um, we could have dealt with this properly with early treatment and also taking the common sense approaches. If we were to stop this fraud, fraudulent, corrupted PCR test, because that was what was used to have us still in this position. If, there's, if there are two things we could do this morning in this call, and somebody said, Paul, give us just two steps, two things we can do instantly in the world to change things. I would say one, stop all PCR testing, all, just complete garbage. And two, just open up your society. Once you could stop the PCR test and you could just make the decision, let's just go back to life as normal. In my view, we'll be able to deal with this because they've had 19 months. If any government or any health system says, well, oh, well, we need to lock down because we need to get our health system prepared. I would have to then say, well, we should fire you. We should not only fire you, we should strip you of your pension and take every cent that you will pay the last 19 months because you asked us for two weeks to prepare the hospitals. You've had 19 months and you're still telling me you need to prepare the hospitals. So we need to fire you and incur penalties on you even, because you now have costed lives. So that's garbage. The hospitals are prepared, they're ramped up. It's just bogus. So from my point of view, I think that um, these vaccines, are our, this is the hill that we have to be prepared to die on for children. Because, because as Dr. Bridal has said, um, when we look at the, 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 these vaccines properly and we see the harms that are emerging in the adults in terms of the clots, the bleeding, the, the, the 15,000 deaths in VAERS, which only captures 1%, 25,000 deaths in the UDRA, Europe system, again, um, which only captures a few, um, it means that there's a problem, a, a, a serious problem. Dr. Bridal, I think this is what we need to explain to the world. And, 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 and I'll end my quick spiel here to build on what he said. I just did an op-ed on, um, and it was published saying that we consider our children effectively my thesis. One, Dr. Birdle properly explained the, the research by Patel et al. and Bungievich et al., which shows that children lack the ACE2 receptor in their nostrils, and thus that provided us a molecular basis for why children were not getting infected readily in the first place or even getting ill. There's also groundbreaking research recently by Los et al. that showed that um, the upper airways of children are already pre-activated and, and sensitized with, um, with uh, uh, the innate, the, the antiviral, um, uh, it's a pre-activated innate immunity that's already primed for the SARS-CoV-2. 
uh, virus makes them much more nimble in their approach. And number three, we have uh, research by Yang et al. recently that also showed that You're once again frozen. I hope we haven't lost you for good, but we can't, I can't figure out if you can hear us. I think we lost him for good. Well, he brought his point across. Uh, he brought his point across. Um, the strategy that he would have followed. Are you back? Maybe you're mute still. Oh, yeah. You, I, we can see you, Paul. We yeah. can see you. You, yeah. you were just mentioning that uh, there's, a, there's a new study out or you... Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yes, I'm here. Okay. Um, we lost you. Me? Yeah, we can hear you. Yeah, you were just talking about the new study yeah. by Young at, at uh, others. Is that a study by... by did you say Young? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so let me just finish that because what Dr. Bertel has said is so critical. Um, the study by Yang et al. showed that um, the, the um, B cells, uh, uh, children, they found in the blood, children had uh, memory B cells that were sensitized already to SARS-CoV-2 because of prior common cold coronavirus exposures. And there was one more piece by Weisberg and Feber which um, showed that the T cells in children's um, uh, immune system was so naive and untrained that it allows um, uh, uh, their response to be much more nimble mm -hmm. and um, potent. And that's why children, their argument was that that naive set of T cell response allowed children to be much more um, uh, um, the, the response was so much more rapid and potent and allowed them to have less infection and to not want to develop such serious disease. So my argument is in line with Dr. Brittles, which is collectively, when you take these pieces of information, particularly I read there's a study by Gallo et al., which showed that they looked at household transmission just to, just to show we knew this over 15 months, but we have the studies. We have the Swedish study by Ludvigsson, which showed that of the 2 million Swede kids under 16 that they followed with no lockdowns, no masks, they found not one instance of death from COVID in Sweden. And we have the Danish-French Alps study, and not the Danish, Danis was the author of French Alps, which looked at one child who was infected in around mid-2020. They went to three different schools, interacted with a host of teachers and students, about 120 close contacts, and they followed all of the contacts 
and they found in not one instance was there secondary transmission from child. And the Gallo study showed that no child transmitted to child, only the adult teachers transmitted to the children. So we knew, and we knew and we know, the children do not transmit to other children or to adults. It's always adult down to child. So collectively, my argument is leave the children alone, consider children already immune, and consider them vaccinated, fully vaccinated already. They need no vaccine. These molecular and biological explanations support that thesis. And what Dr. Birdle is trying to say is if you bypass the ACE2 limitation the children have, that natural protection in the nasal passage, in the upper respiratory tract, et cetera, and you enter the deltoid, and that spike and the, the content of the vaccine gets into the circulation in children, and, and, and the spike, et cetera, if it's expressed in, in, in the shoulder, gets in to the circulation, we could begin to see deaths in children at a level that we're seeing in adults now. So where children have been spared thus far, we are going to see many children die. In fact, I'll say it this way. I will go one step further than Dr. Brittle. So I'll, I'll say it. I am saying that if we vaccinate children, many, many children in the United States, Canada, Britain, wherever, not may die, but will die. They will die from the consequences of the vaccine based on what we're seeing today in this. You may say, well, it's a theoretical risk, but, but we have the evidence. We have the evidence already that's happening. We see what's happening in teens with myocarditis, with CDST, etc. So this is not a, just a discussion. We have data now we could point to. So if children have been spared so far, as Dr. Birdle eloquently explained, with this natural protection that somebody gave it, God or whomever you want to say, why would we bypass that natural protection and put them at risk? And we run the risk of killing thousands of children, and it's that serious. And we need to have that kind of discussion very seriously. And if, as I laid out in those studies, there seem to be an ability of children to be molecularly and biologically protected in the first place, why would we bypass it? It doesn't make yes. any sense. After everything that we've learned from all of the experts, including you, and Byram and all the others from Peter McCullough, Roger Hopkinson, who is very outspoken, we know, one, there was never a, a corona pandemic, but rather a PCR test pandemic. Two, there were always, no one denies that there's a virus no. out there, but there have always been alternative methods of treatment that are effective and not dangerous. What we're seeing now with these vaccines, and as you pointed yeah, out, with respect to the children, they're deadly. They're potentially deadly. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I mean, you know, we all could have after 19 months our different views of what 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 could be done. But but look, right now I'm in the United States. And, and um, for family reasons, et cetera, I re-enter Canada and um, I, I'm moving around. I, I've been in Florida 
last couple of weeks, etc., for meeting. I've been in DC, etc. When you look at the way different people are behaving, for example, you go down to Florida, the sun is shining, people are out, no masks, people are going about their life, people are going into certain places, they put on their masks uh, to go into the restaurant or in, the, in a congregated setting. You see, we need to just wake up and say, stop it. Stop this crazy, nonsensical, illogical madness. There's no basis. There's no basis that I could be in the, the Niagara, New York side, one mile away, or half of a mile, and crossing to Canada, and I need to have on a mask to go into any facility. Yet when I cross just a few hundred feet into New York, I could go about my life, I could go into a gym, Etc. Normally, so so there's there's a there's a bunch of madness. There, there's no scientific basis for a lot of what they're doing. None. That that in Ontario, in Toronto, if I walk into the restaurant, I need to have on a mask. But when I sit down, I could take off the mask. And while I'm sitting, people could walk in without masks if they're coming to order takeout food. So, so you need to understand this virus is so sophisticated that if in my mind I am coming into the restaurant to sit, I need to have a mask on. But if you are coming in and your intent is to go to the, to the counter and buy takeout and hang around there and wait for it, you could be without the mask and the virus knows this. So it's just, it's just a whole load of BS. It's just, it's just, to me, I have seen it where it's almost these these bureaucrats and technocrats behind the scenes who just suck off the teeth. They suck off the teeth of the taxpayer. They've never held a proper job in their life. They don't even know how business operates. They don't know the suffering they're causing on business owners and on employees. With these edicts and these, they, they just sit down in their little room somewhere in a little meeting with a coffee and they come out, okay, let's do this to them now. Let's do that. Let's, let's, let's do this and see. You know, it's like, it's, like, it's like the Premier of Ontario, Doug Ford, a few months ago, he came up with a bizarre ruling. I think that empowered police, that if you came down your driveway, there was a lockdown, or such a heavy lockdown in that period. I think that you couldn't even come off your own driveway, that, that you could be stopped interrogated and you could even be arrested and fined. The public immediately went nuts. More importantly, the police went nuts and said, no, we're not gonna enforce that. We're gonna tear the society apart. They came by the next morning and said, okay, okay, okay. We're not gonna do that one. So in other words, their, their, their public health edicts are not based on science or a, a need because let me, let me say it this way. If you told me, I'm an epidemiologist, an infectious disease expert, if you said, Paul, this pathogen has a 40% mortality, this is like MERS, okay? This have a 50% mortality, or just like Ebola, but it's aerosolized. That's a huge, huge problem. You, I will help you sell locking my society down for as long as it takes until we deal with it. But this was never it. So the problem is they have exacted a toll. They have done things across the world to people. Like what the madness, it is sheer utter madness in Australia. 
for something that was less deadly than the, the, the seasonal influenza, particularly for children, I know it's heavier in the, the, the high-risk people. But, but what they have done here is so, it's not even unreasonable, it is so wrong because, because they have taken the tools of public health and wasted them now. The public will not believe these people in the future when we have a real serious lethal pathogen on our hands and it will come. So, so, so we have these politicians sticking their finger in the wind to see what, what could I do today that will make part of the population feel that I'm doing something and, 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 and enough so that the rest will comply. Well, when Doug Ford tried that and even the police pushed back, he had to change it. So that, mean, that meant that it had no basis because if it was really needed for the public's health, he did not have to reverse it. He could have made the argument to the public and he could have even used legal means, but he reversed it because there was no basis. You can't reverse something that was needed for the public's health if the public says no. No, your, your position there is to safeguard the public and you would have had credible basis even to enforce it legally and take draconian steps, but you had none. So, 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 so to me, if you ask me and I'm look, looking on, I would say this pandemic, this thing that they call it was over 15 months ago. 15 months ago, they've just been playing with us and seeing how long they could stretch this out for. There's no basis for none of this, none. They overcycled the PCR test and used it to cause this madness, so to, that to, they could sell this asymptomatic garbage. Asymptomatic spread was bogus. Recurrent infection was bogus. There's no credible basis for those, none. So the problem is though that I think they scared the population so much in that I think I know. When Fauci and they came onto the podium every day, every day, that's why I said Trump should have fired these bastards. Every day they would come and make you feel that 15-year-old Johnny, at the prime of his life, healthiest Johnny, was at the same risk. They said, we are all at equal risk of severe outcome and death if infected. So Johnny got in his mind on Susie that at 15, I could die like my 85, 90-year-old granny with four underlying conditions. And it is that message that they drilled across the world, drilled into the minds of the pop population that stop. And even today, Johnny will not fully come out to play because Johnny thinks that he's still at risk as his granny. And Johnny will put on two masks and go and take a jog in the forest with nobody around him for 15 miles. But he has on a mask and he'll even have on gloves. That's how crazy Johnny is today. <clears throat> it tells you about the psychological effects that all of this is going to have, not just uh, now, but the in the long term, uh, psychologists expect uh, the worst, the worst possible. Yes, I agree. So, so um, right now we just need the leadership to stand up and say enough, stop it, stop the garbage, stop the insanity, stop the PCR testing, just stop it. Yeah. It's garbage. Yeah. It's, it's 100% false positive. Throw it away. Mm. Stop it. Open your society. Go on with life. If somebody gets ill, I'm sorry. This is how I look at it today. You take care of your elderly. Look, let me tell you something. I come from the islands. Well, you know that. 
I have family in the islands. I, I took my parents back to the Caribbean. My parents are elderly, so they want to die there. Okay, that's personal business, but I'm just saying. My sister, who they live with, from the time this began 19 months ago, she's taken care of them in their private home. We, had, we, had, we, we talked every day. So the game is to keep them out of the hospital. That's how we should have spoken to the population and say, look, your private people in your home, your, your parents, your elderly, even if your parents happen to live by themselves, you need to take care of them. It's your personal business. It's not my business. It's not my business what happened to your family. I need to take care of mine. It's my responsibility. You can't lock children down, close schools, suffer the rest of society because I can't take care of my family. It's my personal business. My sister is an example. Not, not wealthy people, poor people. But she took care of my parents. My parents have been locked down, restricted. She'll take them out now and again, restrict people who come near them if she doesn't understand their risk. And she's taken sensible precautions. She had early outpatient treatment, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, the whole gamut in the household. She knows the treatment protocol. She's working with a doctor. If in case they get infected, etc. She even went, put them on the early treatment protocol and life has gone on. Yes, they can't go out as much as they want because the, the, the virus in some places is still circulating, but she's taken personal responsibility for her family. It's not society to be shut down because people can't do this for their family. That's number one. Number two, the nursing homes and old age homes operate properly and take care of the elderly. It was killing fields there. 90% of the deaths in, in Ontario, as an example, in Canada, happened in our old age homes. And while I was in Trump administration, we were seeing that the deaths were happening in the old age homes because of the staff. The staff, the staff in these homes are good people. They, they're not wealthy, and they have to go three to four different old age homes during the day to make up a full-time wage. So they're part-time here, a few hours there. And they were bringing infection into the, into the homes. They were transmitting it. And yet we were not stopping the staff. You know, other countries had models where you would take a complete floor of the facility. And I, I was in meetings where I explained this. But no one takes you on. The bureaucracy, not, they weren't interested. It was going in here and coming out here. I told the decision makers, Make, make a regulatory rule, force these facilities to designate a complete floor only for staff. So every, on a two-week basis, once infection enters, staff can't leave. Ask them, but, but don't fire them. If they say, well, I can't stay because I have family obligation, let them go and pay them to stay home if they want. Then turn to nursing schools where people want the practical experience and the income, those 30 or 40 students, bring them in, let them, and, and let them stay for a couple of weeks while the infection is there, tamp down the infection, get it under control. Some people rented a hotel across the street from the old age home, the nursing home, and staff would just cross the street into the, into the hotel. So, they won't, so you have more control of the staff because the staff was a rate limiting step. And many of our parents and grandparents died because of staff. 
staff bringing infection in. And if that is not fixed, many will continue to die. But, but you know what's the interesting thing? <clears throat> the interesting thing is that what COVID has revealed to us is some sad commentaries. And one of them is we never really were concerned about in a society about our elderly. Okay, and once your, 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 your grandparent or your parent got a certain age, you put them in a old age home, in a, in a care home or a long-term facility and out of sight, out of mind. You didn't even visit them. And I know because, because I have in-laws in old age homes in Ontario. So I've seen every part of this, of this pandemic and what is done to them and the suffering. They have months they don't even bathe. They don't even get a shower because nobody would come into them. They're in isolation when the nursing home locks down, when the old age home, when there's an outbreak, when staff brings it in, they have to lock them in the five by five room. It's a terrible, it is probably, the, the elderly in our society is the most prized people, the most, it's the best of us. Yet, when we put them there or they decide to enter, they are treated like, like, like the worst, the worst of the worst. It's like, I go there and people don't even visit the, the parents or the grandparents. I, I stand up there and talk to people because, because they're lonely. And then when you put this pandemic on top of that and you isolate these people, they, they spend the last few months of their life in pure misery. And the reality is that we would go to bed normally in your life and everybody's life and you don't, you don't, you didn't realize this that the, that, that black or white more van would pull up into the back of the nursing homes across the world every night and take people who passed. But it, 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 it never registered in you that our elderly die from from illnesses every day because they're old. They they they, they have a limited immune system and they've come to the end of their life and these respiratory viruses particularly pneumonia, and the life. And the what we've done with COVID <clears throat> has shown us that, that elderly were treated. It was so devastating to them. I think it was, I, I consider it a crime. And I want, at the end of this, Many, many people in the highest levels of government, in all of those bureaucratic agencies, I want them to be held accountable. I want them investigated, and I want them the money taken away from them. I want every benefit they ever gotten stripped, and I want them held accountable. I want them fired. I want them fined. I mean, I don't talk people, you know, when you talk to other people, oh, yeah, people have to go to jail. I don't use those words. Um, but people need to be held accountable by the harshest means possible. We need to figure out what that is because we must never ever let this happen again. We must never put emergency power into the hands of these government officials again because they abused the emergency powers that they were, that they were given. They, they became unathletable. We have no pandemic, none. There's no pandemic now, nothing. We just need to open up and let societies go forward. We just need to stop all this mad testing crap and let people live their lives and get out of their lives. And if you have an elderly person in your, your care, take care of your people. Take care of your family in your home. 
And when they need care, find the care, get them to the hospital, do what you need to do. Don't sit back there and be part of the society destroying the young and healthy and, and destroying the rest of society because of your failures. This is the point. You people need to take personal responsibility for their private homes and also make sure that your parents are well taken care of in the nursing homes, holy nursing homes start come, etc. The hospitals are geared up, they had 19 months. No one can say that they have no. Listen, I could come from nine different doctors in different hospitals in Canada, as an example, who've told me all this thing on the news about overloaded and stretched and no beds is a lie. It's a lie. Everything is, is just is just bogus. They, they're working in the emergency room. I said, no, 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 no. So, so, well, of course, the media is the is the rate limiting step for us. Any, I regard anything the media says as a bogus lie. I, I tell anyone, anything that the media says, regardless of where, don't even listen to it. It's a lie. <laughs> well, you know, that brings us to the point at which we have to realize it's not just the governmental officials who need to be held accountable. It is also those who are trying to pull their, or are pulling their strings in the background. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I agree fully. Mm. Yes. It's um, well, Paul. This is this was very, very. Uh, this was very important, not just because of the information that you, that you gave us, but also because of um, it is important to show that this is an emotional kind of thing. Because we, in particular, when you pointed out that many of us are probably responsible, not just during COVID times, but are probably responsible of not taking good enough care of our elderly uh, people. Yes. And uh, that's what it boils down to. This is about humanity. This is about empathy and it's about showing emotions. That's yes. what we have to relearn because that is probably something that they, the other side has been trying to, um, to separate us from. I'll close off because I have, and I know you have other interviews. I'll close off with something. So I am working with Byron Riddle mm -hmm. and other people like Dr. Charles Hoff, Dr. Francis Christian, Dr. Roger Hodkinson, Dr. Mark Trozzi, this is a Canadian group. Mm -hmm. But I'm working also, and I know you know this, I'm working daily with Dr. McCullough, Peter McCullough. Dr. Harvey Rich, all of the Dr. Howard Tenenbaum. So with yourselves sitting here, is a core 10, 15, 20 of us who are on the front lines daily, interviewing you, interviewing people you bring in. So, so, so we are fighting and I understand that. We are trying to get the message out and, and share. We are prognosticators. You know, we want this to, to fix, we want to help, we want this to end well. We are dissidents from the point of view that we are not just agreeing with what is being told to us. We are questioning it because we want the best to be done now because everything that they've done so far has failed. Mm -hmm. We looked at all of the evidence on lockdowns, school closures, masks, mask mandates, everyone, every study, every report, nothing, not one, no one can show where anything has been successful. And I will end by saying this. The FBI released something. I saw a report yesterday that this, 
that the number of murders and stuff in the United States have gone up like, I think they said 25%, something like that, from last, last year or two. So I read this report, it's there, it's on the news. So immediately, I've been saying this the last month and I'll share it with you here. <clears throat> the mask, the face mask, your, your eyes and your face and your facial expression really is a portal into your heart and your soul. It tells me everything about you just by looking at you and talking to you and the animation on your face and the animation on mine. It, 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 it connects me and you from a humanity point of view. Even when we don't know each other, we just glancingly saw each other in the elevator as an example. When you mask someone and you have people walking around with masks for the last 19 months, including children, you are stopping that humanity connection, that thing that we have, where we could look at each other's face and in half of a second know the story and we know this person is good, you know, safe, this person, you, you know, like if this person is inviting, if this person is, um, is, is collegial to me, whatever. You, you can see by, but, but not just that, it goes past just the physical aspect. We connect with human beings on a deep level by our face. And when you hide it, you end that connection and it, and it breaches that and it allows human to human now, no connection. It allows me to go places emotionally that I would not go before. And, 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 and to end, I will say it this way. When the executioner is charged with putting someone to death in the execution chamber, if you notice at the end, they mask the person, executioner and the person for a reason, or they put a blind. Because if the executioner sees the face of the person, they will not be able to carry out that final act. They need to see your face. Even if I didn't know you, it, it, it tells me you're a human being like me. I can't do this to you. By masking our population and our children, we have set our societies up. We are going to see levels of depravity and crime in the future, near and distant future that we've never seen before. And we will, we will with the social scientists, we'll be running around pulling the hair out of the head. How did this happen? This mask is not just worthless. We study the science, it is ineffective in stopping the pathogen, source control in, in every way, every way. We looked at the Danish mass study. We looked at the Paris Island Marine study. We looked at the CDC 2020 non-pharmaceutical intervention study. We looked at every study, even the Bangladesh study recently is junk, it's junk science. I studied it, it's garbage. Cloth masks are ineffective and have modest effect, 11% in the for the surgical mask, but if you look at it, it's highly confounded. You can't make, I'm a methodologist. You toss that in the garbage, all of it. No one did a proper study except the Danish mask. No one. Why? Because they didn't want the results because it would have shown them conclusively with a proper comparative effectiveness research study. The mask that junk those masks. Bill Orr in 1981 published a study that showed us, he's a surgeon in 1981, it's a famous study that in the surgical field, when they looked at surgeons who were masked versus unmasked, what was shocking was the unmasked surgeons caused less 
infection to the wounds of their patients than the masked ones. The masked surgeons caused more infection. And the only thing we theorize is because when they were breathing into the mask, the, 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 the infections from them were coming down in the base and falling onto the open wounds as they operated. Because we needed to figure out, well, this, is not, this is upside down, that the mass surgeons cause infection. And yeah, we figured it out because all of the air was coming down. So what's the bottom line? The masks have been a catastrophic failure, not just, not just from a biological or uh, an ability to, to curb the transmission, but it will cause people to, to commit crimes against each other because we have hidden our faces. All right. I think you're absolutely right. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's horrible, but I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. So I know you guys are busy and I have another meeting now. And, you know, I, I'm so privileged. It's been difficult lining up time because, 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 you know, we have many people want to talk. Everybody wants a meeting and all of that. But your group. We we missed the last couple of sentences, Paul. All I'm trying to say is <clears throat> I'm very grateful that you would allow me to partake. And um, there's so much we have to share. Yeah. And everybody's torn apart right now with different meetings and discussions. But anytime in the future that I could be part of your groups, please, please, please ask me and... Um, and uh, I would love to be, I, I, I very much admire the work that you all are doing. Very, very much. I'm very privileged to be on this show. And vice versa. We are very grateful for your input and your emotions, too. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> okay. Take care. Thank you. Oh. Well, what can I say? Uh, we heard another six hours of very tough stuff, but by good people. It has to be said, uh, those are good people out there. If we continue working with those, that is something nobody will be able to stop. It was a good mix, I think. Uh, the uh, undertaker, who doesn't think scientifically, he got it all. He really understood it all. Just like many taxi drivers and bus drivers do. And I've uh, read a good paper a couple of days ago saying it doesn't depend on the intellectual capacity at all whether you understand this. And uh, it depends on other things. It depends on whether you're used to uh, scrutinize things. Somebody who um, was allowed to be skeptical in his life and the people who want to be career people, they have to follow orders and instruction. 
and if you want to do that you have to forget about your skepticism and if you if you are successful with skepticism you'll drive it forward and you know it'll help you and i think this is a part um, that is suppressed in many people that are not trained it starts in school really if somebody says what you say is wrong teacher um, uh, they'll get kicked out the, the, the classroom um, other than the teacher uh, scrutinizing the student and this seems to be a completely strange way of thinking to the majority of people well we haven't been trained to think critically anymore well, you run into problems, but only this is the only way to learn anything new uh, if you lead the well-traded path. So the name is uh, Lord Jonathan Sumption, this former uh, Supreme Justice from the UK, a great uh, person who is certainly uh, willing to speak with him. Well, we have established contact with him. Okay, I think that takes us through to the day. I think we have to do something nice. It's all a bit uh, suppressing. We always keep on saying things will get there, but we can't see. I think we should do something. The training our wit and uh, help us to do with other people. I saw this in the campaign for the elections that people started listening when you give a positive note to them. And sometimes that was done with music. Yes, we'll manage to do that. We now have contact uh, with a number of jazz musicians and we want to sing ourselves. I once was a member of the uh, children's choir of Radio Bremen uh, radio station. So you can sing. So yes, I can do that. Right. So we, we have prepared something next door, so we want to do some rehearsal, but we are a bit scared. We're not yet sure whether we'll be able to show it at some point, uh, but we'll try to spark some curiosity. Yeah, we should do that. Uh, let me point out again. This uh, Tor network, download the browser and remember the address uh, we have. I'll post it again. Um, please note it down so that uh, when it continues with the switching off that we can show where we uh, can provide information so you can see uh, us. I think that's very important because that might um, become important. The pushback will increase. Well, it is uh, scenarios that the internet will break down, and usually when they do these exercises, it happens. What against this background um, uh, of the newspaper that we publish every Sunday now, uh, we can uh, basically download it as a digital flyer for this uh, Tor network uh, to uh, use this facility so we can stay in contact, and I think that's important in order to create additional networking opportunities, but otherwise only, let me point out again, that we need uh, to collect donations in order to um, continue our work, and there's still a lot of work to be done, so uh, we'd be happy if you could uh, support us and um, 
to help us progress. Okay, I think the coolant is boiling, and who knows, maybe over the next uh, few days and weeks, it might actually start bubbling up. There's, there's two more things to come. We'll have the subjective student, somebody who sh we should listen to. He came up with a new video today uh, on the absurdities to find out whether somebody is vaccinated or not, and an interview with Dr. Schleiter. Also very interesting. Dr. Schleiter is a... Uh, judge at the court in Berlin, but he doesn't say so, we all know. Uh, he's the author of uh, a very, very good, one of two very, very good uh, complaints. One is uh, Professor Mutwig, the other is from him. And he explains why from a juridical system it's all off the track here, completely. In the end, the justice is uh, uh, a smoking pile of uh, rubbish. Uh, he says it in a bit more polite way, and the step that's missing is that these are not mistakes, and uh, but intentional is missing. Maybe he can't say that in his position. Well, in this sense, enjoy, and I uh, hope you get a lot of inspiration, and then I'm looking forward to a nice uh, evening and a nice weekend, and uh, see you next week. Well, hello uh, to another video of the subjective student. I think that this video is extremely uh, important. If this uh, proves to be true, what I think I uh, found here, it is really incredible. I still can't believe it, but this seems to be true. And I would like to present it to you because I believe this needs to, uh, word needs to get out here. If this is true and everything points towards it, I want to keep this uh, brief. Very briefly, this is only my opinion. I believe that I uh, interpret the data correctly. It is not a statement of fact. I may be found out to have made a mistake. I would like to uh, point that out so I don't run into legal problems here. Now, what's it all about? We compared the weekly report of the 30th of September and the previous week, the 23rd of September. And table four is always uh, the table to describe, used to describe the efficiency of uh, vaccination. So when people refer to how many people are unvaccinated, they refer to uh, table four. It indicates the so, uh, supposed uh, uh, vaccination breakthroughs among hospitalized people. And a lot has changed here within a week in this table. How come? Well, it became apparent that uh, there was no vaccination status for some uh, cases, so they simply removed those cases where you didn't know whether people were vaccinated or not. And the upshot is that for the hospitalized people, uh, 19 uh, cases altogether, um, uh, COVID-19 uh, people over 60 who were vaccinated. Um, last week it was 65,621, and yesterday, in yesterday's report, it was only 32,264. 
So more than half the cases, in more than half the cases, that is my interpretation, and I will have to keep thinking about it, there was no vaccination status available. So in more than 30,000 cases, this is only um, over one week, so uh, all of them added together. With more than half of them, the vaccination status was unknown. And here it comes for calculation of vaccination efficiency. It had been anticipated or had been assumed last week, up until last week, that uh, of those 32,000 that uh, aren't uh, whose vaccination status is not known, were assumed to be unvaccinated. So the uh, breakthroughs are compared to the COVID-19 uh, cases altogether. So let me repeat it. 30,000 cases, more than half of the hospitalized people of the example of the over 60-year-olds, it wasn't known whether they were vaccinated. The vaccination status unknown, but for calculation of vaccination efficiency, it was assumed that 100% of those were unvaccinated. And that has a direct impact on the share of the uh, vaccination breakthroughs in each category because the vaccination breakthroughs, we have the vaccination status there, but of course the total number of decreased. If we take remove those without a, a known status, vaccination status, so we calculated this. So between these two uh, weekly reports, so the number of likely uh, vaccination uh, breakthroughs increased by 19% uh, with the hospitalized uh, uh, patients, 114% increase, and COVID-19 uh, cases on in intensive care um, by 119% uh, in one week. And many cases were removed where the vaccination status was not known. If the majority of those uh, whose status was unknown was vaccinated, which we don't know, then the share of likely uh, vaccination breakthroughs uh, would increase. And it had always been argued on the basis of this table in the past, and we know that in the past it was at least misleading, and they admitted, I'll read it out later on, but just to make it clear again, there were cases that were juxtaposed to the uh, uh, vaccinated cases um, as unvaccinated, where the status wasn't known at all. And this was used as a basis for justification of um, legal measures, for instance, the um, vaccination, the um, uh, COVID rules in the uh, universities. Many uh, students can't study anymore because they can't afford the tests anymore because they're in this situation. So that is really unbelievable. And what does RKI uh, write on this? They say the following. It says right above uh, table four on page 19. As for a part of the COVID-19 cases, the indication of uh, vaccination status are incomplete. A, uh, 
underestimated number of uh, vaccinated COVID-19 uh, cases has to be uh, assumed. This is why the uh, vaccination efficiency may have been overrated. Beginning 30th of uh, September 2021, uh, therefore, the calculation of efficiency of vaccinations will only uh, consider those cases of COVID-19 where the vaccination status is available, and this has led to an adjustment of the efficiency. So very briefly, they say, this methodological adjustment has led to uh, the adjustments. So there weren't several uh, adjustments. There was only one adjustment that was made. They don't mention the plural here. They have one adjustment. That is the adjustment with reference to the uh, vaccination status. So if there are any uh, uh, complaints that uh, there might have been other adjustments, and we checked it, they speak of one single adjustment that led to an update of the figures. And that is the one concerning the vaccination status. And that is we see that uh, the number of uh, break uh, that the number of um, unvaccinated people has been reduced by more than 50 percent I um, think it is really incredible what uh, is happening here I may have made a mistake um, I don't see where I would have but if you find a mistake please point it out to me otherwise that's it for the moment have a nice day possibly a good morning by now, and uh, I'll give you the sources and how you can support me, and well, unbelievable. Have a nice day. Goodbye. Hello, and welcome to all everything on the table. I am Tina Eichner. I am an actor and a singer and I am talking to someone on a very, very interesting topic today, but I have no idea about. So um, I would have had to study law for that, which I didn't do. What we're going to talk about is Corona and our legal system. I would be interested if all the measures are lawful and whether our uh, law system is working properly, and if not, why not? And is our constitution, is it restricted to good reasons? I have these questions, and I found a, a legal expert who is fit to answer all of this, because he did take a critical look at the corona crisis right from the beginning. And that is why I welcome Dr. Peter Schleiser at of Everything on the Table. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Maybe you would just like to introduce yourself briefly. Yes, my name is Peter Schleicher. I am born in 77, close to Leipzig. I studied law and I was a scientific worker at Bayreuth University. And I went to a big German company to work there in 2010 and I don't want to name what company it was now I worked as a legal advisor there and it's important for me to note that this is a discussion I am taking as a private person 
All right, so we're both private citizens here. <clears throat> I don't know about myself. You're a bit more private than uh, me. Can let's let's go uh, to the thick of things. Uh, can you explain to everybody about our uh, state of law? Um, Division of powers, etc. Yes. Maybe you can give us an introduction. Yes, sure. This. I have uh, prepared something here on my board, and just to, for the better understanding, what you see is three pillars of our uh, legal system. This is what modern uh, states have: the legislative, the executive, and the uh, judge, the court system. All of that on the basis of our constitution. And the idea is that the legislative, that is the law-making body, makes the laws. The executive uh, carries them on, and the courts check whether both others are doing the right things that is what it is designed to do just for the understanding who are these bodies the uh, uh, legislative is the parliament the federal parliament the parliament the state parliaments and uh, the executive is the government the uh, state governments the communal authorities police and uh, this kind of thing and the juridicative is the courts and the problem here is and we see that in the crisis which is not functional is the problem of the so-called limited powers so these are not strictly uh, separated from each other, but there are fuzzy boundaries, and that's good because there has to be agreements, there has to be an exchange between the two, but that may lead to dysfunctional results or behavior of the different areas. Uh, some examples are, for example, the a minister being a parliament, a member of parliament. Usually they are. So they are part of the executive and the legislative body and um, also the judges at the constitutional court are elected by the parliament or by part of the parliament and um, they are um, have the right to propose. All right, very well, thank you very much. So let's get started with my questions. So maybe we can take a look at these uh, different powers individually to see where they were over the last uh, year and a half, what their jobs uh, are, uh, where they failed to do them? Yes. To, to start with, what we're seeing today, the condition of our government, uh, of our uh, juridical system, is uh, probably something that people would have thought uh, impossible two years ago. It was, uh, been, would have been called dystopia. Why did we see the development of the judiciary as we have? My personal opinion of this, just like everything that I'm explaining now, is my personal opinion, although it is well-based. Uh, uh, the fear of the virus is great, and that led to irrational behavior. We have a uh, familiarization with the restrictive measures. Looking at the three pillars, starting with the executive pillar, which executes the uh, laws, enforces the laws, and 
there is several areas. Uh, first of all, is the subject matter to Parliament, uh, proportionability and facts. Um, we can't go into the deep details of this. At the end of 2000, uh, 2000 I uh, filed a 190-page um, plaintiff uh, or, or suit that explains all of this uh, with uh, detailing into all of this. But um, I have to focus on the big points to stick in the time frame now. The first point being the um, um, parliament reservations. That means major decisions, especially if the fundamental laws are restricted, this is a decision that the parliament has to take and not the law enforcement bodies. And um, mainly, uh, usually it is uh, um, the dominating parties here are the ministries, especially the health ministry, and this is a situation that has been pointed out right at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, from April 2020, there was a scientific um, law paper pointing out that this uh, proceeding is anti-constitutional. A couple of presidents have uh, of the courts have pointed this out, uh, they said the parliaments have to be involved in the course of action. However, that is only being done in a very restricted way. Just for comparison, uh, for the non-legal experts here, of course not. It's a bit of a skewed example, but just to play, play it clear, um, to uh, make clear who's capable of what. It's like uh, an open heart surgery not being carried out by the surgeon, but by the nurse. Uh, the second point is the uh, federal conference. This is a gremium, a body who dominates the restrictions, what is not foreseen in the constitution. This is a non-existing um, a body in the constitution and uh, as far as common work of the federal state and the individual states is concerned um, that would be uh, the in the federalism in germany the individual states should be doing their own work their own things but this is often overruled by um directives from the federal government. The third point is the proportionality. Um, that is one of the most crucial things and what we feel most in our everyday life is that there has to be a balancing off between the individual rates, rights, um, especially with respect to the measures. And here, balancing of the proportionalities um, is um, the the is uh, some uh, rights are overriding everything so um, we have no whatever it takes to prevent anything so collateral damage is something that has to be factored in in all decisions 
Imagine the scale of justice, uh, all of the damages caused by possible lockdowns or other measures have to be taken into consideration, and that is hardly done at all. The fourth point, uh, lack of fact presentation. We have to say at the beginning of the crisis, it was okay to proceed. I think everybody would have done so when the situation was still unclear. Action had to be taken immediately, obviously, no doubt about that. But then uh, it should have been, um, we should have, have looked for information as quickly as much as possible. So crisis is the hour of the law enforcement, of the executive body, the parliament has to step back at that point in time. But as soon as possible, the parliamentary process has to be brought back in. So if there are restrictions of the fundamental basic laws, um, these things have to be clarified. Imagine a funnel at the, at the top, things are unclear. And as soon as time proceeds, the less will be the freedom of choice of the executive bodies to uh, take measures and restrict the people. And here there is a lack of a big pluralistic crisis team. Uh, some of the opposition, opposition parties requested this, but it wasn't done. Just an example, until today in Germany, we don't know how high the, um, the rate is. This could be easily done by antibody testing uh, studies, and then we would know how big the disk would be. What Professor Schick did with Heinsberg at the time, the RQII, uh, rejected doing a study like that at a time, which is understandable. So lots of money is spent, but no money is spent to find the fact, or very little. And the second level, uh, the first uh, pillar, the legislative, 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 here we have flattened the way that they, they did, they flattened the way for the law enforcement to do that. And they keep up that situation by uh, confirming the uh, deciding that there is an epidemic of national concern again and again and again. And this is just letting the uh, executive body loose. And the parliaments have given away the path of action. And to stay within the example that I gave before, the surgeon, the parliament, so to say, uh, the the uh, nurse, uh, they walk in the, um, the surgeon is in the operating theater and just watches the nurse doing the operation. And I think that is a systemic error and we see structures that are dysfunctional, concrete uh, um, party discipline, for example, is something that is missing here. This must have been, must be banned in order to allow an independent legislative body and to allow parliamentarians to 
find free decisions and decide into her own opinions and conclusions and not being forced to decide as their party wants them to. Third pillar, the judiciary, uh, which is to oversee the other two. Uh, let me jump to the conclusion to start with. The uh, essential function as a controlling, a supervisory uh, body has not been dispensed by the judiciary by not stopping uh, the other two um, powers. There are some examples, some uh, state supreme courts or high uh, administrative courts have um, stopped um, the other two powers. Uh, for instance, I think the Supreme Court in the Tsar region or some uh, local courts, uh, which are a little bit freer in their uh, judgments. But by and large, it was only a very uh, little restriction in fine-tuning. Usually the um, courts said, for instance, uh, there is no proportionality, for instance, in uh, imposing bans on, on uh, uh, curfews uh, at night. But the parliamentary prerogative, the uh, um, uh, conference between the states, uh, the states and the federation, etc. Uh, this has never been questioned by the judiciary. That hasn't been done to uh, anywhere near a sufficient level. How come in um, um, injunction uh, legislation. Um, this is actually something that can be justified because you can only very briefly um, judge uh, what are uh, the things that are in, in balance. Is it uh, uh, the risk involved in one hand? And uh, on the other hand, uh, what are the freedoms that need to be sacrificed here? And we didn't have this. Uh, what about we they never looked at the long-term consequences what about sexual harassment about uh, um, battering in uh, families what about the economy if un unemployment goes up etc those are all questions that have never been considered it's really quite wide-ranging that takes us too far now but this balancing in the past always led to the fact that uh, life and uh, personal um, uh, protection has won out, and that was the end of it. But in this case, the big problem is that the uh, fact-finding that needs to be performed by uh, the courts, i.e. objectively, neutrally um, monitoring the uh, activities by the executive and the legislative, that was not done. So in concrete case, uh, concrete example, if as a judge I have to uh, rule on whether a um, regulation is justified, then I must not use the argument of those who actually issued the regulation in the first place. So in this case, it would be the uh, RKI. It is a federal agency, which is directly subordinate to the Ministry of Health and which directly coordinate, uh, cooperates with it and, and takes orders from the ministry. So if 
The um, uh, court says the uh, ministry's regulation is okay because the RKA, uh, RKI recommended it. So that is not acceptable. It needs to be verified by external experts whether this uh, situation is as the RKA states. Uh, many things are the way the RKI states. But we also know that there were some problems. Uh, it's usually not about the question of whether uh, the question is, um, can we uh, accept it as given or do we have to verify this? And the principle of a state of law and of uh, division of powers requires it to be verified. We can't just take it as given. Uh, for instance, in criminal law, um, uh, if we have a murder, murderer who is taken to hospital because he's ill, then he has um, been in jail, and uh, when he is then released from hospital uh, from from prison, he uh, needs to be um, examined to determine whether he is still a threat to society or not. And he can only be released once he's no longer considered uh, a threat, and this. Expert opinion may only be uh, given by an external expert, not by uh, the entity that actually put him in jail in the first place. And these experts have to uh, change in certain um, intervals. They have to change so that the original expert who tends to reconfirm his own judgment, his own expertise, uh, will, uh, not, uh, his, uh, will not fall into that trap of uh, confirming his own opinion. And the Supreme Court in Germany, um, who is the one institution that needs to um, monitor and survey uh, the uh, other two powers, has not done a good job because they've been looking on too long. They're still looking on. If 83 million people are suffering from the most severe restrictions of uh, civil liberties uh, ever brought in since the, the conception of the state, then this organ needs to suspend all other action and go into um, an examination of the, the case and rather than um, say, let's see what uh, time brings. Um, there were other seminal decisions, such as the one on climate change, that could have been pushed back uh, to um, prioritize maybe uh, verification of the current measures taken by the government or by the other two powers. Uh, I think that is a failure to act on the part of the Supreme Court where we have to be careful. There are legal experts and uh, uh, professors who say this is a refusal to uh, dispense its duties. Why is this happening in the judiciary? Uh, just uh, to conclude, I think the self-perception um, of a judge is that of somebody who uh, executes the law. Um, I think that uh, judges don't even realize that 
they must not uh, apply illegal legislation. If, if legislation contradicts the uh, Constitution, then I am not allowed to apply this law. I can't even submit it to the Supreme Court. It's just obvious. Then second, high workload. Um, it's, of course, much easier if I simply uh, can uh, pass a regulation rather than showing, arguing that it is not unconstitutional and therefore null and void. So we have a strong motivation of the judiciary to assume uh, that things be correct that should have really been looked at into more detail. If it was the same effort to uh, argue in favor or against a uh, measure, then I'd say there'd be more uh, rulings that found uh, that would find things unconstitutional. Another aspect is with the uh, public prosecutors. Um, uh, that has already been, um, uh, there has been a ruling by the European Court of Justice uh, complaining about this. The uh, public prosecutors uh, take orders from the ministry. And that is a problem because it can uh, bring them in line. And um, in extreme cases, it can actually lead to orders being given and taken. And I think that in the judiciary, um, as in all other authorities, judges are um, embedded in their environment, even though, uh, and they don't want to step out of line, even though they are, are more independent, are freer to act, but they don't really want to um, step out of line, and it's not helpful for their careers either. At the end of the day, particularly with the higher courts, we have a um, specific selection of judges which is um, influenced by the executive and the legislative. So by way of summary, we can say that I believe we have a severe failure of the um, state of law in all uh, areas of, of a division of power. I'm really concerned that we are sacrificing um, uh, great advances in uh, democracy that we've achieved over the last hundred years uh, on the altar of the, uh, fighting the pandemic. And I'm not alone in this judgment. I have uh, contacts with people who uh, work in uh, the various uh, political uh, factions in Parliament who expect this to be uh, looked at in more detail. Yeah, I understand. Actually, it's a lot of information. Uh, it's a pity that uh, our legal system, as it should work, seemed to have failed in each of its areas. I think that is quite uh, concerning. I think we have to la let that sink in a bit. Uh, you uh, introduced a couple of solutions and uh, rechecking and so on. Is there anything else that you uh, would think that should be amended? Yes. Uh, none of the stakeholders is entitled just to step aside the Constitution for a second. Uh, 
The uh, constitution is not a nice weather constitution. So everybody is strictly bound to help and to stick with the constitution. And there is no excuse from this. Um, about the legislative, I've talked uh, um, uh, listings in the elections, fraction mandatories, uh, getting the um, politicians who are elected to follow their own opinions and the uh, court system. I can only say that the uh, judges have to do their craftsmanship and be open for all sides and uh, really balance off and factor in all areas. And I think it needs courage to stand up and push back and not just apply um, law uncritically. There are movements uh, that have uh, come about in during this crisis that could one could turn to. So a simple search in the net will help. There's different areas and uh, and the society as such has to uh, reopen each other. People have to be able to talk again uh, without uh, um, uh, prejudice and uh, look at other positions and rethink our own positions as well. I do that uh, every now and again. I've just uh, talked uh, to someone um, who works as a doctor and I uh, was interested to hear his views. And it's important that we keep on exchanging ideas and don't see this uh, splitting up. And I thank you for your action to make it possible that we can talk and listen to the other side as well. Thank you. Thank you. Unfortunately, we'll have to come to the end of the interview. I'm pleased that's a topic that one could Google and research more and uh, maybe even read your filing, <coughs> um, uh, read up on this. At this point, I'd like to thank you very much, Dr. Schleiter, and I thank the audience for listening and um, we'll carry on. We're not through. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.